ancient land of China, schools and the martial arts were a way of life, but none were as lethal as the one we are about to reveal. Five deadly venoms. A secret society, each man unknown to the other, identified only by a mass representing one of nature's deadly assassins, the centipede, the snake, the scorpion, the lizard, and the toad. Five deadly venoms, five masters in the martial arts, each man pitted against the other in savage combat, and each trained in their own vicious method of killing. They practiced a special kind of kung fu, killing by instinct, with machine-like precision, lightning speed, and ruthless power, as ferocious and deadly as the venomous creatures from which it took its name, and whose stings were always fatal. Kill or be killed. Five deadly venoms. No mercy asked, none given, in a kung fu epic as brutal as nature itself. Five deadly venoms, survival of the fittest and kung fu action at its very best in the most spectacular martial arts program of the year. Five deadly venoms, five stinging ways to die. Pick your poison, you'll be stung to your seats. Don't miss Five Deadly Venoms, a Shaw Brothers presentation. Theirs was a mission of certain death. Outnumbered and unarmed, they must get to the tyrant that enslaves their people. No weapon, no matter how lethal, can match their Kung Fu. Alexander Fusheng stars as the young martial arts expert pitted against a murderous warlord with a deadly Kung Fu skill. They live to fight and fight to live in a whirlwind of Kung Fu action. Four men sworn to battle to the death against these lawless legions of the damned. The Four Assassins.
five men of destiny await the ultimate challenge. Death and destruction were the Manchu order. They murdered their way to victory. Nothing could stop them until they met the five masters of death. Five new men of destiny. Five new deadly ministers of kung fu justice. Five new kung fu killing techniques. The whipping triple jointed stick, an avenging reaper of justice. The piercing pole, driving its way to victory. The deadly tiger stork, no one escapes. The crushing crossed fists, pounding up revenge on Manchu murderers. See the five kung fu masters of death defeat the Manchu warlords. See the five masters of death. When you're the best, you do things with style. J.J. McQuaid is the best. He's a lone wolf lawman in the Lone Star State. Even a wolf has his weaknesses. And a powerful enemy. The final showdown belongs to McQuaid. Lone Wolf McQuaid, starring Chuck Norris, David Carradine, Barbara Carrera, and Leon Isaac Kennedy. Or forgive them, because they killed his wife, they raped his daughter. And they deserve to die. So he's doing it again. His way. Charles Bronson. He's the best there is at getting even. Goodbye. Death Wish 2. Rated R. Now playing at the Sacramento Drive-In, Dome 24, Birdcage Walk, and the State in Woodland. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. The all-new process that puts you in the picture. Whether you want to be there or not. It will scare you. Count on it. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. Rated R. Now playing in Sacramento. Check newspapers for theaters and showtime. This is the movie that Rex Reed called the most horrifying motion picture I have ever seen. This film is positively ruthless in its attempt to drive you right out of your mind. Sally, I hear something. Stop! Stop! The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. From New Line Cinema. Rated R. There are killers on the loose, dressed like cops, and they always use a magnet. There's only one cop around who can crack this case. They call him Dirty Harry. In 24 hours, Harry stops a robbery, covers a stake, and prevents a hijacking. Clint Eastwood is back, and this time his world is dirtier than ever. 
Magnum Force, rated R. Opening Christmas Day at selected theaters around the country. theaters.
知道你还是会喜欢我的。Pleasure doing business with you. I 本来想推荐你上去，但你上头唔批准。点解？呢个人你应该好熟嘅。我听日要走，后日去台湾嗰单嘢，咪带埋一成咯，俾个机会啲后生仔啊嘛。一朝做贼，想做好人不容易。我已经冇咗个细佬，我唔想连你呢个朋友都冇埋。阿杰，唔再叫我做阿杰，叫阿 Sir。而家大把世界，有好多旧客要靠豪哥你拉翻嚟。我哥系产值唔系我啊！呢度已经唔系我同你嘅世界。你一喐手
，这个猪八猪头。Chuck Norris returns in Missing in Action 2, the beginning. American MIAs imprisoned and tortured. He's a soldier they couldn't hold. None of you have ever escaped, and none of you will. We're going in. He's breaking out, leading his men, and fighting back. An American hero story continues. Chuck Norris, Missing in Action 2, the beginning. Opens Friday, March 1st at a theater near you. First, they took the streets. Then, they took it all. But their next target may be their last victim. Charles Bronson, where there is no justice, there can only be vengeance. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3. Now playing. Consult your listings. 
thriller comedy that will leave you breathless. of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2 comes a movie that will leave you breathless. Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, in a Tony Scott film that critics are calling a Bonnie and Clyde for the 90s. True Romance. Rated R starts Friday, September 10th at a theater near you. Follow my instructions and we all walk away clean. Domino, you're with me on the side. Shepard, you cover the rear. What do you want me to do? All we want is the money. This is an inside job. Ten million in cash. Let's go home right now. I've seen you two. We're celebrity hostages. Dogs. Before Pulp Fiction. The original Men in Black shook the world of action cinema in the original A Better Tomorrow. Proudly presents the explosive bullet ridden sequel, A Better Tomorrow 2. Hong Kong action mavericks John Wu and Troy Hark take the heroic bloodshed genre to the next level and beyond in a violent symphony of destruction that is often imitated but never better. Chow Yun Fat, Leslie Chung, and T Long. A better tomorrow, too.
the lizard stack. The lizard is a very agile and nimble stack. It enables a man to climb like a lizard. David Rockefeller's money couldn't save him. Despite all of the hard work he did for CTO. But he's behind the latest accusations. If you disagree, then you must be a Russian agent. That's a bunch of gobbledygook. Peddling that has got to be spooked. There's not an angle I couldn't possibly juice. And if it's coming out of my mouth, it's gotta be truth. Let's keep it all cerebral. If I run for mayor, I won't be mayor. I leave it to the people. Consider this a shot across the bow. The sheeple are awakened. We gon' shake them up now. Make them well aware you are extreme liars. You create smoke, then you're like a scream fire. Like we can't see who lit it. It shows like a Saturday Night Live skit. Okay, I get it. None of these pedal projectors ever want to speak. Even though I come and visit them like once a week. Not a single thing I say is tongue in cheek. The NYPD just sprung a leak. Not one of these pedal projectors they want to speak. Even though I come and visit them like once a week. Not a single thing I say is tongue in cheek. The NYPD just sprung a leak. Bastard. You did it again. You a real hard bastard. When will it end? Say bastard, you did it again. You a real hard bastard. Now tell me when will it end?
All right, welcome to the show. I am the Hard Bastard, and uh, before we get started, I'll uh, put the link to Rumble in the YouTube chat if you want to be on screen. Uh, that is rumble.com slash users slash uh, hard news network, or yeah, slash live. Okay, start off with some polling. Trump leads over DeSantis has grown 19 points since February. Former President Trump holds a commanding 34-point lead over his nearest competitor in the uh, Republican primary field, uh, Ron DeSantis, according to Fox News, a Fox News poll. Most of the registered voters, self-identified GOP primary voters sampled, 56% support Trump for the nomination, while 22% backed DeSantis. The margin between the pair had grown 19 percentage points since February, when Trump led 43% to DeSantis's 28%. Vivek Swamy has climbed to third place in the poll with 5% after tying for fourth place in May and not being included in February survey. Former Vice President Trader Mike Pence and Senator Tim Scott tie at 4% behind him, while 3% would vote for uh, warmonger Nikki Haley. Big fat gross hog and former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, and Asa Hutchinson, who's a total bitch, are gridlocked with conservative radio house, excuse me, radio host Larry Elder, who's based at 1%. Governor Doug Burgum, I have no idea who that is. I don't know whether to praise or insult, so we'll just keep going. Former Representative Will Hurd, he's a bitch. And Miami Mayor Francis Suarez did not secure a point. Miami Mayor. I can't imagine the Miami Mayor is based, but I don't know. The poll also gauged voters' appetite for particular GOP candidates, finding that Trump has the highest number of primary considerers at 84%, while 58% said they would definitely vote for him. Another 26% said they might vote for him versus just 13% who are never Trumpers. DeSantis has the second highest number of considerers with 69%, including 30% who would definitely vote for him and 39% who might. Another 14% would never cast a ballot for him. On the Democrat side of things, the pedophile-in-chief, Joe Biden, continues to lead a field of three with 64% support, though both of his adversaries are in double digits. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who participated in a News Nation town hall Wednesday evening, has 17% backing, up from 16% in May. Then we got Marianne Williamson has climbed to 10% after posting 8% last month. Of the Democrat primary voters sampled, 49% said they would definitely vote for Biden, while 36% might vote for him and 10% would never support him. Regarding Kennedy, 14% would definitely vote for him, another 31 might, and 26 said they would never vote for him. Similarly, 14% definitely back Williamson versus 21% who might and 18% who would not consider her. Moreover, the poll finds that 17% of all respondents would be open to backing People Party candidate Cornell West in a potential three-way general election race. So, very interesting. Um, I was listening to the uh, Patrick Bet David show, and they had Colonel McGregor on, and he said some interesting shit. He doesn't think we're, that we're going to have an election. He, he thinks that shit's going to deteriorate to the degree where there's not going to be an election. Um, ultimately, though, as much as they were kind of uh, describing 
a, a doom and gloom situation. His argument is that that's ultimately what's going to cause a positive revolution in the country. The fact that people won't be able to get food or whatever is going to um, uh, force change. So we'll see. But that's interesting. That is interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's possible there's not an election. I, I don't know. I think, I think it's possible there is one, but I think these people will do anything to try to stop Trump, including canceling the election. That's their style, too. You know, Zelensky and... Did, weren't they, like, postponing elections in Canada? Like, this is the, their style, so I wouldn't be surprised. All right, now, this is so fun watching the leftists freak out over this Supreme Court decision. Um, you got this dumb white bitch uh, that came out with a tweet. This is a liberal. Uh, and she's like, uh, black people could never compete in a, in a meritocratic s system or something like that. Hilarious. Just absolutely hilarious. And, look, I don't, care. I don't care what you think of other people. I don't care if, uh, if you don't like black people, you like black people, you're neutral. I, it, none of that matters. The issue I have with leftists is that they point their fingers at other people and call them racist and try to shove all a bunch of bullshit down other people's throats that you can argue is at least according to their definition racist. Um, so, you know, I don't care if you think black people can achieve, can achieve. I don't give a fuck. But stop trying to throw that shit down my throat. Just get the fuck out of here. Anyway, Supreme Court issues a landmark ruling on affirmative action at universities. Supreme Court ruled against Harvard and the University of North Carolina's affirmative action policies in a decision that will have a profound effect on the admissions process at universities across the country. The court ruled that the race-based admissions program at Harvard violated Title VI of the Civil Rights Act and the University of North Carolina violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. The court voted 6-3 in the University of North Carolina case and 6-2 in the Harvard case. Justice Kentanji Brown-Jogger Jackson, a Harvard graduate and former Harvard board member, recused herself from the Harvard case. Justices Roberts, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett voted with the majority in both cases. John Roberts said eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. Nothing in this opinion should be construed as prohibiting universities from considering an applicant's discussion of how race affected his or her life, be it through discrimination, inspiration, or otherwise. But despite the dissent's assertion to the contrary, universities may not simply establish through application essays or other means the regime uh, we hold unlawful today. Justice Jackson in Sotomayor wrote dissents. Sotomayor accused the majority of further entrenching racial inequality in, in education. <clears throat> Today, quote, uh, this court stands in the way and rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress, cements a superficial rule of colorblindness and a constitutional principle in an endemically segregated society where race has always mattered and continues to matter. The ruling resolves a pair of cases from students against Harvard and the University of North Carolina. A group called Students for Fair Admissions sued the elite schools, accusing them of unfairly factoring race in the admissions processes. The group pointed to the highest test scores, uh, test scores of Asian American and white applicants who were rejected. Students for Fair Admissions argued that Harvard violated Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, which prohibits racial discrimination by schools that receive federal funding. In another case, the group accused the University of North Carolina of violating the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause by considering race in its admission process. 
one uh, student group attorney, Patrick Strawbridge, says racial classifications are wrong. This court has always said that racial classifications are invidious. The plaintiffs have asked the Supreme Court to overrule uh, Grutter v. Bollinger, in which the court ruled that the University of Michigan Law School may consider race in its admission process. At the time Grutter was decided, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor said, we expect that 25 years from now, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary. In the court's opinion, Thursday, Roberts noted that two decades have passed since the Grutter decision. 20 years have passed since Grutter, with no end to race-based college admissions in sight, but the court has permitted race-based college admissions only within the confines of narrow restrictions. Such admissions programs must comply with strict, strict scrutiny may never use race as a stereotype or a negative, and must at some point end. Both Harvard's and North Carolina's admission systems were, however well-intentioned and implemented in good faith, fail each of these criteria. During opening arguments, several of the court's conservative justices questioned the merits of race-based admissions, sparking speculation that they would rule against affirmative action. Barrett says, when does it end? When is your sunset? When will you know? What if it continues to be difficult in another 25 years? Clarence Thomas said, I've heard the word diversity a number of times, and I don't have a clue what it means. It means the elimination of uh, white people, Justice Thomas, <clears throat> adding, and in some instances, Asians, depending on, it really depends on if leftists can use the Asians for political gain or not. If they can use the Asians for political gain, they pretend to love the Asians. If the Asians are getting away, excuse me, if the Asians are getting in the way of any sort of uh, leftist bullshit, then they will turn on them, say that they are uh, Asian supremacists, which is just like white supremacy. Anyway, he said he doesn't put much stock in arguments for diversity because he's heard similar arguments for segregation. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. Hundreds of universities that consider race and in uh, admissions and scholarship decisions will now have to find non-race-related ways to replace affirmative action. So the problem here, and this is good that you know they ruled this way. The problem here, commies never stop. They never stop. So they're going to figure out loopholes, or they're just going to ignore the ruling and do whatever the fuck they want, because that's what commies do. So uh, you're going to have to prosecute. I don't know what the legal penalties for not following this are, but whatever they are, you have to enforce them. Um, a, a key part with getting rid of the commies is you have to rule against them legally, and then, as importantly, enforce the fucking law as harsh as legally possible against them. That's the only way, uh, and then maybe you know, that won't even work. Who knows? I mean, it's, it's like it's like a non—it's like a horde of zombies, just nonstop, one wave after the other. It just, it just doesn't stop. But anyway, Cornell University already established a task force to figure out how the school will continue to recruit diverse classes. Some schools have already begun to move away from using standardized test scores in the admissions process, as the argument that standardized tests harms minority students picks up steam. In March, Columbia University became the first Ivy League school to permanently scrap its standardized test requirement, allowing hopeful applicants to skip the dreaded SAT and ACT. Previously, a low SAT or ACT score meant automatic elimination at most top-tier schools. Some schools are considering requiring more essays for admission to get a better idea of a student's background, while others plan to recruit students from minority areas or admit more students Transfer, uh, transferring from community colleges. Back in 95, University of California System Board of Regents banned affirmative action 
So UC adopted roundabout ways of trying to identify minority students, such as through poor neighborhoods and family income. The ruling will likely spark future legal challenges from affirmative action supporters. Meanwhile, a majority of Americans, 62%, oppose race-based college admissions, according to a recent Reuters poll. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, look, if you're trying to get into college, you, you might have to pretend. you got to pretend to be something. Uh, if you're white and trying to get into college, you got to pretend. Uh, or in this instance, in colleges, if you're like Indian or, or, or Chinese or whatever, you got to, yeah, you got to say you're a rabid homosexual. I don't know what you're going to have to say. You can say, I'm a rabid homosexual. I am uh, oppressed because of, you know, my ability to suck cock should be unfettered, unfettered, and, uh, and they're putting the chains on me. They're stopping me from my unfettered cocksucking as a rabid homosexual. Write an, write an essay about that. You'll probably get in. <clears throat> I think I would pretend to be Native American, like hardcore, you know, grow the hair longer, wear those uh, shirts with like, I don't know, you know, you've seen them. You got like a button-down shirt, maybe with like an arrow sewn on or whatever. Call everyone brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. I don't know why that to me is a Native American stereotype, but that's what I would do. And, and, and you could say, well, you wouldn't fool any Native Americans. Yeah, I know I wouldn't fool any of them, but I'm not trying to f fool Native Americans. I'm trying to fool commie retards. And I bet you I could fool commie retards. I bet you. But anyway, it's not going not gonna to have to do that, uh, hopefully. <clears throat> Maybe to get out of this neighborhood one day, I'll have to do that undercover. I'd be like, no, I was Indian the whole time, brother. Okay, now, um, now this was, uh, this is, I think, this was kind of buried because the affirmative action thing is such a big deal. This is a good one, too. Supreme Court expands protections for religious employees. That's very good. Federal law grants Christian employees greater workplace protections than employers for decades thought they were required to grant Christians and members of other faiths as well, following a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court Thursday. I've said this before. The Christians have to retake their space in society because if you don't, it's clear what they want to do to you. I mean, they want to do this shit to all of us, but they, they really don't like the Christians. They want to completely eliminate the Christians. So if the Christians are not fighting for their space, and probably, you could argue, fighting for more, uh, then, you know, it's not going to be good. So I'm glad to see this. Lawyers from First Liberty Institute filed suit when a Christian postal worker was fired from the Postal Service, asking Supreme Court litigator Aaron Street from Baker Botts, a former law clerk of the late Justice William Rehnquist, to lead and argue the case, raising serious religious liberty issues under federal civil rights laws. Gerald Groff is an evangelical Christian who believes, for religious reasons, that Sunday should be devoted up to worship and rest. Justice Alito began for a unanimous court. I'm surprised this was unanimous. Since its passage, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 has made it unlawful for covered employ employers to fail or refuse to hire or to discharge any individual or otherwise to discriminate against any individual with respect to his compensation, terms, conditions, or privileges of employment because of the individual's religion. Alito wrote, quoting Title VII, as originally enacted, Title VII did not spell out what it meant by discrimination because of religion, but shortly after the statute's passage, the EEOC interpreted that provision to mean 
employers were sometimes required to accommodate the reasonable religious needs of employees. This led to confusion, however, especially in an era when the Supreme Court followed a misinterpretation of the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, which disallows government establishment of religion, which the Supreme Court did not correct until 2022, when it held Kennedy v. Bremerton School District that re religious establishments are whatever they were in 1791 in an era very friendly and respectful regarding religious beliefs and practice. So Congress in 1972 amended Title VII to clarify what it meant by religious discrimination, with Alito explaining, Congress provided the term religion includes, provided that the term religion includes all aspects of religious observance and practice as well as belief, unless an employer demonstrates that he is unable to reasonably accommodate to an employee's or prospective employee's religious observance or practice without undue hardship on the conduct of the employer's business. Then in 77, the Supreme Court decided TWA v. Hardison, which deeply confused everyone about what the new Title VII language meant, mentioning that anything more than a de minimis cost, de minimis is Latin meaning extremely small or minimal, would be an undue burden under Title VII. The EEOC has also accepted Hardison as prescribing a more than minimum cost test, but has tried in some ways to soften its impact. It has specifically cautioned against extending the phrase to cover such things as the administrative costs involving in reworking schedules, the infrequent or temporary payment of premium wages for a substitute, and voluntary substitutes and swaps when they're not contrary to a bona fide seniority system. Then Alito dropped the hammer on what woke employers and left-wing activists have latched onto for years, writing, we hold that showing more than the minimum cost, as the phrase is used in common parlance, does not suffice, suffice to establish undue hardship under Title VII. We therefore, like the parties, understand Hardison to mean that undue hardship is shown when a burden is substantial in the overall context of an employer's business. Under any definition, a hardship is more severe than a mere burden. So even if Title VII said that only an employer need not be made to suffer a hardship, an employer could not escape liability simply by showing that an accommodation would impose some sort of additional cost. Those costs would have had to rise to the level of hardship, and adding the modifier undo means that the requisite burden pri privation or adversity must rise to an excessive or unjustifiable level. When undue hardship is understood in this way, it means something very different from a burden that is merely more than the minimum, i.e. something that is very small or trifling. So considering ordinary meaning, while taking Hardison as a given, we are pointed towards something closer to Hardison's references to substantial additional costs or substantial expenditures. An employer who fails to provide an accommodation has a defense only if the hardship is undue, and a hardship that is attributable to employee animosity to a particular religion or religion in general or to the very notion of accommodating religious practice cannot be considered undue. Title VII requires an employer reasonably accommodate an employer's practice of religion, not merely that it assesses the reasonableness of a particular possible accommodation or accommodations. The distinction matters, Alito clarified. Faced with an accommodation request like Groff's, it would not be enough for an employer to conclude that forcing other employees to work overtime would constitute an undue hardship. 
Consideration of other options, such as voluntary shift swapping, would also be necessary. The Supreme Court left it in the lower courts to develop this standard, but this decision is a major win for Americans of faith in the workplace. At a time when many employees face increasing pressure by woke companies on LGBT issues that conflict with their religious beliefs. The case of Graffi DeJoy, uh, oh, that was, yeah, okay, that's okay. Um, yeah, and I, I hope, I don't know, maybe Christians can figure out a way to prevent the LGBT stuff from getting shoved down everyone's throat. Just uh, say that it's against your religion. And, uh, of course, it takes years for this shit to get argued. and There's no guarantee it's going to go up to the Supreme Court. But good. Uh, good ruling. I think that's uh, fantastic. All right, so um, it's just the, the, the gayest of ops, the gayest of ops. So they make a big deal. Uh, and I forget who came out with the 72-hour rule, uh, whoever did, credit to them. 72-hour rule is whatever hair on fire narrative they have about Donald Trump, give it 72 hours, it, it almost always falls apart. So this whole recording thing has completely fallen apart because they were saying this is the evidence that it's case closed with. Jack Smith's case against Trump in Florida and blah, 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 blah. And it turns out that the Department of Justice didn't charge Trump over the alleged Iran document in audio recording. Whoops. So um, it's not surprising, but this is what they do. They, they, and they are clearly trying this in the media, uh, which is not going to work because what, what is your goal to try this in the media? To get... Uh, Trump supporters and people not to vote for Trump, uh, uh, it's not going to work. Who gives a fuck about this goddamn shit? Who, really, who cares? Especially after Hillary Clinton, who gives a fucking shit about this? People are going to care about the economy. They're not going to give a fuck about Donald Trump and classified documents. Are you kidding me? And it doesn't look like the economy is going to be good. Even if you pretend that the economy is good, people know it's horrible because they go to the grocery store and milk is $6 a gallon. And gas, gas is now going up. It's almost $4 a gallon. It's fucking ridiculous. Um, which makes me think that once that becomes clear, that they might try to cancel the election. You know, it's, I don't know, we'll see. The alleged Iran document at the center of a recorded conversation thought to be a key piece of evidence in former President Trump's classified documents case is reportedly not included in his indictment. Trump was caught on a recording, allegedly showing a classified document with details. Was he caught, Daily Wire? He was caught? Okay, okay. He got caught on a recording that he uh, consented to. Yeah, they caught him. Oh, they caught him, this guy. Anyway, whatever. Trump was caught on a recording, allegedly showing a classified document with details relating to a possible U.S. invasion plan of Iran. The document totally wins my case, Trump said in the audio. Trump reportedly pulled out the document while denying claims that... Um, Mark Milley spent the final days of the Trump administration restraining the then-president from attacking Iran. A source familiar with the matter told CBS News that the document in question is not part of the charging document filed in federal court in Florida earlier this month. The indictment charges Trump with 37 counts, including 31 counts of willfully retaining national security inf information. The 31 counts relating to the national security information briefly and vaguely describes the underlying documents in question, 
The charges do not include one based on the alleged Iran attack document that Trump spoke of in the recording. Sources have previously told CBS News that a document like the one allegedly at the center of the audio recording was never recovered. Gee, I wonder why. Attempting to prosecute Trump over a document that was never found would be like trying to prove a murder case without a body, a former senior Justice Department official said. Yeah, but they've been, first of all, it's a good analogy. They've been doing that this whole time. This whole time, they have been trying to prove a murder case without a body. That's why a lot of times when they're talking about Trump's criminality, they compare it to murder and they bring up murder because they have to bring up an actual crime, which is funny because you hear like them bring up like a, a Trump firing James Comey and then they start talking about murder. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious because they have nothing. <clears throat> well, what if Trump raped someone? Well, then he would have been in trouble for raping someone. Okay, I'm not talking about E. Jean Carroll. That was fucking bullshit. I'm talking about in the analogy an actual rape, not something that was stolen from a Law and Order episode. Anyway, oh, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I have it here. Uh, Trump is suing E. Jean Carroll. Good, fucking sue that skeletal bitch into the ground. Don't let them get away with this shit. Absolutely, sue that whore. Absolutely, fantastic. The indictment cites uh, the incident that resulted in the recording as an example of Trump's alleged misconduct with classified U.S. documents, according to CBS News. The indictment says Trump allegedly showed the document during an audio-recorded meeting with a writer, a publisher, and two members of his staff, none of whom possessed a security clearance. Audio of the meeting was obtained by multiple media outlets, and they all lit their hair on fire and said, we got him this time, we got him, case closed, what more evidence do you need? And then Trump denied that there was a document. He said there was no document. There was a massive amount of papers and everything else about talking about Iran and other things. And it may have, it may have been held up or it may have not, but that was not a document. I didn't have any documents per se. There was nothing to declassify. These were newspaper stories, magazine stories, and article. So, yeah, there you go. What are you going to do? It's just uh, amazing. Oh, I forgot. This should have gone next to the... Uh, Supreme Court article. Uh, now here is the lunatics uh, freaking out about uh, affirmative, uh, affirmative uh, action being, uh, well, probably done away with, but again, the commies are probably going to ignore it. Um, leftist politicians and pundits expressed rage on Thursday after a landmark Supreme Court decision was released that struck down race-based admissions policies. In a 6-3 decision, they just go, we went over it. Then we got uh, Saggy Nancy said the ruling diminished hard-fought progress for racial justice. Roberts' majority opinion does violence to justice and fairness in America, Pelosi wrote. In contrast, Jackson's powerful dissent is inspiring to us as we continue to fight to widen the path to success for all Americans. Then we got Senate Majority Leader Cuck Schumer said the decision was misguided. The Supreme oh, by the way, as I read these, remember that if you criticize the FBI, the CIA, anyone that, that uh, does something that they agree with, you're a fucking terrorist, okay? But, uh, to suggest that these, um, uh, what do they call them, institutions are in any way illegitimate or, or in any way make a, uh, make a mistake, you are a terrorist. You are inciting violence. You are undermining democracy. So just keep that in mind as I read these. So Cuck Schumer said the decision was misguided. The Supreme Court ruling has put a giant roadblock in our country's march for racial justice. That's all made up. 
There's no march for racial justice. It's a march to use uh, race as a cudgel against white people as severely as possible. That's the march. The consequences of this decision will be felt immediately and across the country as students of color will face an admission cycle next year with fewer opportunities to attend the same colleges and universities than their parents and older siblings. Former President Beth House Barry Obama said the court's ruling would hamper minorities' educational opportunities. He said affirmative action was never a complete answer in the drive towards a more just society. But for generations of students who had been systemically excluded from most of America's key institutions, it gave us the chance to show we more than deserved a seat at the table in the wake of the Supreme Court's recent decision. It's time to redouble our effort. Then we have ABC News commentator and former acting Democrat National Committee who has a big black dick, and I'm quoting her, I'm not saying that. Uh, for example, Michelle Obama, I also believe, has a big black dick, but I don't believe there is a quote or a passage in a book written by Michelle Obama talking about their big black dick. But when it comes to Donna Brazil, Donna Brazil has talked about how she has a big black dick and was talking about her dick is the biggest, and that shit's hilarious to me. Anyway. Donna Brazil said the justices that supported the decision whitewashed the Constitution. Big Dick Donna said, uh, I am shocked by the fact that in a majority opinion, they basically whitewashed the Constitution in a way that basically says we were right all along. The 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause, would guarantee us a colorblind society. And now the most effective tool, an affirmative tool to eliminate barriers, a tool that would give us opportunity, is now weakened. The Russians came like a thief in the night. Shout out to Dave McDowell. Activist and MSNBC commentator Al Sharpton, who, like Maxine Waters, looks like a shriveled up cigar store Indian, said, I think that's tantamount to sticking a dagger in our back because what they have said now is that it's unconstitutional to even consider race. It's completely a throw to the wind, the history of why we needed affirmative action in the first place. Princeton professor and lunatic Eddie Gloud predicted a kind of segregated higher education landscape would emerge. Yeah, but you, you have argued for that. You're just getting what you want. Give commies what they want. Okay, I, 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 so you are for the segregation when it's a black only space. Great, have your black only space. Okay, oh, you don't like free speech? Okay, we'll take away their free speech. They don't want free, they, they don't believe in free speech. They tried to censor us, so take theirs. That's, they don't want it. Why, you know, I think that's, they have provided the blueprint on how to marginalize them. So we'll see. I tell you, I was blown away. Donald Trump, and I'm not saying I think it's going to happen. I'd love for it to happen. But I, just, I was blown away Donald Trump was talking about the commies and not letting commies in. And then what are we going to do with the commies already in the country? Holy shit. I'm not, look, I'm not optimistic from the standpoint of I just think they're going to fucking, they will blow the world up in a nuclear war with Russia before allowing Trump in. I hope I'm wrong about that, but that's my read. So the likelihood of Trump getting in office and all this working out, it's small. I'm not saying it's impossible, though. And I'm here to watch to see what happens. And I'm rooting for it. I'm rooting for that. It would be glorious if that's the case. But just to hear him say that, that's, that's pretty good. I like that. That's got to be Stephen Miller. Or look, maybe it's Trump, too. I'm not saying Trump doesn't do anything. I'm just saying that, you know, uh, Trump needs to surround himself with better people. 
and he doesn't really surround himself usually with good people because he allows people like Jason Miller to be around. He's the bad Miller. Stephen is the good Miller. Um, but uh, then you know he starts talking about commies like that, Marxists. Good. Uh, that's uh, that's a positive. I'm very happy about that. Um, anyway, so um, yeah, and then they just go into Roberts and what he wrote, and then students for a fair students for fair admissions. We covered that. And then we had um, Tom Cotton is for it. Uh, Chip Rory said uh, conservatives should be careful to not allow universities to get around the ruling. See, there we go. There we go. See, I, I don't I think Chip Rory is the only one so far that is basically saying, look, you've got to enforce this. The commies uh, are going to try to get around it. He said when the school still takes steps to accomplish the race based objective, we still Will we still fund higher ed at high levels and subsidize loan to those schools asking for a friend? Exactly. Take the fucking money if they don't obey. Good for you. All right. Chip Roy seems decent. Of course, they're all politicians. They always disappoint. But uh, all right, now we got an IRS whistleblower. Says Hunter Biden received $8.3 million from overseas deals. Says agents were not allowed to ask questions. IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley alleged on Tuesday... Hunter Biden received $8.3 million from overseas business dealings between 2014 and 2019. His father, Joe Biden, was vice president under Bathhouse Barry Obama from 2008 to 2016. Uh, and a senator before that, Biden's repeatedly said he had no knowledge of his son's business affairs in Ukraine and China. We weren't allowed to ask questions about that, Shapley told Fox. We weren't allowed to ask about the big guy. We weren't allowed. Oh, really? I thought, oh, that's interesting. The big guy, that that's nothing. That doesn't exist. But you're not allowed to ask about it. Ah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Fascinating turn of events. He says we weren't allowed to ask about the big guy. We weren't allowed to include certain names and document requests and search warrants. So we were precluded from following that line of questioning. Chapley revealed to Congress he believes with evidence that the Department of Justice <clears throat> obstructed the investigation the IRS was performing into Hunter Biden's taxes. He stated in testimony, as soon as Joe Biden became the apparent Democrat nominee for president in 2020, the investigation slowed with the DOJ essentially refusing to take action. <clears throat> the whole thing got mired in red tape and delays. The investigation was forced to stop prior to the 2020 election, and when it resumed after the election, there were further delays and blocks from the Department of Justice. One moment. <clears throat> okay. We were conducting an investigation of Hunter Biden, Shapley said, and we were trying to follow the normal process. We're trying to get to the bottom of it. And ultimately, it was going to lead, if it was going to lead to another individual, we should follow that to determine what's happening. There were definitely hindrances that I've never seen before in my 14 years concerning this investigation that didn't allow us to follow through. So good for Shapley that he's a whistleblower. He, I hope he has very good security, but uh, good for him. All right, Tucker Carlson's new plan has been revealed. Tucker Carlson is raising funds to start a new media venture. Good, good. Carlson is reportedly fundraising for the venture with a vast majority of his former Fox News staff set to join him. It's increasingly possible that the Twitter show is a top of funnel play for other things Tucker may soon have cooking. In fact, I'm told he's raising capital to launch a new company that may yet prove more influential. That would be fantastic. Tucker's new media play might, if executed adroitly, okay, 
serve as a paradigm for a generation of TV news personalities which, with huge followings and fandoms who remained marooned to their desks amid shrinking audiences. Fox News fired the remaining staffers from Carlson's show on Monday, announcing a new primetime lineup. The network let go of at least nine staffers, including longstanding producers, in a move described as shockingly callous by one Fox News producer. Another former Fox producer told The Daily Caller that staffers on Carlson's team were repeatedly told, following his departure, that their jobs were safe, including a, as recently as last week. Fox announced in late April it was parting ways with... Uh, Carlson, Fox News issued a cease and desist to Carlson in mid-June after accusing him of breaching his contract. And what's great about that is Carlson has ignored that and he has continued to put out fucking bangers. He's, I think he's released seven so far. Pretty good. Real eye-pokey. He's really like he... he for three minutes in, he's talking shit about Victoria Newland. It's just, it's fantastic. That was fantastic. So hopefully it continues. Hopefully... This is going to be something different, something independent. You know, things usually don't work out that way, but it's so far so good with Tucker Carlson, I gotta say. Um, okay. Oh yeah. Here is uh, here is more uh, evidence uh, that they claim uh, th th that this has never happened. Here's another piece of evidence that it in fact did. Another violent January sixth prisoner reveals that he is an Antifa operative and a communist. Oh, I thought that didn't exist. On Wednesday, the Gateway Pundit spoke with January 6th political prisoner Barry Ramey from his prison cell where he's now being held. Barry told us about an Antifa activist, Josiah Kenyon, who admitted to being a communist and a Trump hater and told police he went to the Capitol on January 6th hoping to see Trump supporters killed by police. Uh, here is the interview. But first, here's a recap of the Antifa activists we know who infiltrated the Trump crowds on January 6th to cause violence and mayhem. In a March 2021 ex-Capitol Police, in March 2021, ex-Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund dropped a bombshell on lawmakers in his opening statement during a hearing before the Senate Rules and Homeland Security Committee. Mr. Sun testified that according to intelligence gathered by law enforcement groups, members of the Proud Boys, white supremacist groups, Antifa, and other extremist groups were expected to participate on January 6th, and they may have been inclined to become violent. According to a former FBI agent on the ground at the U.S. Capitol, at least one busload of Antifa goons infiltrated the Trump rally as part of a false flag operation. Michael Waller, a senior analyst for strategy at the Center for Security Policy, specializing in propaganda, political warfare, psychological warfare, and subversion, said he was at the Capitol on January 6th and witnessed plainclothes militants, militant aggressive men in Donald Trump and MAGA gear at a front police line at the base of the temporary presidential inauguration platform, agent provocateurs, scattered groups of men exhorting the marchers to gather closely and tightly toward the center of the outside of the Capitol building and prevent them from leaving, fake Trump protesters, a few young men wearing Trump or MAGA hats backwards, and who did not fit in with the rest of the crowd in terms of their actions and demeanor, who I presume to be Antifa or other leftist agitators, and disciplined, un uh, uniformed uh, column of attackers, a column of organized, disciplined men wearing similar but not identical camouflage uniforms and black gear, some with helmets and GoPro cameras, or wearing subdued Punisher skull patches. 
Well-known Antifa insurgents leader John Earl Sullivan was arrested in Utah after the U.S. Capitol riots. He was caught on video posing as a Trump supporter during the rioting at the U.S. Capitol. On January 6, three Antifa protesters from Michigan, including BLM tranny activist Logan Leslie Grimes, were riding in a car with an illegal firearm on January 6. The Antifa rioters were captured and released and did not face trial for their crimes. At least one Trump supporter is sitting in prison today for the same crime. Earlier this month, the Gateway Pundit interviewed January 6th Antifa whistleblower Landon Copeland from prison. Copeland told the Gateway Pundit's Jim Hoft that 100-plus Antifa members took part in the planning session on January 5th in the D.C. area. According to one former FBI agent on the ground at the U.S. Capitol, at least one busload of Antifa thugs infiltrated the Trump demonstrations on January 6th. Here is the interview. Barry disclosed another Antifa activist who was arrested following his violent actions on January 6, 2021. Kenyon beat out a window and assaulted police with a table leg with a screw sticking out the end. Here's what Barry told us. He said, this was approximately about three months ago. We got a message from the outside that one of the people that were being detained with and had been detained with at other facilities by the name of Josiah Kenyon, that his debriefing with the FBI was recently made public. At that time, in his debriefing, it came out that he had told FBI agents while being investigated in an interview that he had said he was pro-communism. He hated Trump, and he went to January 6th for some pretty nefarious reasons. And those reasons were to intentionally be a provocateur in hoping to entice Trump supporters to charge police and get shot. Those were uh, almost verbatim, verbatim his words. Um, we asked him a bunch of questions and he began to answer them. He did confirm that he told the FBI that he said that he was loosely affiliated with Antifa. He drove up to the Capitol from Alabama where he was trying to stay with his mother. He met the day before on January 5th with an individual that was curating three charter buses with approximately a total of 100 people from all over the country that were there for similar reasons as he was. He said that this individual specifically told him that they were going to the Capitol. He didn't know what he was going to be doing. So these people had already known uh, somehow that something was going to be taking place at the Capitol. I sure as heck didn't know what was going to happen or that I'd be going to the Capitol. I can't think of any other Trump protesters that went up there that day that could imagine they were going to the Capitol. Josiah said that he was on January 6th handing out PCP lace cigarettes to individuals. And again, this was witnessed by multiple people, not just myself. And he began to tell me that after January 6th, he went to the state of Oregon where he fled. Josiah Kenyon fled to Oregon after January 6th and was kept safe from authorities inside an Antifa compound near Portland. Kenyon was later picked up by the FBI in Reno, Nevada, where allegedly the questioning took place. Jim Hoffs asked, tell me more about Josiah Kenyon. He said he ran into some people who were traveling to the Capitol in buses or allegedly came in buses. And did you say that was the day before or was that the day of? Barry says, that was the day before. He was at an area referred to as the mall. He was sitting outside and he was told to find an individual that was driving, I believe, a silver Echo, an older model car. And he met this individual. This individual was followed by three buses that were parked in, uh, like in a cul-de-sac on the side of the road, I believe. And he was meeting with a couple of other people like Josiah that had traveled up there to get engaged in this type of behavior. And this individual knew that whatever they were going to do was going to be done at the Capitol the following day. The DOJ prosecutors reportedly argued 
for less time for Josiah after they found out he was pro-communism and an Antifa member. Barry said, Josiah said there was approximately 100 people scattered through three fully-sized charter buses. Josiah was actually seen on camera that day wearing a skeleton jacket, which is the character from, I believe, Nightmare Before Christmas. He was charged with uh, 111B, where he's seen on camera beating an officer with a table leg with a screw sticking out of it and then retreated back to the crowd. What we all found also extremely strange as upstairs Negar vacuums his floor, it's good to be clean, and this can also be proven by court documents and testimonies that I believe the recommendation from the prosecutor was something around 110 months. Josiah has a criminal history as well. But we, what we found weird, though, is after the statements were released and became public that he was pro-communism, loosely affiliated with Antifa, the prosecution actually argued and were successful at argue, arguing for less time at his sentencing against their own recommendation. When we have seen a situ, uh, when have we seen a situation where the prosecution in these January 6 cases is arguing for less time for someone? That just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that would be. Um, yeah, because they're communist, and the only person treated with kid gloves so far is uh, Ray Epps. Ray Epps. All right, let's get into the um, pedophile, the leftist communist pedophile uh, part of the program here. Okay, here we have. Um, actually, give me uh, give me eight seconds. Let's see if that's accurate. Okay, that was about eight seconds. It's unusual. Normally I'm either way high or way low. Now, you might recall this video where the pedophile homosexuals say that um, they're coming for your kids. Well, they're doing damage control on it. This is uh, NBC News. NBC News. Uh, they were roasted after it published an article that seemingly attempted to explain away a chant at New York City Pride, where AIDS commie pedophiles uh, said, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. The article cited longtime March attendees, by the way, one of which, and this was pointed out by, I believe, Shoe on Head, one of them is a literal NAMBLA activist. So, obviously, I mean, it makes total sense that NBC, they're very pro-pedophile, and in order to to uh, write a pro-pedophile story, they're going to reach one of their pedophile experts, a literal fucking pedophile, and they're going to ask the pedophile. Makes sense. Makes sense. Anyway, the article cites longtime March attendees and gay rights activists, i.e. pedophiles, who claim the chant has been used at Pride events for several years, at least shocking news of the day. Yeah, there have been activists, Christian activists, since at least the 70s, probably before that, that rightfully pointed out that there is a, a large issue with pedophilia inside the LGBT, and they were ignored, and they turned out to be 100% correct. So yeah, we know that this pedophile shit has been going on for fucking years. We know. We know that. We know that. According to organizers interviewed by NBC, the chant was meant to be lighthearted and poke fun at anti-LGBTQ sentiment. Just a joke, bro. NYC Drag March organizer Brian Griffin told the outlet that it was relatively mild compared to previous ones, saying that he joked about sex toys and pubic hair at previous Pride events. And get this quote, ladies and gentlemen. Griffin said, 
It's all just words. Oh, it's all just words. Well, Brian, nigger and faggot are also just words, but you guys freak out anytime someone says that. So are they all just words? Because I don't believe you believe that. I believe that, but I think that it's important that you're being clear on what your sentiment is. Your sentiment is you're coming for the kids. Guess what? We all know. We know you're coming for the kids. It's the most obvious shit ever. The only people denying it are the people protecting the pedophiles, the Emma Viglins of the world. Anyway, it's all presented to fulfill their worst stereotypes of us. Well, the worst stereotypes of you are true, so what are you going to do? Activists told NBC the chant is one of many provocative expressions used to regain control of slurs against LGBTQ people. <laughs> and in this case, they said right-wing activists are jumping on a single video. No, 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 homo. We are not jumping on a single video. We are, we are jumping on a fucking bukkake of evidence that you are coming for the kids. That is insane. That is... Still, it's things that I'm like, man, is this really happening? Like, yeah, wow, it is really. It's a bold move. These motherfuckers are bold. They got little kids doing strip shows in front of homosexual pedophiles. There's a new video out. I don't know who it is. Make no mistake, whoever, whatever 12-year-old that is in that video might have been Desmond is amazing. I don't know. That, and I'm not being hyperbolic at all. That is a trafficked child. That is a trafficked child. Make no mistake about it. That kid that you see on stage stripping and dancing in front of the homosexual pedophiles is a trafficked child. They are doing trafficking out in the open while simultaneously saying it doesn't exist. It's fascinating. Continuing. And in this case, they said right-wing activists are jumping onto a single video to weaponize an out-of-context remark to further stigmatize the queer community. Uh, you're stigmatizing yourself, okay? Um... Now, what was interesting is NBC News came out with this lie, and then you got community notes. So this is what NBC News tweeted. The coming for your children chant has been used for years at Pride events, according to longtime March attendees and gay rights activists. who said it's one of many provocative expressions used to regain control of slurs against LGBTQ people. And then the community notes said, coming for your children is not a historical part of Pride. The chant appears to originate from the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir singing a song with the title two years ago. The article is thus a misrepresentation of Pride's history. Previous chants at Pride events in New York have included other allusions to targeting children. Quote, 10% is not enough. Groom, groom, groom. And violent chants, kill, kill, kill. We're coming to kill the mayor. Uh, that's okay. I, my chant is, let's make 41% 100%. The NYC Drag March launched in 1994 as a protest when Pride March officials exiled drag queens from the event out of fear it would deter corporate sponsorship has been known for its problematic politics and flashy costuming. The controversial chanting came as Pride festivities across the U.S. and Canada this past week featured rampant nudity, including a parade in Seattle where naked men rode bikes in front of children. They were all, it wasn't just Seattle, it was Toronto, it was a bunch of places, New York, where they're putting, they're putting their cocks in these kids' faces, ridiculous. NBC was widely roasted online by conservative commentators who mocked the article and claimed that the coming for your children chant was commonplace at Pride events. A community note was added. 
Uh, Libs TikTok said, guys, it's totally fine that they chanted we're coming for your children because they do it every year and they also chant about sex toys and pubic hair and killing people. It's all just words, say the people who for forced preferred pronouns on us and constantly changed our language. Michael Knowles says, these guys haven't suddenly become groomers. They've been groomers for years. Yes, that is true. We should have listened to the motherfuckers in the 70s. Um... Molly Hemingway said, we've been saying this for years, makes it worse, not better, but interesting propaganda spin here. So, yeah, not surprised at all. Now we have a pedophile working for NBC goes into hiding after blaming conservatives for the chant. By the way, this is the, I'm not playing any of these, but this was the disgusting, fat, uh, gross, homosexual pedophile who opened his ass up to the kids. I believe. I've not seen the video. He either twerked in front of the kids or opened up his ass. And, and if you're like, well, because, you know, the, the hair splitters and the defenders of the pedophiles, they'll be like, well, he didn't actually open up his ass. Well, okay, that's fine. But I guarantee you, I've seen uh, um, stills of, of that. If it's not that guy of other people just bending their naked ass over in front of kids, okay? Frankly, that's not even the worst thing that I've seen. Um, but whatever. NBC News is in big-time damage control mode at the moment. Their quote-unquote journalist Tyler Kincaid has ducked for cover by locking his Twitter account. The move comes after his article for NBC blaming conservatives for the creepy chant of we're coming for your kids. Many members of the public are furious and calling Kincaid's piece a ludicrous attempt to shield the LGBTQ uh, community from criticism. Um... I don't, for some reason, Ben Dixon, who's got an IQ of about 6.2, um, he, um, he, he was asking for a source. I guess I, he's, a, he's an absolute pedophile defender um, and defends leftists no matter what they do. I, I think it was odd that, like, was he not buying the we're coming for your children being part of Pride? I mean, I imagine he's going to defend it no matter what. But uh, anyway, whatever. Tyler's piece suggests that it's you who's to blame for these creeps chanting about targeting your kids. He spins it to make the pedophiles the real victims. The coming for your children, quote, quoting the pedophile enabler, the coming for your children chant has been used for years at Pride events, according to longtime March attendees and gay rights activists who said it's one of many provocative expressions used to regain control of slurs against LGBTQ people. And in this case, they said right-wing activists are jumping on a single video to weaponize an out-of-context remark to further stigmatize the queer community. Uh-huh. Kincaid then interviews a hardcore gay activist to get his hot take on the situation. Apparently, they chant naughty things all the time. No big deal. I think, is this the Nambla guy? Um, I don't know. And then that was the, it's all just words guy. Apparently, a confession that they also chant blasphemy and other obscenities absolves them and makes them actually just upstanding citizens, just like you and I. Hey, remember when the big LGBTQ talking point was that they just wanted the freedom to indulge in perverted fetishes and the privacy of their own bedroom? A bedroom. According to Kincaid, it's the LGBTQ who are the victims of Republican backlash. Quote, conservative politicians and pundits have increasingly referred to advocates for LGBTQ rights as groomers, associating with people who oppose laws that restrict drag performances or classroom discussion or gender identity with pedophiles. Yes, because you are. That's why they say it. Say that, because you are. 
The charge is an echo of a decades-old trope. Okay, so th this is the same thing they say about, like, uh, Zionists. They're like, well, that's a trope. Oh, you, you think a lot of Zionists control Hollywood? That's a trope. You can call this whatever you want, but is it true or is it not true? Is it true that in the gay community there is a disproportionate amount of pedophilia? Okay, that's, that's my question. I don't care what you call it. It's fucking true, and it's a hilarious tactic where something's true and your response to it is basically stop talking about it because uh, it makes us look bad and if you don't stop talking about it we're going to hurt you that's a hell of a strategy that's not going to work especially on the internet in the information age but hey keep it up you can hey you should you know what you should do you should have a conversation with the zionists and the people in the adl you guys need to reconsider your strategy because if you look at the comment sections of everywhere on the internet you are both badly losing the information war all that shit you did to kanye west that didn't work that didn't work i don't know what's going on with him he's quiet it looks like they might have fucking uh, gave him some drugs and a new piece of ass and that's it i think he's he seems to be about done but uh you know who knows anyway back to this the charge is an echo of a decades-old trope anti-gay activists have used to paint the community as a threat to the country's youth well they obviously are yeah, at least, look, I know gay people that are not pedophiles. I have no beef with those people. If you are against this, I have no beef with you. Okay, now other people might, and then that's going to have to be resolved among all of you. And it's not, you know, I, I don't have an issue. But the political movement of LGBTQ absolutely is a threat to the nation's youth, 100%. That's why it has to be completely dismantled. It has to be completely dismantled. Um, so, yeah, no, they, they are a threat. Um, and he says, an allegation that some advocates say endangers LGBTQ people. Well, if that's true, if the allegation, if the correct allegation endangers LGBTQ people, so you need to stop trying to fuck the kids. So that's on you. You have to stop it. You need to stop it. All right. And the intense reaction to the video has scared some attendees who insist the quip has been taken out of context. Well, you should be scared. It's really scared. It's really scary to us, said one of the pedophiles. Um... It doesn't represent everybody. It represents that individual. I thought it was a dumb idea and started chanting on top of it with alternate verses. Well, you know what? This is, you, sir, madam, whatever the fuck, lunatic leftist pedophiles have completely taken over your movement. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you about that. So you're against it? Great. But you're at the pedophile march, though. That's the problem. You're at the pedophile march. I think if you were a regular person and you weren't doing damage control, you would show up to the march and you'd be like, holy shit, there's kids here. This is fucked up. I'm going to go home. That's what a normal person would do. Anyway, whatever. So when the LGBTQ warns that they're coming for your kids, you're a paranoid bigot if you believe them, right? Trust this guy, America. He'll never lie to you. And then they had the big fat pedophile. Oh, he's twerking. He didn't open his ass up. That was a different thing. Okay. He twerked. You twerked uh, to the children. Tyler appears to be yet another hardcore LGBTQ activist masquerading as a mainstream media unbiased reporter. His biography states that Tyler Kincaid is an award-winning journalist based in Los Angeles, known primarily for his coverage of abusive treatment of young people, culture war fights, sexual assault and harassment cases, extremism, and reporting on vulnerable populations. He has posted tweets in the past like this one, say... Conservatives took control of the school board in a small mountain town within a heavy GOP county. I spoke to lifelong Republicans and conservative Christians who are furious over what the board has done since. Yeah, 
you found a couple of commies in the based area. So that, that's what they do. They find subverters because subverters are everywhere. You can have the most based fucking town in the middle of some mountains and there's going to be some fucking subverters there too. So what they do is they find the subverters they, and, and, they, and the subverters are like, I can't believe what these bigots are doing. I am totally, definitely a Republican. Yeah, I'm sure you are. The thing about hiring subversive activists as journalists is they eventually uh, can't help themselves and go mask off for some reason. We don't suspect that AP and NBC are conversely hiring hardcore MAGA movement activists or DeSantis supporters to report on the Republican primary. But when it comes to topics like agribusiness or big farmer or LGBTQ, it's often the fox that's guarding the hen house. And we certainly don't expect AP or NBC News to clean house and purge the liberal activists in their midst. They hired these people for a reason. They want you fat, sedated, and gay. You can also add to that, and they want to fuck your kids. But uh, that's just I'll just add that. Just another day in the longhouse, indeed. Good article by Revolver News. Oh, guys, we got to talk about the teens. The teens are at it again. Mm. Got to watch out for those teens. Having a little bit of a teen problem around here, too. It uh, looks like uh, you can't get away from the teens. Pure chaos. Chicago neighborhood terrified as hundreds of rowdy teens shut down the street for hours. Oh, man, a group of teenagers. Hundreds of teenagers shut down a Chicago street Monday night as they gathered in the middle of the road for hours, dancing on parked cars and alarming local residents. Oh, those teenagers... Around 9 p.m., a group of teens got off the Chicago L train in the Lakeview neighborhood, which is home to Wrigley Field, and shut down Main Street for six hours, according to the Chicago Sun-Times. One resident told WGN that uh, before she called 911, she sounded the alarm. Well, good for her. Good for her. You got to sound that alarm. Then she called 911. And 911 said, there's nothing we could do. They were so overwhelmed at the moment that there were just way too many calls coming in. Police who initially arrived on the scene were vastly outnumbered by the teens. By the teens. The group started with a few dozen teens, but eventually grew to more than 300. That's a lot of teens as word spread through social media. Roddy Hashish, the owner of a restaurant right next to the train station where the teens got off, said there was no celebration last night. It was just pure chaos. Right away, we decided to close the store in the restaurant, and we stayed all night watching to make sure <clears throat> nobody broke in or nobody vandalized our business. Chicago police officers eventually controlled the crowd and moved the teenagers out of the area, but not before the group dented hoods and broke the windshields of cars that were parked on the street. Police took two people into custody as they dispersed the crowd. I imagine they let those teens out immediately. A 15-year-old girl was charged with aggravated assault of a peace officer, a felony, and a misdemeanor count of resisting or obstructing a peace officer, according to a police spokesperson. A 50-year-old man was also charged with a misdemeanor count of resisting or obstructing a peace officer. I imagine they were escorted out of the police station with a red carpet. Grace Rohan says it's terrifying... She said she also heard gunshots during the teen takeover. It's been very chaotic, and as someone who's lived in Lakeview for the past three years, it's very scary to see how things changed over time. I hear you, sister. 
Alderman Bennett Lawson released a statement Tuesday promising to meet with leaders to discuss how these disruptive actions can be prevented in the future. You're going to be called a racist, sir. You're going to be called a racist. We will be uh, meeting with the 19th District Police and others to discuss what took place and identify ways we can prevent it from occurring. Moving forward and continue conversations with my colleagues on the City Council about how we can keep our youth from participating in these disruptive actions. Well, I think there's a video, so I might as well just uh, put the speakers on here and we can uh, have a look at these teens and see what's... Uh, what these crazy kids are up to. Let's see here. Last night, the city saw its latest team take over, this time in Lakeview. Yeah, a mob of teens filled the streets, climbing onto cars, damaging the vehicles and businesses in the neighborhood. Here Jen's Kelly Davis has more. People tell me hundreds of teens poured mm. off the L here at the Belmont teens. Red Line stop. They swarmed the streets and caused chaos throughout the neighborhood. What? What? This is the scene oh, that unfolded man. just after 10 o'clock last night. Hundreds of teens took to the streets, shutting down Be Belmont for hours. There was no celebration yesterday. It was just pure chaos. Rowdy Hashish is the manager of the Slice Shop. The restaurant just steps from the Belmont Red Line stop was surrounded. He shared this video he took from inside the store of teens dancing on cars and drinking in the streets. Right away we decided to close both uh, the store and the restaurant and we just we stayed all night watching making sure nobody broke in or you know nobody vandalized our business. CPD officers worked to control the crowd and move them out of the area but the teens left behind a path of destruction. People were horrified by the extent of the damage this morning. Shoe prints on cars, hoods dented, windshields broken. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Grace Rowan said she even heard gunshots and was too scared to leave her apartment. It has been very chaotic and as somebody who's lived in Lakeview for honestly the past three years, it's very scary to see how things have changed over time. People are hoping the city steps up to prevent this from happening again. Alderman Bennett Lawson helped with cleanup this morning. He released a statement saying, quote, I will be meeting with the 19th District Police, CTA, and others to discuss what took place and identify ways we can prevent it from occurring moving forward, as well as continue conversations with my colleagues on City Council about how we can keep our youth from participating in these disruptive actions. We all simply love Lakeview, and to see others coming in and not respecting your community the same way that you do is really upsetting. Chicago police. Are so is Lakeview a white area? Did the teens invade a white area? Those white people are going to be demonized. They're going to be called racists uh, because um, according to leftist ideology, black people should not be treated like everyone else. They need to be treated with kid gloves and they should be allowed to do whatever they want. So um, I imagine they're going to have some problems uh, trying to prevent this in the future. But anyway, that's the teenager news of the day. Amazing. Um, all right, so we got this lunatic. I hope people ab absolutely rebel if they try to pull this bullshit again. We have one of the people that needs to uh, be in jail uh, saying that it's the former British health secretary said the public should expect harsher lockdowns next time. Fuck you, bitch. That's fucking crazy. Former British Health Secretary Matt Hancock is saying that the public should expect more brutal and draconian lockdown policies in the future. This guy needs to be buried under a jail. Uh, what everyone missed in the Western world was the lockdowns were going to be necessary. No, that they were not necessary at all. 
Um, he said, it's central to what we must learn as a country that we've got to be ready to hit a pandemic hard, that we've got to be able to take action, lockdown action if necessary, that is wider, earlier, more stringent, stringent and feels comfortable at that time. While Hancock was in charge of public health under now disgraced former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Britain instituted brutal lockdowns that devastated society uh, just weeks after the first COVID case uh, was reported in the country. Big League Politics has reported on how the Ching Chong AIDS opened the door for a, a soulless technocracy to take shape where civil liberties and human dignity are rapidly becoming a thing of the past. So fuck this guy. I hope if they were ever to dare to try to pull this bullshit again, that people would absolutely rebel against that. All right. So we have this interesting thing going on. Google to remove Canadian news stories after Trudeau's Online News Act would require platforms to pay for links. On Thursday, Google announced that in response to the Trudeau Liberals Online News uh, Act Bill C-18, it would be removing links to Canadian news from a number of key places on the world's most popular search engine. When the new law comes into effect, those looking for news from Canadian new news publishers will no longer be able to find such content in Google search news or discover tabs. Bill C-18 has become law and remains unworkable, Google said in a statement. The government has not given us reason to believe that the regulatory process will be able to resolve structural issues with the legislation. As a result, we've informed the government that we've made the difficult decision that when the law takes effect, we will be removing links to Canadian news from our search news and discover products and will no longer be able to operate Google News Showcase in Canada. The company went on the state that it was concerned the law would make it harder for Canadians to find news online, make it harder for journalists to reach their audiences, and reduce valuable free web traffic to Canadian public. Uh, publishers. Under C-18, companies like Google would be required to pay a link tax every time they link to a Canadian news publisher's website. Google said the decision creates uncertainty for our products and exposes us to uncapped financial liability. The company slammed the Trudeau Liberals for suggesting that it pay to host Canadian news, pointing out that such stories had been linked to, uh, to over three and a half billion times in 2022 alone at no cost. Referral traffic from the links was valued at around $250 million. Following the bill's passage, Meta also announced it would soon stop providing Canadian users with news content. So it's good that they're basically telling Canada to fuck off. I mean, Google sucks, um, so it's not like this is kind of like Rumble telling the French government to fuck off or Gab telling whoever the fuck to, to fuck off. Um, but it is interesting that they are telling Canada to fuck off here. Uh, I hope that Elon Musk, when it comes to this new hate speech law bullshit with the EU, tells them to fuck off. We'll see. He, he's signaling that he's going to cooperate, but he usually will say that and then he won't. Although things on Twitter are not great right now. So, you know, it's, and it, it's gotten a little worse, so we'll see. All right, now, we have our own hate speech law problems in this country. Michigan hate speech bill would make it a felony to cause someone to feel threatened. A Michigan hate speech bill that has passed the state house and is now in the hands of the Senate is alarming conservatives, people of faith, and legal experts. The bill HB 4474 is part of a package of legislation that would replace Michigan's existing Ethnic Intimidation Act and make it a hate crime to cause someone to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened. And now all you got to do is compare that with how leftists are always claiming 
that by you disobeying them in anything makes them feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened. And you can see how this is basically going to be carte blanche to lock up any conservative for anything. Under the bill's framework, sexual orientation and gender identity or expression are included as classes protected against intimidation. If passed, the hate speech legislation would make violators guilty of a felony punishable by up to five years in prison and a fine of 10000 Many conservatives have voiced concerns that the bill infringes on Americans' First Amendment rights. Uh, William Wagner, a professor and former federal judge and legal counsel in the U.S., joined a chorus of politicians and lawyers warning against the bill. He says, make no mistake about it, those advocating for this legislation will wield these policies as a weapon capable of destroying conservative expression or viewpoints grounded in the sacred. One merely needs to look at the scores of cases brought against schools, churches, businesses, and individuals around our country. Proponents use these laws to silence and financially cripple those who dare to adhere to a different viewpoint and oppose their agenda. The newest version of the bill, which passed the House, uses the term harassment without defining specifically what it could refer to. Intimidate means a willful course of conduct involving repeated or continued harassment of another individual that would cause a reasonable individual to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened, and that actually causes the victim to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened, the bill states. Wagner says that under the bill, someone could listen to a speaker, such as a religious preacher, or read a conservative writer and claim they're being intimidated because of their perceived gender identity is under attack. Under the legislation, intimidation and harassment could be up to interpretation of the listener and a local prosecutor, according to Wagner, who added that the bill determines what is criminal after the action, the opposite of the due process required in the Constitution. Representative Angela Regas, a Republican, told the Daily Wire that including sexual orientation and gender identity as a protected class specifically targets conservatives who speak out against radical gender ideology. She said the state of Michigan is now explicitly allowing the gender delusion issue to be used as a protected class. This opens up numerous issues when it comes to the courts and the continued weaponization of the system against conservatives. We saw similar concerns when they wanted to pass blocks on conversion therapy. Seems Dems want to be in the business of telling people how to think. We are determined to keep the choice uh, free despite those efforts. While the bill includes a brief mention of constitutionally protected speech, it does not detail how the government would address First Amendment concerns, such as religious liberty, if the legislation passes and inevitably pits those who identify as LGBTQ against people of faith who oppose such lifestyles. Uh, the bill states intimidate does not include constitutionally protected activity or conduct that serves a legitimate purpose. So they'll define what a legitimate purpose is. In a Tuesday ruling that could have implications for the hate speech legislation, the Supreme Court set new standards for what constitutes a threat, making it more difficult for a state to convict someone of making a threat. Uh, Kagan wrote, the state must show the defendant consciously disregarded a substantial risk that his communication would be viewed as threatening violence. The bill passed the Democrat-controlled House and is currently before the Senate, which is also controlled by Democrats. If passed, the bill will likely become law after a quick signature from Democrat Governor Gretchen Bitchmer. With Republicans lacking the votes to stand in the way of the legislation, conservatives will have to rely on the courts. Regas says, unfortunately, in Michigan, we've lost all three branches of power in our state. While my colleagues are introducing great bills to, the, to counter the infringements to our freedoms, there's no current way to fix these issues without the higher courts becoming involved. Yeah, I would, uh, if, you're, if you do a show like mine and you're in Michigan, 
you should probably consider getting the fuck out of there. Um, now, uh, I'm, I'm not talking shit because Pennsylvania sucks too. And I wouldn't be surprised to see this in Pennsylvania. And if Pennsylvania passed this, I'd get the fuck out as well. But, um, yeah, this is what this is why you, we're going to all have to, if you're in a blue state. If you're in a red state, you're good to go. But if you're in a blue state, at some point, we're all going to have to get the fuck out because they're going to keep doing shit like this. It's going to be uh, teenagers and hate speech laws. Incredible. So we have this uh, old woman who is complaining to lunatic AIDS commie mayor Eric Adams and just complaining about the rent being high and he basically says that he infers that she's a slaver. Eric Adams, who has a combined uh, IQ with the rest of the panel up there of about 67 uh, implied a resident was racist after she went off about sky-high rent. Quote, Adam said, First, if you're going to ask some questions, don't point to me and be respectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city and treat me with the respect I deserve to be treated. You don't deserve any respect. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you're treating someone that's on the plantation that you own. <laughs> Give me the respect I deserve and engage in the conversation up here in Washington Heights. Treat me with the same level of respect I treat you. So don't be pointing at me. Don't be disrespectful to me. Speak with me as an adult because I'm a grown man. I walked into this room as a grown man and I'll walk out of this room as a grown man. Many, many prominent people on social media criticize the mayor. Mehdi Hassan he says he's the most Trumpian Democrat in America. Power crazy and thin-skinned. Wow, Mehdi Hassan criticized. Mehdi Hassan is a piece of shit, so who cares? But that's interesting. Um, this other guy says, This response came after the woman asked the mayor why he voiced support for this year's rent hikes on stabilized apartments while other uh, counties in the state froze increases. Another person says, Get in, losers. We're kicking this man out of office in two years. Probably not. Probably not. I think New York is as rigged as it gets. But we'll see. You never know. You never know. Uh, this, this I don't care about any of this. I don't think you are responsible for the sins of your fathers and all that, whatever that saying is. That's all a bunch of bullshit. That's all just a cudgel used by commies against mainly white people. But it is funny when you can throw it in people's faces. Every living president but one is a descendant from slave owners. Oh, I wonder which one is not a slaver. Former President Donald Trump is the only living president who is not directly descended from slaveholders, according to a recent genealogical study. Oh, man. <laughs> the study undertaken by Reuters determined every living president, except for Trump, including Biden and the rest of those fucking whores, were descendants of slave owners. Of course, it should be noted Trump's family came into the United States years after slavery was abolished. The former president's grandfather came in from Germany in 1885, and his mother immigrated from Scotland in 1929. Former presidents were not the only ones to be named in the outlet's deep dive. They also looked at the number of members of Congress who had direct ancestral links to slave owners. According to the report, 100 of the 536 members of the last Congress were descended from slave owners, and some were among the most powerful and influential leaders in both parties. The report also took a deeper look at the state of South Carolina, where not only is Republican Governor Henry McMaster descended from slave owners, but every U.S. representative and U.S. senator has some ancestral tie to the institution of slavery. 
Republican senators and presidential candidate Tim Scott is descended from slaves, as is Democrat Representative Jim Clyburn. The remaining seven legislators, all of them white, are direct descendants of slave owners. Oh, man. So it was funny. Now, Trump, what, would, what would you think Trump would do here? This is the thing. If you're like a private citizen, I don't give a shit. You'd like Trump. You don't like Trump. You're offended. No problem. Whatever. It's your decision. But these political commentators that act shocked, what do you think Donald Trump did? Donald Trump put out a truth social post that was basically, what do you call it? It was like the, uh, I love, his you remember the I love Hispanics while eating a taco bowl? It was basically that, but for black people. He basically was like, hey, look, I'm the only one not descending from slaves. Hey, black people, don't forget that, okay? Now, now, if you're a private citizen and you're like, oh, I don't like that, whatever, that's fine. But these motherfuckers, specifically on the DeSantis side, it was uh, Dave Reboy. He pulled one of these. That's dis this is disgusting. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Really, it's disgusting? It's disgusting. Oh, get the fuck out of here. These people are hilarious. Hilarious. Your guy's down 40. You think by calling it disgusting, you think that people are going to go, oh, because you got to win a primary. Oh. Oh, I didn't realize Trump was disgusting. He's joking around about not being a descendant of slavers. Well, I guess I'll vote for Ron DeSantis. Idiots. Fucking idiots. All right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, they, this is a total gaslight. Um, they, and it just shows you, if you're in a blue place, you're in a catch-22 in a blue place. Because if you get assaulted by some fucking jogger, um, you defend yourself. You're probably going to jail, too. Um, and the jogger's going to get out. Now... We, what we have here is we have Penny, and then we have this black dude who defended uh, himself from joggers. And uh, the black dude rightfully is being let out. The problem is Penny is not being let out because Penny's white. Okay? So it does look like if you're black or who was the guy... Well, actually, so how do you... Yeah, okay. So you don't just get to defend yourself because we do have instances we got this black guy here then we got the guy that owned the um the deli and he was i think arab right they still fuck with you though so the arab guy remember he got arrested they put him in rikers for a few days this black dude that defended himself against crazy homeless joggers um he was arrested but the charges have been dismissed just like they were dismissed against the deli owner so if you're a white guy and you, and you defend yourself against crazy joggers, you're probably going to jail for a long time. If you're non-white, they'll arrest you, they'll fuck with you, but it does seem like they'll let you go. Um, but it's still fucking crazy. Jordan Williams, a man charged in the fatal stabbing of another rider during a confrontation on a New York City subway train in Brooklyn, will not be prosecuted. A grand jury voted not to indict Williams, a 20-year-old from Queens who claimed he was acting in self-defense on manslaughter and criminal possession of a weapon charges in connection to the June 13th encounter. Uh, that left De Victor Adrogo, De Victor Adrogo dead. I don't know, whatever the fuck that name is. We'll call him the Jogging Jogger. Our office conducted an impartial and thorough investigation of this tragic case, which included a review of multiple videos and interviews with all available witnesses, and the evidence was fairly presented. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunate because now, uh, you know, Penny is still in jail. Uh, or I, I don't think he's in jail, but he's going, probably going to be in jail. Um, the Jogging Jogger uh, was 36-year-old and homeless, 
with a criminal record, allegedly told riders on the subway car he was going to erase someone and asked Williams' girlfriend, do you want to fuck? A confrontation between the jogging jogger and Williams ensued in which witnesses said the jogger threw the first punch. Sources told the New York Post that video footage presented to the grand jury showed the jogger choking Williams and striking Williams' girlfriend in the face. The clash allegedly came to an end after Williams pulled out a knife and stabbed the jogger. After police responded to a 911 call and found the jogger at a train station, the jogger was transported to the hospital with a chest stab wound and pronounced dead. Williams was taken into custody a few stops away and later released without bail. Williams said, I was scared in that situation. I'm happy I can get on with my life the way I'd like to. Uh, the jogger's younger sister, Marina, said she believes the dismissal was just wrong. It's sending a signal that basically any one of us can carry a weapon. That's basically what we're saying here. Yeah, dummy. Um, the fatal altercation followed another deadly New York City subway incident in which Marine veteran Daniel Penny used a headlock restraint on another jogger, a homeless man who allegedly shouted and threatened passengers before nearly the jogger passed out and died. Penny, who claims he acted in self-defense, pleaded not guilty to manslaughter and negligent homicide charges on Wednesday and was freed on $100,000 bail. So, yeah, unfortunate, uh, but that's New York. That is New York, so good luck. All right, so this sounds this sounds a little more... This sounds about right with Russia. Russia Axe's pledge to drop criminal charges against Prigozhin begins targeting mutiny sympathizers. This is what... Okay, this makes sense. Russian President Vladimir Putin appears to be starting his plan. Now, granted, take it with a grain of salt. They might just be putting this out there. We'll see. If the guy ends up out of, out of a window, then we'll know. Putin appears to be starting his plans to enact revenge on those who supported Yevgeny Prigozhin's mutiny, mutiny against the Russian military establishment last week, according to various statements. I don't know what other option you have. If you don't do this, you're going to look weak. So I don't, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? Anyway, I don't know. Prigozhin, the former boss of the Wagner Group, appears to have escaped to Belarus after Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko brokered a deal to stop Wagner's advance on Moscow. Lukashenko said in a recent statement that Putin has talked to him about the possibility of just killing Prigozhin, something that remains on the table and is highly likely to happen, according to military experts. Russia initially said the criminal charges against Prigozhin from the FSB, formerly the KGB, would be dropped as part of the deal that Lukashenko helped secure. However, now that the mutiny has ended, Russia's Kremlin-run news organizations are reporting that the criminal charges against Prigozhin have not been dropped. Whatever agreement they made over the weekend, Putin has now dropped it. Those who cause Putin problems end up being exiled, persecuted, or killed under either mysterious circumstances or in blatantly obvious ways, like Hillary Clinton, really similar. Like poisoning targets with substances that are only available to a limited number of governments around the world. The Wagner soldiers have to sign a contract at the start of July to work for the Russian government, or they will be allowed to go back to living as civilians under the watchful eyes of the Kremlin, a source close, close to Prigozhin said the FSB has started shaking down sympathizers and those who violated their oath. The report said the Russian government is now moving to remove patriotic hardliners from key positions of power within the government and is now elevated on, uh, focused on elevating Putin loyalists. The Moscow Times reported that multiple sources confirmed to the publication that Russian General Sergei Servikin 
was arrested because he chose the side of Prigozhin during the rebellion, and they grabbed him by the balls. The source was asked when Servokin, uh, where he was. They says we don't even comment on this information through internal channels. So that guy's probably falling out a window as we speak. All right, we'll see. That's interesting. That makes more sense than the uh, letting them go free thing. And Joe Biden completely gone. Uh, apparently, Joe Biden's wearing a gimp mask at night or something. I don't know. He's got these lines on his face. He just looks... The guy he's got a lot of problems. He blunders and said that Putin is clearly losing the war in Iraq. Adding to a long list of gaffes, the senile pedophile-in-chief appeared to confuse Ukraine with Iraq on Wednesday. Twice in two days, the 80-year-old talked about Russia's war in Ukraine only to describe it as a war in Iraq underscoring many Americans' concerns about his mental acuity. A reporter asked Biden whether to comment or, or to comment on the extent to which Putin was being weakened by recent events following the brief Wagner Group uprising. It looks like he's closing ranks and, and is, has been strengthened by the whole thing. But anyway, whatever. Biden said it's hard to tell, but he's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home, and he has become a bit of a pariah around the world. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Biden made a similar verbal slip-up during a fundraiser in Maryland Tuesday, as evidenced by the official White House transcript, which crossed out Iraq and replaced it with Ukraine. If anyone told you, and my staff wasn't so sure either, that we'd be able to bring all of Europe together in the onslaught on Iraq and get NATO to be completely unified... I think we would have told you it's not likely. The one thing Putin counted on was being able to split NATO. During the same remarks, Biden quickly corrected himself after mentioning China when he meant to say India. You probably saw my new best friend, the prime minister of a little country that's now the largest in the world, China. I mean, excuse me, India. India is not looking for a permanent alliance, but they're looking for some hedge against it in the region. Biden, who is known for regularly making gaffes and losing his train of thought, while speaking, is facing increasing scrutiny Excuse me, as he seeks a second term. A recent poll found growing anxiety over Biden's fitness to serve, as more than two-thirds of registered voters said they have moderate to major concerns about him not having the necessary mental and physical health. Chris Caliza says the age and acuity question is the central issue for Biden in this campaign. Biden went viral Monday over an errant quip he made last week about profiting from the sale of state secrets, which is in fact a real concern for Republicans looking into the Biden family business dealing. So I think this was a, a purposeful gaslight. I think he's joking here, but he knows, like, it's this, it's, look, he's fucking senile, I don't deny that, but when people were like, he just kind of lost his mind and admitted it, no, this was a deliberate gaslight in my opinion. I think this was... This was said as a joke, knowing what he's done, and it was him giving a middle finger, like, ha-ha, I'm getting away with it, and there's nothing you can do. That's what I think that was. I don't think he's 100% senile all the time. I think he's senile a lot of the time, but shit like this, he knows. This motherfucker is evil. This isn't some helpless old man that used to be evil, and now he's out of his mind. No, fuck this guy. This guy is spitting in your face. That's what I think. Anyway. He says, I was just th thanking anyway. I started off without you. I sold a lot of state secrets and a lot of very important things that we shared. Laughter ensued and Biden followed by saying, now all kidding aside, before he went on to talk about technology transforming the lives of people around the world. Still, the comment prompted widespread mockery and criticism of the president. Marjorie Taylor Greene says Joe Biden's brain is going and he's literally admitting his crimes out loud. I don't think his brain there was going. He's doing that on purpose. 
because he, he knows he's protected. Now, sometimes if they don't have use for you anymore, you're not going to be protected. And that might be interesting, but as of now, he still has protection. There is the question of whether or not they get rid of him, and uh, we'll have to see. But, you know, who are they going to put in his place? That's the problem. Who the fuck are they going to put in his place? Gavin Newsom? <laughs> Good luck. All right. Celebrities and online media personalities sign a letter telling social media platforms to crack down on hate. So this is ridiculous. They want more censorship. The Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, which is basically a pro-pedophile organization, has rounded up a bunch of celebrities to bolster a letter to social media platforms asking them to censor hate towards the LGBT community. With the signatures of over 250 celebrities and community leaders, the organization has directed its fervor against the uh, tech giants. In the public letter, the organization charged that the platforms were nurturing platforms where high-follower anti-LGBTQ hate accounts proliferated. A group of celebrities, including Elliot Page, Jamia Jamil, alongside Ariana Grande, uh, lent their ink to the plea. The offending content was outlined as speech that makes what they allege are falsehoods about gender-based procedures for minors. So these uh, pedophile and mutilator defenders, they want you to not be able to criticize child mutilation and pedophilia. Specifically, content that spreads malicious lies about medically necessary health care for trans youth. It's not medically necessary. That's a lie. Directing hate towards queer and trans public figures online is a vehicle to promote hate and violence against all LGBTQ people. That's made up. This translates to real-world harm. That's also made up. Glad's post elaborated, saying this is leading to real-life harm like death threats against healthcare providers and violence against trans and LGBTQ people. Again, totally made up. The group also complained about anti-trans hate speech, including targeted misgendering, dead naming, and hate-driven tropes meaning that if you, you can't criticize pedophiles, basically, and you have to call trannies what they demand. So I would say this, though. I hope someday a list like this comes in handy. If we win, hopefully a list like this helps us figure out who to deport. So I don't know. I'm that's thinking very positively. It's not, I'm not, it's not practical. I understand that. But maybe one day a list like this will come in handy. They're putting their own names on the list. We might as well use the list. But anyway, whatever. All right, let's get to some videos here, and uh, I'm going to start with Rachel Maddow's sister, Chris Hayes, and uh, she is upset here. Oh, no, another commie teacher might lose their job because they broke the law. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Boo-hoo. Boo. Surrounded by dozens of educators and students, Governor Brian Kemp signed seven Jesus bills smash. into law here at the Forsyth County Learning Center. Among the more controversial, a parental bill of rights and a bill that would ban so-called divisive concepts from being taught in the classroom. The governor also signed bills to ban certain books considered obscene from school libraries. It's part How of dare you ban obscene books, bigot? Moral panic around LGBTQ folks that is animating right-wing lawmakers and activists across the country. Georgia's Republican-dominated legislature and its governor enacted a package of cultural work laws last year. The Southern Poverty Law Center writes that collectively... So again, the Southern Poverty Law Center has zero credibility. These laws are called the Protect Students' Rights Act. They include a divisive concepts law, a parent's bill of rights, and a harmful to minors law. 
allows for the removal or restriction of materials parents deem pornographic. And who the fuck other than pedophiles would have a problem with this? Otherwise harmful. The first bill tends to focus a lot of its explicit language on racial issues, backlash to the panic around critical race theory. It also includes vague wording with room for interpretation around, quote, not advocating for divisive concepts, whatever that means. Cobb County School District fifth grade teacher Katie Rinderley found out just how broadly that term can be applied when she read the book, My Shadow is Purple to Her Class. The publisher describes the book as, quote, a heartwarming and inspiring book about being true to yourself and moving beyond the gender binary. Okay, so you can tell by that outside quote that this is commie propaganda and should not have been read in the school because it believes in the totally made-up concept, the totally made-up commie concept of the gender binary. She is now on leave and faces termination proceedings. Good. The first known case of a Georgia teacher being ousted under these laws. Katie Rinderley joins me now. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for joining us to tell uh, what happened to you. Can you tell me, uh, what, where do you teach and what kind of teaching do you do? Yeah, I teach for Cobb County School District. Um, more specifically, do SLM. Oh, I see the entropy's down, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, put it back up shortly. And I am the gifted specialist lead at our school. So I teach first through fifth grade gifted students. And this book, uh, my shadow is is purple. How did, how did you come about this book? What was the context for introducing it to to the class? I had purchased this book from our school Scholastic Book Fair in February of this year, and in March, my fifth grade students uh, had the opportunity to vote on various book titles, uh, picture books, and my shadow is purple had the majority vote, and it was selected to read um, as a class. So you bought it at the school Scholastic Book Fair. Of course, I think a lot of folks are familiar with that. I remember those uh, those days very well. Uh, and then you had a sort of vote in the class, like a kind of, what do we want to read together? They voted for this. You read them the book. I want to just read um, a little portion of it so people get a sense uh, of the book. I was reading it today. And it's about someone who feels uh, not, like they don't fit neatly into either gender of the two gender binaries as again this is AIDS commie propaganda you're not allowed to teach it anymore bye-bye you knew that um, some of my friends think I'm simply confused but the thing I love most is not having to choose some tell me I'm blue only blue can be strong but my mom's strong too so I think they're wrong some tell me I'm pink because pink's the most caring but dad's always crying and loving and sharing how did the book go over in the class Oh, it was wonderful. You know, students had the opportunity to discuss the book's message that they received, which was that of, you know, acceptance of not only themselves, but of others, and, you know, truly valuing those differences within themselves and others and learning from them. Um, so it was a wonderful book. Yeah, I, I really liked it quite a bit. I mean, I look, I'm, I think we're disposed to, to like it, given what my view on uh, gender is broadly, but it's not like a... It, I would not describe it as a militant book in any way or politically pointed. It's about someone who feels a little... Again, bye-bye. <clears throat> not uh, like their self straddles different ways that we think about what's boyish or what's girlish or what's mannish and what's womanish and what's male and what's female, and, and they're trying to explore that. So what what went wrong? <laughs> like, how did you hear this? this was, you were in trouble for this? So two days after the book had been read, I was received an email from my principal asking me to come to her office for a meeting and also received an email from a parent of a fifth grade student 
who also works in the district. And it was brought to my attention that this book was deemed divisive and um, there would be an investigation to follow. So on Monday, um, March 13th, I was placed on administrative leave with pay. And um, you know that continued until May 5th when the district let me know that they would be moving for termination. So is it your understanding this was initiated by a parental complaint was what initiated this proceeding? Correct, yes. And that complaint was pursuant. I'm going to let this play, but I have to set up the uh, entropy. So the screen will be off, but the, the audio will be here. To the new Georgia law that passed with sanctions for teachers if they introduced divisive concepts? Yes. Um, this it was very vague with how this book was um, brought to their attention. The district and my principal was not ever able to describe to me or define um, how this book was divisive or what was so divisive about it. You know, this is a book that is inclusive, not divisive. And, um, you know, children are especially harmed when they're not made to feel celebrated and validated for who they are and all that they bring with them into our classroom. Um, the, the school district has now initiated what will be a sort of uh, termination tribunal, I understand it. There's a, there's a process here uh, for, for your possible termination. Um, I want to just read for you the statement from the Cobb County School District. and says, without getting into the specifics of the personnel investigation, the district is confident this action, meaning their, their, their termination proceedings, is appropriate considering the entirety of the teacher's behavior and history. The district remains committed to strictly enforcing all board policy and the law. What do you say to that? I say that I have 10 years of incredible evaluations. I'm a leader within our school and within the district. And I think that speaks for itself. Um, what, what is your understanding of why you have found yourself in this position? Like, you, you read a book. Uh, did you know when you were reading it, like, oh, I don't know about this. This is edgy. Or I don't know if this is legally dubious. Uh, or was it, hey, the kids, this is a great book. The kids want to read it. Let's read it. Right, exactly. So in my opinion, you know, these are complaints that are brought um, that are truly rooted in, you know, bias and prejudice, and they're not centering students, you know, for what a learning environment should be and how students learn best. Um, this is about a book that, you know, validates students, but also empowers them to learn there's no way she didn't know. This is a unrepentant commie, and she has to be fired. She knew. Nice try. You tried to slip it in anyway. You got caught. Now you have to go. How to communicate and collaborate with one another and to engage in discourse that's necessary um, for them to be able to collaborate and communicate with one another. So um, I truly think that students are not placed at the center of all of this. It is... Um, these vague laws that truly chill education, chill educators. Um, uh, they chill communists. And, you know, limit the, the student's ability to actually have an environment where they are able to freely learn. The book is called My Shadow is Purple. What a bunch of bullshit, but I'm glad she's getting fired. That's fantastic. Uh, entropy should be up uh, for people who want to go on there. Now we have, this is Chris Hayes uh, pretending that Jack Smith has the walls closing in on Donald Trump. Congress says it is not often the case these days, but today, 
The Supreme Court issued a long-anticipated monumental ruling that actually bolsters America's democratic strength. Now, the case before the court today contained at its core an idea that was central to the Donald Trump scheme to overturn the 2020 elections. The question of whether state legislatures can do whatever they want in elections, up to and including simply appointing electors to their preferred candidate, even when the citizens of their state vote the other way. Trump's lawyers pushed the idea that Republican legislators in all kinds of states could simply ignore the will of the people in states that voted for Joe Biden. Just like the Democrats in 2016. And opt instead to send their own fake electors, Trump electors, to Congress. It was fake electors in seven swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, and Nevada, that in coordination with the Trump campaign sought to overthrow the election results. Trump and his lawyer John Eastman, along with others, actively lobbied for and pushed this idea across multiple states, trying, in fact, to get state legislatures to abandon their core democratic duty and choose instead a path to essentially crown Trump king. Here's the former Speaker of the Arizona House, Republican conservative Rusty Bowers, describing a 2020 call he got from Trump coup lawyer John Eastman. And what did uh, Dr. Eastman want you to do? Um, that we would, in fact, vote, take a vote to um, overthrow, or I shouldn't say overthrow, that we would decertify the electors and that that because we had plenary authority to do so. And I said, what would you have me do? And he said, uh, just do it and let the court sort it out. Plenary authority, absolute, total authority. The state legislators have total authority over who wins an election. We now have new reporting from the Washington Post that special counsel Jack Smith has taken a keen interest in the fake electors plot, focusing specifically on potential fraud. New York Times recently reported that one of the Trump campaign's key players in the scheme may actually be cooperating with federal prosecutors. And tomorrow, Republican Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who Trump infamously called and told to find roughly 11,000 votes to overturn the Georgia results, will meet with federal prosecutors for, as far as we know, the first time on the special counsel's team in Atlanta. We're going to have more on the special counsel's investigation and the rapid developments coming up. But again, at the core of Trump's attempted coup, and there's a, a bunch of things going on, but at its core, as articulated by John Eastman, as he told Rusty Bowers, is this bizarre, to my mind, facially ludicrous, fringe idea that conservatives ran with after their scheme failed to return Trump to the White House. It's called the independent state legislature theory, although calling it a theory gives it a little too much credit. And it would give state legislatures plenarily, virtually unchecked power over federal elections. It was an idea infamously pushed by coup memo author John Eastman and his allies in Congress. Basically says state legislatures are the ultimate arbiters of how elections are run in a state, no matter what state law or state officials or crucially state courts say. All we are demanding of Vice President Pence is this afternoon at one o'clock he let the legislatures of the state look into this so we get to the bottom of it and the American people know whether we have control of the direction of our government or not. 
This is bigger than President Trump. It is the very essence of our Republican form of government, and it has to be done. And anybody that is not willing to stand up to do it does not deserve to be in the office. It is that simple. That was a speech uh, at the Ellipse right before uh, an angry mob went to the Capitol and bashed a bunch of cops' brains in. <clears throat> Bullshit. The insurrection on January 6th failed in its goal to subvert democracy. Okay. If, it wasn't the goal. The whole thing is made up. The whole thing is made up. There was no insurrection. There was no effort to overthrow the government. All of this is completely made up. Failed to keep Donald Trump in office for a second term. But in many ways, the spirit of the coup, of Donald Trump's okay, multi- Not a coup. They just make it up pronged plan to overturn the election results continued and continues. I mean, we've seen in state after state, like Arizona, Georgia, and Texas, Republicans stripping power from state elections officials and candidates vowing to abolish bipartisan election commissions in states like Wisconsin. So this time it wasn't a violent mob, but politicians, locally elected officials at the state level, trying to carry out a version of Eastman's vision, right? To take power back from any official that has it delegated and give it all to the state legislatures so that they can run elections entirely. Not coincidentally, those are also the places where Republicans have a lot of control. And they've been doing it right in front of all of us. I mean, we were covering it back in May of 2021. In Arizona, Republican state legislators stripped Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, a Democrat, of her ability to defend election lawsuits. And it gave the power to who? Well, exclusively to the Attorney General a Republican. We are watching essentially a slow motion insurrection being carried out by Republicans. Totally made up. You, 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 you would do the same thing. Republicans in suits and ties in states all across the country. They are putting the pieces in place to do in the next elections what the mob failed to do on January 6th. And that slow motion insurrection, this idea from the right wing that the power of self-governance does not sit in the hands of the people. The idea that the power and oversight of elections belongs to basically Republican self-gerrymandered majorities in the state level. That idea, that core idea, is the subject of today's monumental Supreme Court rule. The case is out of the state of North Carolina. It's called Moore v. Harper. And in it, North Carolina Republicans argued that this independent state legislature theory gave them virtually unchecked power over elections. The lawmaker's argument hinges on a political concept called the independent state legislature theory, based on the Constitution's election clause saying the time, place, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. So if the court lands on the side of North Carolina House Speaker Tim Moore and his Republican colleagues, Fredrickson explains it could mean state legislatures can act independently and governors and state courts would have no ability to check laws related to federal election. Well, today in a 6-3 ruling, the Supreme Court rejected that extreme, extreme and dangerous legal theory, not to say one completely unfounded in the text of the Constitution. The case centers around an extremely aggressive partisan North Carolina congressional map drawn by Republican in this Republican in the state legislature, very gerrymandered, using 2020 census data. And it's a map that would give Republicans up to 10 seats in the House. In early 2022, the North Carolina Supreme Court threw out that gerrymandered map and rejected Republicans' arguments that state courts had no role to play in drawing congressional maps. And then conservatives tried to go over the state court's head, challenge the ruling on the court, and went to the Supreme Court to argue that the Constitution gives them and only them 
us in the state legislature the only and total power over how we draw congressional maps. State courts don't matter. Well, today, the conservative Supreme Court that Donald Trump is responsible for shaping plainly rejected this radical and, dare I say it, kooky notion. Chief Justice John Roberts authored the 6-3 to three opinion with both Trump-appointed Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett siding with the liberals. Justice Clarence Thomas, Samuel Leto, and Neil Gorsuch dissented. In his opinion, for the majority, Chief Justice wrote that, quote, legislatures, the framers recognized, are the mere creatures of the state constitutions and cannot be greater than their creators. Meaning, the state government as a whole functions to oversee elections. If there's a state constitution that's interpreted by state courts, they get a say. State legislatures aren't some, like, special, magical power that overrules everything in the state that's ludicrous. This is the second pro-democracy ruling from this very right-wing court this term alone. Remember, a few weeks ago, they also upheld, crucially, Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and struck down a flagrantly biased Alabama congressional map. And I can't read the minds of the justices, particularly Roberts and Kavanaugh, who are the majority in both opinions, but I have to think the sustained focus amongst the press and civil society and politicians on the very real, indeed existential threats to the American experiment as posed by John Eastman, Donald Trump, and his movement, the focus on that has shaped the court's thinking, and thank goodness for that. Mark Elias is an... So wouldn't then all of the lawyers and politicians in North Carolina involved in this case all also have to be arrested? Because they're claiming that uh, Trump and all his people have to be arrested and that Trump might be indicted over it. So shouldn't all the people in North Carolina also be indicted? Ashley recognized voting rights attorney. He's a founder of the organization Democracy Docket, and he leads the Elias Law Group, which represented Rebecca Harper, the named primary plaintiff in Moore v. Harper, and he joins me. Now, Mark, you and I have talked about this case quite a bit in the lead-up to it when the court granted cert. First, your reaction, having represented Rebecca Harper, to the court's decision today. Look, the Supreme Court did the right thing. I mean, this was a crazy legal theory from the start. It never should have been a case that the Supreme Court should have entertained. Um, I think that it felt that it needed to do so because there had been so much energy on the right wing to advance this theory. But, but Chris, you and I talked about this in, in 2020 when, you know, I was representing President Biden and the Democrats against all those Trump lawsuits. And without this crazy theory, those lawsuits don't largely exist. And without this theory, a lot of the pain and anguish that our country was dragged through by people like John Eastman would not have existed. So I'm glad it's been put to bed, but it should never have been legitimized. Yeah, and I want to I want to just say on this for a second. This is a little technical, but but I think people should understand this. Back in 2020, amidst of this once in a century pandemic, you had all these questions about how are we going to run an election in a pandemic. And in many cases, what you had were state supreme courts saying our state constitution guarantees certain rights to the people of our state, and that state constitution requires us to run elections in a way that allows people to vote in the midst of a pandemic. And it was those rulings that the Trump folks deemed illegitimate, attempted to try to challenge ex post facto. Like, that was the core of the whole thing with state courts interpreting state constitutions to say, how can we make sure people vote during a pandemic? Yeah, the earliest cases involving the ISL in 2020, as you recall, you know, I want a lawsuit uh, that we wound up settling in, in North Carolina to allow vote by mail to take place in the middle of the pandemic. 
And the Republicans went crazy. They brought it to the U.S. Supreme Court under an ISL theory, and they failed. They tried the same thing in Pennsylvania and, and didn't succeed as well before the election. And then after the election, after they lost, as we were dealing with the onslaught of these, these lawsuits, all 65 of them, this theory of that somehow the state courts couldn't even adjudicate what the legislature's laws were kept cropping up, and it became a very, very dangerous principle that then led the, to the predicate of a violent insurrection on January 6th. Now, I want to be, um, uh, I don't, I don't want to be too overly uncharitable, but let me say this, and Andrew Morantz in his great piece in The New Yorker points this out. It is interesting at the very least, perhaps coincidental, that the theory advanced by Republicans in this independent state legislature theory gives primary place to two institutions that they are most confident they could control. That elections are only run by state legislatures, not the state secretary of state, not state courts, and federal courts. <laughs> that basically the two things that Republicans are most confident they've got a pretty good lock on are the happen to be constitutionally the only two institutions that get a say. And today the court said that's nonsense. And it is nonsense. I mean, you know, the Supreme Court was in kind of a box here because, as I've pointed out before, every place where it says the state legislature has the authority to do something, in other parts of the Constitution it says Congress shall do something. And yet the Supreme Court feels more than entitled to weigh in on whether Congress right. is properly right. acting within its authority. So it would have been an odd uh, sort of judicial stripping uh, position for, for a Supreme Court that likes that authority to have taken, number one. But number two, it would have, it would have undone all of, all of our settled expectations about how democracy works in this country. We all understand that there are, that there are statutes and there are constitutions, and, and, and the constitutions trump the statutes. And, and I should say, our intro focused on the most extreme version of this, right? The plenary power of a state legislature to say, you know what, we're giving our electors to this other guy, right? But the more sort of mundane but common application of this, right, is whether state courts can strike down what they view as gerrymanders that violate state constitutions. And you say that Democracy Doc is currently tracking 28 active state court cases that bring claims under state constitution and state law, seven of which challenge congressional maps, 21 which challenge voting laws or procedures. So there's lots of places where people are challenging under state constitutions, either the administration of elections or maps that are now preserved thanks to this rule. Yeah, and Chris, this is, I think, one of the big messages I hope people take away from this. State courts are doing the work of democracy day in and day out. It's not just these big cases that go to the Supreme Court. It is cases involving partisan gerrymandering at the state level. Um, uh, it is voting laws about who right. gets to vote and whether polling locations are open. And to take the state courts out of that would have been a real travesty for democracy. Final quick question to you. Why do you think you got this ruling other, I mean, is it just the merits were so clear? So I think that the problem with the independent state legislature theory is it proved too much. You know, yeah. it just proved too much. Like, you know, the, you, you might have, you might sell the Supreme Court on nibbling back on constitutional rights. You might, you might convince them, although we were, my law firm was also successful in preventing Section 2 from being deleted right. in the Allen v. Milligan case you mentioned. But you might, you know, they might have had success there, but, but this case was just like biting off the whole enchilada. Right. It was the John Eastman of, of, yes. of cases that was never, they were never going to buy. All right, Mark Elias. 
It's weird that there's no mention whatsoever in the ruling that uh, the, the theory is illegal. Remember, their argument is that Donald Trump, John Eastman, everyone involved needs to be arrested because they claim it's illegal what they did. And I've said from the beginning, having a legal theory and trying a legal theory in court, not in any way illegal. So that kind of got pushed to the side completely, apparently. Uh, but they'll probably go back to it, you know, when when Fannie Willis, ask Willis, when ask Willis, you know, indicts if she does, that, that they're going to act like he committed a crime. All right, this is the rapidly aging Nicole Wallace. What was this about? Obama? What was Obama doing? As winning journalist, Wesley Lowry will be our guest. Oh, yes, the white lash, American white lash. They bring on a lunatic commie journalist to talk about how evil white people are. His new book, American uh, White Lash, charts the rise of racist violence yes. since the election of President Barack Obama. Totally made up racist violence. Obama, how that gave fuel to Donald Trump and Trumpism, and how there may be a way to break this cycle. Stay with us. If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible, who still wonders if the dream of our founders is alive in our time, who still questions the power of our democracy, tonight is your answer. It's been a long time coming, but tonight, because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment, change has come to America. Not really. It was a major milestone in our country's history as President Barack Obama became the first black person to be elected to serve as president of these United States. It was, for millions of Americans, a moment of hope, hope that maybe we as a country had started to turn in the right direction, or as Oprah said on that night, a shift in the American consciousness. But despite that step forward, or maybe even because of it, our country has taken a massive step backward since that November night in 2008, as the rise of white nationalism and domestic violent extremism has proved to be uh, the- Again, that's totally made up. Number one threat to our citizens. It's not remotely the number one threat. It's completely made up. Constipation kills more people than white supremacist terror, constipation. Our democracy and our homeland itself. And that's according to FBI Director Christopher Wray. And he's lying. In a brand new book from Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Wesley Lowry titled American White Lash, A Changing Nation and the Cost of Progress, Lowry asked this question quite bluntly. What the hell happened? As Lowry writes, quote, it is clear with the benefit of even a decade of historical hindsight that the election of a black president did not usher us from the shadows of our racist past. Rather, it led us down a perilous path and into a decade and a half and counting of explicit racial thrashing. Leslie Lowry joins us right now. His new book, American White Lash, A Changing Nation and the Cost of Progress, um, is remarkable. It is important. Um, and it's something we try to get at and try to understand, but we just have the one half, right? The, the result, the statistics, the testimony of Christopher Ray saying that um, white racist violence is the biggest bucket in terms of the threats Bullshit. to the homeland. Tell Bullshit. us about the bigger story you're telling here. Of course, well, thanks so much for having me, Nicole. I really appreciate it. You know, I remember thinking back to 
2016, around the election of Donald Trump, and beginning to see these headlines. Oh, right? I notice how this guy's talking. He, he, oh, he's so empathetic. Hey, hey, I'm gonna go on the media and I'm gonna talk about how white people are evil, and I'm going to, I'm gonna explain, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to incite violence against white people. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk in this way to make it seem like I'm a harmless, harmless, empathetic person. Oh, I, I was just thinking about things because I really care about the country. I had covered issues of race and justice, which at the time had meant the rise of Black Lives Matter, a new black protest movement, how Barack Obama was going to handle it as president. But now we were seeing a different set of headlines. We were seeing the homicidal events in Charlottesville. We were seeing public attacks. I'm sorry, of the homicidal events with an S? I believe uh, uh, a land whale uh, allegedly was hit by a car. I'll give you that one as a homicidal event. What was the second event? More people died at Charlottesville? Uh, did I miss one? Did I miss? Did we have? I don't know. I, 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 I think that's bullshit. I think that's bullshit. Muslims and immigrants. We were seeing the mass shootings and... Uh, in the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh or in El Paso in the Walmart targeted at Hispanic immigrants. That we were in this moment where to cover issues of race and justice was to cover... All right, now why don't you break out the crime statistics about how many white people have been killed by black people? You want to do... Oh, you're not allowed to do that? That's not, not allowed to talk about that. Oh, that's, that's a shame. This ongoing and seemingly increasing threat to uh, Americans of color from white Americans. And so as I began looking and probing these questions, I had to look backward that the moment we had with Donald Trump and the rise of his kind of explicitly nativist movement was a response to the politics that had come right before it, to the politics of a black presidency, to the politics of demographic change and the anxiety that so many white Americans I mean, I have. I thought demographic change was a conspiracy theory. Now you're talking about it as if it's a real thing. That's confusing. Uh, with the way that immigration is changing our country. I, I thought important. it wasn't changing our country. I thought if you talked about that, you were engaging in the replacement theory, conspiracy theory. I'm going to draw one key distinction, right? That first off, you, you have white Americans broadly who have increased racial anxiety in this moment by the end of Barack Obama's presidency. For no reason at all. See, something like 55% of white Americans believed they were racially discriminated against, right? That they believed themselves. How could they believe that? Functionally, a racial, oppressed racial minority in America. But then you, you insert, and that anxiety creates the opening that uh, the movement that Donald Trump led, uh, a movement that includes not just Republicans, but many former Democrats, but almost all of them white, it allows a space for that movement. But then there's a second movement, and it's the explicit white nationalist, white supremacist movement that's always been there, that has always believed these things. And they were heartened mm -hmm. to see our mainstream politics begin using the rhetoric that they had been preaching for all these years. You know, we we sort of touch the pieces of it that are public facing, but I think you're getting at this this root problem. I think it's something Eddie Glad talks about. It is us. And I think when you when we cover Tucker Carlson's uh, platforming of the Great Replacement Theory, the other part of the question I think you have to uh, dumb whore, aren't you platforming it right now with what he just said?
try to answer is why was it the highest rated program at the network? I mean, wh what is the permission structure for the platforming of white nationalism and, and blatantly racist theories and ideas? Of course, and I, and I think that's an important point, that we do receive, in a lot of ways, the media that we want or that we deserve, or the public conversation, the politicians, right? That if we look at elected officials and we're unhappy with where they are and what they reflect, they are a reflection of our own societal values, right? That we have been here in a moment where across the political spectrum, not just on the right, but even across the left and in the, in the center, where we have a majority of Americans, white Americans who are increasingly anxious around these ideas, and that there's this increasingly reactionary moment in politics, that when you look at the history, two things are true. The first is that this moment we've seen is precedented, that at every moment of what's been perceived as uh, racial advancement for black Americans and brown Americans, there has been a pushback. But secondarily, that the moment in the movement we see currently, one of the most powerful in our politics, this conspiratorial, uh, conservative reactionary movement that Donald Trump sits atop of, has clear precedent. It, they run on the same issues that we saw with the rise of the Klan in the 1920s. Oh, this yeah. This conservative, reactionary. This is just like the rise of the Klan anti-immigrant, anti-urban, anti-change, frustrated and scared. Yeah, especially uh, the based Cubans in Florida. They're really anti-immigrant. About the advancements or the changing understandings societally of gender and of race, of cultural changes, the feeling that the country is no longer the same and that this white majority Americans will be the losers of history. And the reason we say all this is not to make everyone feel bad or say no, what's wrong with all of Of course, we're not... We're not gaslighting you. We're not gaslighting you at all. But it's that we can't address our reality if we can't see it, if we can't talk about it. And if we know that we have much of our country susceptible to this type of demagoguing and dehumanizing language that has real violent outcomes if left unchecked, real people can totally made up, will lose their lives. Totally made up. We have to be able to see it and address it so that we can respond to it. So the bottom line here. I think I can summarize this uh, like this. Um, white people, you just have to take it. Just fucking take it. Shut the fuck up about getting fucked in the ass. You need to be quiet. That's basically what he's arguing. Wesley, we're going to ask you to stick around. I mean, I want to ask you about how it gets turbocharged when one of the country's two political parties largely adopts mm -hmm. um, some of these practices and beliefs. We have to sneak in a quick break. We're going to ask you about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We are back with Wesley Lowry, author of the new book, American White Lash. Um, everywhere from Trump talking about great people on both sides of a KKK rally to again, over the week. Again, made up weekend, a neo-Nazi rally outside of a Georgia synagogue. There is a brazenness and a permission structure to um, waving Nazi flags. There's also a Republican Party hell-bent on the diseducation, right? Erasing mm -hmm. our country's racial history. How do you, totally made up. you protect against radicalization and extremism, which is one of the country's two parties willing to tell the truth about our racial history. I, I think it's a huge part of it, right, that when we look at the rise of a new nativist movement and we look at the politics of our moment, of this reactionary moment, we see 
failures of our major liberal institutions. And when I say liberal, liberal, I, I don't mean that in a political sense. I mean institutions that believe in a in a democracy and a free society, right? And and what Donald Trump and many others have done is they've played on the weaknesses of those institutions, the refusal of those institutions to stand on first principles, right? That are we institutions that believe first and foremost in a multiracial democracy? In our history, that is not a settled question. It has not been a settled question. I think it can be very easy for those of us who were born into multiracial democracy to believe that this is just what it is and this is how it works. But there are forces and there are people out there who would have that upended and have that changed. We, we've got a presidential candidate, the current governor of Florida, who yesterday said he would get rid of birthright citizenship which, first of all, he couldn't even do as president, but, but second of all, would be the undoing of a constitutional amendment that was put in place to remedy the Dred Scott decision that had, that had concluded that uh, black Americans were subhuman, right, and, and were not worthy of citizenship. Yes, uh, Ron DeSantis wants to have black people considered subhuman. Uh, that's very accurate. Right. Why is that? what they're campaigning on. Why is that what they're talking about? I know. About? That's, this is a hell of a campaign. Black people are subhuman. Vote Ron DeSantis. It's because it's a play to that anxiety and that frustration we see among white Americans about the change in the country. It's the way Gen Z would describe it is that this is about vibes. It's not even about particulars. But to get back to your mm. question, it's we have our institutions and they have to be willing to stand up and those institutions are media those institutions are political parties we, we saw one of our major parties hand the keys of the car over to donald trump and to his movement and so even if he's not reflective of all of the republicans all the elected republicans and we know he is not because when our institutions grant this power and this platform there there's no means of reining things back in and so i think first and foremost we have to be willing to name things and see them for what they are and second we have to be willing to stand up for our key foundational bedrock principle of a multiracial democracy and a multicultural society it seems really important that at least the that media part of that gets it right ahead of another presidential election. I'd love to ask you to come back and, and we could stitch together the history of Donald Trump as the champion of birtherism and President Obama. And, and I know you, you, I wanted to read big chunks of the book and I didn't get to it. So I hope this is to be continued. Oh, it will be to be continued. So great to be here with you, Nicole. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Wesley's new book. Oh, White Lash. Can't wait for that. That's going to be. What a book. The, the, you can, it's just amazing. You can, you can, can you imagine if someone wrote a, uh, a book, Black Lash, you know, about like the streets of Chicago or something, or these like uh, packs of teens beating up white people? They're not going to invite you on uh, the Nicole Wallace show. You're going to be denounced as a bigot. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, let me, uh, Read some of these super chats. We're taking super chats through Streamlabs. Link in the description. We're also taking them through Entropy. Link in the description. We're also taking uh, Rumble rants. Um, uh, also, we're trying to get to a combined 125 subscribers between um, Subscribestar uh, and Rumble. Rumble has a monthly subscription option. It should be next to the super chat button. At least on my thing, it's it's. In red, it says subscribe. Um, I'm not sure if everyone gets that. It might depend on your your, your, your device. But anyway, uh, if we hit 125, what we're going to do is we are going to release a book 
free to the audience via PDF uh, entitled uh, What a Bigot Would Say, written by the soft gentleman who is my rabidly homosexual twin brother that has his own show, his own completely serious, not sarcastic show on another YouTube channel called The Soft Gentleman. So in this book, he's going to uh, you know tell us what a bigot would say, and also um, particularly the different subjects uh, will be solicited from the audience, so the audience will kind of vote on what subjects they want him to write about. Obviously, first and foremost, probably the most important uh, thing for him to write about is uh, what racial epithets never to say and what combination of racial epithets you should never, ever say. Um, and then, so after this book is released, so within two weeks of hitting the goal of 125, within two weeks, we are going to, um, the book will be written, 24 pages. Uh, even though it'll likely take us a while to get to 125, I still think we will beat Cenk Uger's release of his book, which has been on pre-order for three years. And uh, I bet you that book never comes out. Um, it could take us to 2026 to reach 125. I still think we beat him. Anyway, so within two weeks it'll be written. And then uh, after it's released to the audience, we will try to get it published on Amazon and any of these other major companies. And... Uh, Hopefully, we can put it in the diversity, equity, and inclusion section. And uh, so we'll see what happens. So if that interests you, um, subscribestar.com slash hard dash bastard or rumble if you click the subscribe option. All right, let me go in the Streamlabs here. What is this? This is the 29th? All right, 29th of uh, June. aids horrific Aidsenstein says, I would just like to welcome my ching-chong-ping-pong slanty-eyed brothers and sisters to the right wing. Don't tell me this won't get a whole bunch of Asians to vote conservative now, because they will now. You know, it's it's interesting the um, the uh, the attack on Asians from uh, commies is an interesting thing. Uh, it really depends. A lot of it has to do with schools. Like if they have if they have a situation where a bunch of Asians are being attacked by black people. They will do a media narrative and they will, they will, you know, they're like, stop Asian hate. Donald Trump, I can't believe he's responsible for this. And they go on this whole thing, even though uh, none of the people that perpetrated the attacks are Trump supporters. They just make it up. They pretend it's white people that are beating up the Asians. I'm not saying it's never happened. There was the one shooting at the whorehouse where it was a white guy and he shouldn't have done that. That's fucked up. You don't shoot whores. What are you doing? That's ridiculous. <clears throat> well, maybe alleged, alleged whores. Maybe they weren't whores, but whatever. Don't shoot people, okay? So that guy belongs in jail, but so do all the black people that beat up the Asians. Anyway, so that's when they use the Asians as a human shield, as they use them for political purposes. However, when it has to deal with schooling, that's when they throw the Asians right under the bus. And they will, uh, yeah, the, I remember the one, I think it was in San Francisco, and the uh, commies were saying that the Asians were guilty of Asian supremacy. Uh, I guess that's like white supremacy. Now, by the way, there is Asian supremacy. I, some Chinese people have Asian supremacy. They think that their group and their race is the best. Who fucking cares? I don't care. That's fine. Whatever. You did some good stuff. You built the Great Wall of China. Well, not you, but people in your group built the Great Wall of China. Fantastic. That's a fantastic thing. Who cares? I don't care. If you think you're better than other people, it's not my problem. The whole thing is crazy. And then you can, I mean, you can then get into a whole thing about racial pride and how it's acceptable to have racial pride, except if you're white. Uh, you might see the examples of some of the AI 
uh, you know, you, you can write to the AI, I'm black and I'm proud. And the AI would be like, oh, that's spectacular. And then if you're like, I'm white and I'm proud, they'd be like, well, we really need to take a step back and not focus on racial differences. And race is nothing to be pr proud about. Pretty funny. All right. Aidsorific also said, uh, Kim Total Wall Leaper Iverson was covering the story out of Denmark last night. Scientists found that 30% of the vaccines were placebos, meaning this was a clinical trial. Another conspiracy theory becomes a reality. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, and I've wondered this. Many people have talked about this, wondering, you know, the Joe Bidens of the world, the Fauci's of the world, what were they given? Were they given saline? Because when was the last time you heard of a real powerful person having uh, vaccine side effects? I'm not aware of that. The only time I'm aware of that happening, and this isn't even a super powerful person. This is a person that could be easily thrown under the bus. Uh, Gavin Newsom had a period of time where he disappeared. And it was, it was um, alleged that he had some sort of um, reaction. I think the uh, face paralysis or whatever, kind of like one of the things Justin Bieber had. But I, I don't think that was confirmed, though. Um, but that's the only time I recall someone like that having a, a, a side effect. So it, it's possible that there was a lot of saline going around, depending on what your status in the world was. So, yeah. Yeah, Kim Iverson, a total wall leaper. Uh, hopefully she figures out, she fixes her position on the drag shows. Really terrible position uh, on drag shows and the surgeries. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Hopefully she figures that out, because that's fucking retarded. Uh, other than that, pretty good. Okay, now we have uh, AIDSerific Aidsenstein. says, man, I just never thought Democrats w would be this big mad about not being able to racially discriminate anymore. Weird. Yeah, that one, that one dumb whore that was like, she specifically on Twitter, this is a real person, she, she was like, black people can't possibly compete in a meritocratic system. I was like, wow, you're really, that's a hell of a thing right there. All right, well, you said it. I didn't say it. All right. Now, a person calling themselves Academic Negar Maine says, quote, Maine eyes uh, scowed, S-C-O-W-E-D. So I have to read it exactly as it's written. And the reason I do that is because to do otherwise is bigotry. Who am I to editorialize and tell another person how to write a tweet, especially an obvious, stunning, and brave black man? How am I? I mean, that's just, that's bigotry. That's outright bigotry. So it's spelled S-C-O-W-E-D, SCOWD. SCOWD, 800 on Minds SAT. Eyes want to go to Harvard. And these slant-eyed hoes just cheats out Minds opportunity Fuck all these Ching Chong Chang fuckers. And fuck that one nigger, Clarence Thomas. Unquote. Wow. Sounds like academic Negar Maine does not like uh, Clarence Thomas. All right, well, there you go. Man, that's a hell of a thing. Now we got all caps John Cardio. Trump is the only president not descended from slave owners. It's all over for Trump. Yep, all over for Trump. Oh yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Cardio, it was uh Reboy that was like disgusting. <laughs> it's like Who are you trying to reach with these tweets? I don't understand. I don't understand. It, it's okay. Good luck. Good luck. And it's it's not uh and it's not getting better for DeSantis. This is not going good at all. 
Uh, a terrific Eisenstein says Ice Cube was on a Rogan today. I, yeah, I saw one of the clips. It seemed like a good conversation. Has it listened to the? Haven't listened to the whole thing, but so far so good. He talked about some boring shit at first, but then they started talking about COVID and the vaccine. He was totally based on that issue. He even said COVID policy was a conspiracy to destroy the middle class and make the elite gatekeepers more powerful. So far, Cube has delivered. We will see how the rest of his podcast tour goes. Yeah, I want to I want to watch the whole thing. I am also interested to hear how he defines gatekeeper. Um hey, I would love it if it turns out to be great. Um you know, it, look, sometimes people do change, usually not, but some you know, once in a while, once in a while you'll get a person that's like, "Yeah, I can't believe I did that. I was I was fucking retarded." And you know, believe in all the Russia stuff and now I don't. You know, hey, you never know. Jimmy Dore is a good example of a person that's adjusted, um, and, and and so it is possible. It is possible. Is it possible for a Hollywood guy? I don't know. You know what I saw that was interesting? Dana Carvey uh, was was being interviewed by um, this other uh, old school uh, comedian. I forget who. What the hell was the guy's name? I never found him too funny. He was in the movies with... Uh, the funny fat guy who was funny, Farley. I Farley I thought was hilarious. His boy David Spade. I never liked David Spade. I just was like this. I don't understand what this guy's doing. Farley was hilarious. Um, but anyway, David Spade interviewed uh, Dana Carvey. I did like Dana Carvey back in the day. I liked the Church Lady and his Bush impression. But recently, I don't think David Carvey is very funny. But what was interesting is Dana Carvey made fun of Fauci. Now, the last I remember, David uh, Dana Carvey was a totally mainstream, accepted, cuck, slut, whore comedian. So he would go on the uh, Stephen Colbert show and do all the anti-Trump stuff and pretend to be John Bolton. And this, you know what was wild about that? I remember when I watched that clip, I, it was a long time ago, but I, I watched the clip on a, a, I don't know if it was the stream. I don't think it was stream me. I think I was trying on DLive to cover late night shows and they were so unbearable. I was like, I, I gotta, can't do this anymore. It was just unbearable. You know, Colbert clips, clips from Comedy Central. It is really unbearable. Anyway, and I commented at the time, I'm like, it's so bizarre that Dana Carvey is doing an impression and it's not funny. Because I remember him being very funny. And I'm like, this is, and I made the point, leftist AIDS just devours people. And it turns funny comedians into unfunny comedians. Because how do you, John Bolton's easy to make fun of. He's a fucking clown. How did he not have a funny John Bolton impression? That's crazy. But anyway, he's now making fun of Fauci. So it looks like we've hit the stage of the it's acceptable to criticize the narrative. We, or, or I guess I, I have that in reverse. It is now acceptable uh, to criticize the narrative stage that we're experiencing. Much like during weapons of mass destruction, that eventually, after years, you were allowed to criticize weapons of mass destruction and that the fact that it was a lie. It looks like we're there with COVID now. And so he was able to do that. Um, we'll see if more people do it, but it looks like it's a lot safer to criticize Fauci and, and, and uh, the rest of this. You know, We could have used Dana Carvey a couple years ago. That would have been helpful a couple years ago. Now when it's safe, I mean, it's good that it's happening, but there is an aspect to this that now that it's safe that you're doing it, like I don't really have a ton of respect for that. I'm glad he's doing it. I hope more people do it. But, you know, come on. I have more respect for uh, the guy 
I forget who it was that uh, went on SNL. Um, it was only like a couple years into it. And, oh, Woody Harrelson. And I'm not a Woody Harrelson person. But uh, but uh, he, he at least caught some heat for criticizing it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Woody Harrelson. I guess, yeah, I'm not a big Woody Harrelson person. I like Cheers back in the day. You know, I didn't like uh, Natural Born Killers. I did not like that movie. I was just not uh, not a fan of that. you think I would because I think I didn't... Did Tarantino write that movie? I don't know. Who cares? Middleman, uh, excuse me, Middle American 45 on Rumble says never, never, ever get bootied. Have some discretions. All right. Very cogent advice here. Never get bootied. Got to watch out. Don't get bootied. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Okay. Let's get to the next video here. Here is TYT. Oh, here we go. They got them. Leaked audio. Trump admits to keeping classified documents. This totally wins my case, you know. Mm -hmm. Except it is like highly confidential yeah. secret. <laughs> this is secret information. Yeah. See, as president, I could have did less. Yeah. Now I can't. You just heard what appears to be a pretty damning piece of oh, evidence against damning. Donald Trump in the classified documents case against him. Now, the recording you just heard, or a portion of the recording you just heard, dates back to July of 2021, when he was at a meeting in his Bedminster, Bedminster New Jersey club. He was talking in a room with an individual who was working on his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows' book, his memoir, along with two other staffers. And Trump knew he was being recorded. Nonetheless, he decided to talk about a classified document that presumably was in his possession as he was talking to the individuals in the room. Before we hear more from that recorded audio, which was later leaked and CNN obtained it, it's important to understand the context of what they are discussing. So the conversation centered on Donald Trump's foreign policy toward Iran when he was in office. The recording referenced in the federal indictment against Trump features Trump describing a multi-page document that he alleges is about possibly attacking Iran. He was apparently frustrated that the press was reporting that General Mark Milley was the one who was trying to keep Trump under control in order to prevent a hot war with Iran. Trump argues that it was the other way around and he presents what he refers to as classified, a classified document to the individuals in the room as he's making this argument. Without further ado, here's the leaked audio. Well, with Milley, uh, let me see that, I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look, this was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. I just found. Isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Except it is like highly confidential secret. This is secret information. Highly secret confidential. Important to keep that phrase in mind. And here is, I think, the most damning part of that leaked audio. And then we'll go to you, Cenk. Let's watch. Look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time. You know? <laughs> he said it 
think email. I should send it to yeah. Anthony Weiner. Yeah. yeah. The um, print. By the way, isn't that incredible? Though? Yeah. I was just saying, because we were talking about it. <laughs> and you know, he said, he wanted to attack Iran and what? And he said the papers. Wow. This was done by the military, given to me. Uh, I think we can probably, right? I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to figure out. Yeah. See, as president, I could have declassified. Yeah. Now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, classic. Now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, it's so, I'm, look, we here and I have and you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe it's you. It's incredible, right? No, hey, bring some, uh, bring some Cokes in, please. Bring some Cokes in, please. That's my personal favorite part of that recording. And again, Trump knew he was being recorded, but he still felt that it was a great opportunity to talk about his possession of classified documents, which Jenki referred to as highly confidential, and then talked about how he could have declassified those documents as president, but can no longer do so now that he is no longer in office. I have two points that I loved in that. Uh, one was the staffer going, now we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's highly classified, it's secret, and I can't declassify it. Here, you wanna look? Oh my God. And she's like, now we have a problem. Okay, so uh, my second favorite quote was, Trump has been saying to Brett Baer and others, oh, it's just newspapers and magazines, they're not classified. I mean, I said it was classified, but it's not classified. <laughs> um, well, first of all, there are no newspaper articles or magazines that are classified because they're public by definition. But if you weren't convinced yet, the audio tape, he's like, this is him. This is him, Millie, this is him. Look at all these pages and pages of documents, this is him. Yeah, Millie did not write our invasion plans of Iran in the New York Times or on Newsweek. Yeah, that's such a great point. Yeah, that's oh, such a great point. Great point. That's why it was included in the indictment. Oh, no, it wasn't included in the. Oh, damn it. Point. And so what Jenk is referencing is, you know, some of the lies that Trump told prior to CNN airing the audio you just heard. And part of that conversation took place during an interview with Brett Baer. So that happened a few weeks prior to CNN publishing that audio that you just heard. So why don't we take a quick look at that snippet from that interview, just so you have the full context of where that lie comes from. That wasn't a document, Brett. There was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else talking about Iran and other things. And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. I didn't have a document per se. There was nothing to declassify. These were newspaper stories, magazine stories, and articles. I'm just so there you have it. That was a lie. And the idea that. Yep, that Mark was a lie. We know exactly what was in his hand. Definitely no articles written about this with a media narrative that Donald Trump was a crazy warmonger and, and Millie uh, stopped him from invading Iran. Definitely not an article written in the Atlantic about that. Millie had an outline of this invasion in, in, in Iran in news article is ridiculous. There's literally only one place where we would have our secret plans to invade Iran in top secret classified documents. We, we, we don't make those public. In fact, if they're public, show me, show me where they are. Because he says it's not, now his new thing is it's not classified. It was just newspapers and magazines. Okay, then great, show me where it is. Okay. <laughs> okay, there is no such thing, of course he's, but like guys, at this point, the right wing has basically given up. 
they're just like, they're using the third grade thing of like, yeah, I might have done that, mommy, but Susie also did it. Yeah, that's totally what they're doing. That's not the what about ism. Exactly. Oh, what about ism. Right? And you, every parent knows this, and that's why he's a petulant child. Well, to that point, that recording gave me a little hint into his motivations in keeping the classified documents. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is necessarily the full reason why Trump would want to take those classified documents home with him and refuse to hand them over once, you know, the feds demand that he hands them over. He wants to maintain or or possess some level of evidence to clear his name because he believes that everyone's constantly lying about him, right? So in this case, look, honestly, I'm skeptical that Mark Milley wasn't the one pushing him to go to war with Iran, right? I, I, I would honestly, I think it's totally believable that Milley would be pushing for Iran. So maybe Trump wanted to maintain those documents in an effort to provide evidence against some of the mainstream media narratives against him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. So let me clarify a couple of things. First of all, on Damage Report this morning, I said the same exact thing as Anna, where I said, look, this is the, this is a in one aspect of the case, not the legal aspect, but the sense of how damaging it is politically, the slightest little exoneration potentially. Why? Like Trump is screaming, I'm exonerated, it was a perfect call. No, you're toast legally, you're definitely guilty. Yes, he's toast legally, definitely guilty. He's so toast legally that Jack Smith didn't include this in the indictment. That's how toast legally he is, it's not included in the indictment, amazing. You had classified documents, you knew they were classified, yes. you kept them anyway, etc. I always assume that since Trump is obsessed with money, that he took the documents to sell them. And we've talked about that. But now when you look at that tape or you hear that tape, you think, well, no, maybe it could be a couple other reasons. Like never underestimate how unintelligent Donald Trump is. It's possible that he wanted to keep them to prove his case, as Anna just pointed out. Or as I said earlier today, just because he wanted to show off because he's a child. And so, and you see in the tape, he's like, "Oh, you want to see the highly classified top secret documents?" That's <laughs> not what he said. You're totally making that up. And so, it doesn't exonerate him as a human being or legally, but I now think maybe he didn't want to sell them, right? Maybe he was yeah, just an I, idiot. Oh, your totally made up, insane conspiracy theory might not be true. Amazing. But but let's also keep in mind he might have wanted to sell them. And remember, Jared uh, Kushner's son-in-law got $2 billion right. right after the election from Saudi Arabia. If you and have zero evidence is tied to this at all. Donald Trump got millions upon millions uh, through the Live Golf Tournament from the Saudis right after the election. So he's already, they've already been paid. We don't know if it was for the documents or just because the Saudis didn't like the fact that they, the Saudis did like the fact that, that Trump let them chop up a Washington Post reporter. So I have a little right. bit of a- Trump let them chop up a Washington Post reporter. They called up Trump and they said, Trump, my friend, we're gonna chop up this reporter. And Trump said, go ahead, no problem. Thanks for asking for permission. I don't know, maybe a spicy take. I don't know how people are gonna react to it. But I came across a story today about Jen Psaki, who's now a host over at MSNBC. Of course. And she floated a theory, she speculated that Trump 
took the documents because he might have wanted to show the documents to dictators, which he has so much, you know, admiration for, right? I just think that it's a little irresponsible to just pull random speculative theories out of your- you Yeah, like Cenk does all the fucking time, all the time. You no, know, yeah. you're out of your you know what? It's, can we just wait and find out? Like there's an investigation happening as we speak and I think you start losing, well with someone like Jen Psaki over at MSNBC, I mean, she's literally a political operative. She worked for Biden's administration, but it just starts making people look kind of unhinged and conspiratorial. We don't know, we don't know. So yeah, Anna is now trying to, and and it just shows you how they know what they're doing. Because now that she's trying to pivot, she's trying to be more nuanced. But before when she had no interest in pivoting, she would just go along with whatever made up bullshit lie. Uh, that was that was out there related to Trump. And you're also seeing this with Brianna Wu. I watched a little bit so far of the Sitch and Adam conversation with actual justice warrior um, related to uh, the AIDS commie, um, barely attractive Emma going on the Tim Pool show. And I noticed that Brianna Wu is, has pivoted a little bit. And what's interesting is Brianna Wu, and I've seen him uh, uh, um, on other streams, talk about how the leftist tactic of calling people racist and bigots is not working anymore. So he wants to try something different. This is the thing about that. And I'll apply this, I'll apply this to Anna Kasparian as well. The reason that I will never accept a pivot from these people is in this instance, Brianna Wu or John Walker Flint. Um, John sat back. When John thought that deplatforming us, um, getting us fired from our jobs, getting us banned from whatever, when John Walker Flint thought that that would help his side win, he went along with it gladly and advocated for it. Only when he realized that we're not only surviving in that environment, but we're still kicking your fucking ass. Now suddenly John Walker Flint wants to have oh, a different strategy. We need to talk to people. Okay, fine, but you revealed to all of us that you were happy, you were happy to go along with a strategy to, to censor, to basically oppress us. Okay, that's to me, I don't think you should ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. That would be my, if you ask me, what do I think about that? That's what I think about it. Never forget. They want to never forget what they went along with. So now you got some of these people wanting to pivot and arguing for nuance because they are losing. And it's very interesting to watch this all play out. But let me make a distinction here. So first of all, uh, there is no distinction between MSNBC and the Biden administration. That's their, their one organism. Um, okay, now on to the distinction in the speculation. Uh, there is some evidence that he uh, took them home to brag. That's the tape. He's bragging on the tape, so there's some evidence of that. Mm -hmm. Is it definitive? Not at all. There's some evidence that he wanted to prove his case, and that's why he kept some of the documents, the one Anna just said, because he says it on the tape. So. Again, not at all definitive, but maybe, could be that at least there's one piece of evidence. And there's some evidence that he kept him to get paid because he already has gotten paid a spectacular amount of money from the Saudis. So that doesn't mean that it's definitive at all, not even close, right? But it's one piece of evidence. Is there any evidence that he 
has given them to dictators for free or for giggles or for no. There's not one piece of evidence to that. That's just speculation out of thin blue air, yeah, right? But you, you're speculating on a thin blue air that he made a deal with the Saudis for the nuclear documents. Right? So I think that there's this, there is a real uh, distinction there between those things. But I think it's also human, Anna, for people to speculate when a guy takes home top secret documents for no goddamn reason and, and exposing himself to massive liability and criminal uh, you know, consequences, etc. I think it's legitimate to ask, why the hell did he do that? No, I understand. I, I think part of what I feel burned by was the narratives that were drummed up in corporate media in regard to Trump's relationship with Putin and Russian. You, you mean, what, what do you mean drummed up in corporate media? You also did all of that. You also did that in lockstep. Interference in the election. You, you did know. that in lockstep. So they would take something and they would take two different elements of that story. There'd always be like the missing piece, right? Connecting the dots that really prove that, you know, Trump was working with Putin to interfere in the 2016 election. But nonetheless, a lot of that was drummed up and a lot of weird connections were made to kind of give the appearance that it was like an open and shut case, that Trump definitely was working hand in hand with Putin. There was definitely election interference taking place, that there was collusion with- You absolutely did that. Trump and Putin, and honestly, the evidence didn't bear that out. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, but look again. And it was overplayed. It, yeah. it, there was a lot of speculation in the press, mm -hmm. and I just think it's irresponsible. Just stick to. But the you did it. The facts. There's an investigation taking place. If you're going to speculate, be clear that you're speculating. Yeah. See, that's and my line. Don't plant seeds in people's heads, which then germinate into insane conspiracy theories that are not. Born out of any evidence. Yeah. Absolutely hilarious. She did all of those things. I, I hear you. So, but I think we got to be able to make distinctions. So, for, first of all, uh, to be clear, the Russians did interfere in the 2016 election. 100% uh, made up. It's just that Trump did not participate with them. Exactly. Yeah, that's all. No, that's not exactly. That's also bullshit. They did not interfere in the election. That's completely made up. There was not a coordination. Right. So I want to be clear about the facts that we definitely know, right? Uh, well, you're wrong. And then in terms of uh, since the Russians appeared to be helping him, and it turns out they were. Again, totally made up. That leads to understandable speculation as to why. And so, but then when you go into that speculation, you have to base it on something. But most importantly, you have to clearly identify it. You can't just say, oh yeah, Trump did it. Or, oh yeah, the Trump is getting paid by the Saudis, we know for sure. No. Well, you do stuff like that all the time. No, you don't know that for sure, right? Mm -hmm. So just, I think you could have a normal human conversation about it, especially on talk shows, as long as you're being clear about what's facts and what's speculation. The one thing that's also clear to me in, in the story is how Trump has lied over and over again about his possession of these classified documents and he's changed his story on multiple occasions. So just to give you an example of other lies that he's told, specifically in regard to these classified documents pertaining to foreign policy toward Iran. In a recent interview, Trump claimed that he was unaware of the Iran document being among the materials in the boxes recovered at Mar-a-Lago by the FBI and Justice Department. He also continued to claim that everything he took with him was declassified. I mean, lies, absolute lies. So 
From that audio, it is abundantly clear that he is in possession of those classified documents pertaining to Iran. He is talking about them. He is talking about his inability to declassify them now that he's no longer in office. It's just on record, it's so clear. And so those who are trying to provide cover for him are now twisting themselves into insane, ridiculous pretzels. And they're gonna have to continue doing so because this isn't the only recorded audio that prosecutors have. So I wanna talk about that a little bit as well. So prosecutors 49 page indictment outlined two instances, two instances in which Trump disclosed sensitive papers in unsecured environments post presidency to individuals who lack the necessary security clearances required to view any classified information. Let's go to graphic six here. The second instance, so the second instance is one that we haven't heard yet. Described in the indictment was an August or September 2021 meeting where Trump showed an unnamed representative of his political action committee, a classified map of country B and expressed to the individual that he shouldn't be sharing the map. Oh, devastating. Devastating. Okay. Case closed, devastating. So guys, look, at this point, uh, I don't think it's a question anymore no, as to whether yeah. he's guilty oh, or not. It's over. Um, and I say that not as a matter of law and evidence that we had crossed that bridge a while back. Now that evidence, we don't just know that it exists, we've heard it, right? In a sense, we've become a part of the jury, at least in the court of public oh, opinion. Yeah, that's normal. Uh, but you can also tell because, man, right wingers, including right wing media, including Fox News, they are struggling mightily to try to justify this and they just can't there and a lot of them are going okay yeah i i he kind of he kind of did it and so then they so but somebody else did it but this but that and and now he's only the only question that's remaining is how's he going to get out of it not whether he did it or not and there's three ways he can get out of it jury nullification one of the jurors on the case is a is maga and goes i don't care I just don't care. Yeah, it's a good I, point. You know, that could happen. I'm you on just a jury. I'm supposed to be. That motherfucker should have a statue built for him, and we'll put it in the garden of statues with Rittenhouse and Raphael Ganowitz. Uh, disagree. Yeah. Yeah. One juror is MAGA, and he goes, "No, I'm not convicting him. I don't care." That guy would be awesome. If he shot someone on Fifth Avenue, and you have tape of it, I'm not convicting him. Okay. So that's totally possible. Judge nullification doesn't normally happen. But there's kind of a MAGA judge here. So she could be like, I toss out all the evidence. I'm exaggerating, but she could toss out critical uh, So, build a statue for her. Evidence. If, if this happens, I don't expect that to happen. At the end, she could even say uh, the jury's uh, decision is unjustifiable by the law, uh, you're free to go. And so that, that could happen. That would be a crazy scenario. It, but if, it, I mean, it has happened it before, it's yeah. not, it's not, like unprecedented, yeah, okay. And then the last thing is politician nullification, where either he wins, another Republican wins, or maybe even Biden wins, and they pardon him. So, oh. so you think Biden won't pardon? I mean, we've gone through this many times. So that is. Can we so nullify Biden? I know. Well, <laughs> there is a way to do that. It's called a primary. So there are three possible outs he has left, but none of them are legal. He billion percent did it, and at this point, this is as close as I've ever seen to the right wing going. Uncle, You're yeah, afraid. he did it. <laughs> Zero chance. He's so delusional. Okay, delusional in his baboon world. So, and last thing, guys, uh, that Iran document that's top secret that mm -hmm. Trump told you about, he never returned it. 
we still don't know where it is. Yeah. It's, it was not at Mar-a-Lago, it was in New Jersey. So this dude's still hiding documents. Yeah. I oh, flushed totally. it down my golden toilet. Yeah, he's, That's what I do. He's, uh, speaking <laughs> of golden and toilet, uh, by the way, uh, to the earlier uh, conversation, I think we have a ton of credibility because we call you out- You have zero fucking credibility. People on our side uh, all the time. It's the steel dossier that people that uh, on MSNBC, et cetera, were going nuts over. I told you I didn't believe that for a second. Oh, oh. <laughs> really, fucker, you piece of shit liar. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to have to. Uh, I am time crunched recently, but that should ease up uh, shortly. Um, as far as uh, time to do this kind of shit, but I, I, I think I will have to just figure it out. I ha oh, I've got to find the footage uh, of them covering the Steele dossier because that is 100% fucking bullshit. Oh my God. So what, you think you're going to pivot your network by straight up lying to people? Hilarious, hilarious. Right, yeah. and we said that from day one. Oh, fucking goddamn bullshit! Goddamn bullshit, fucker! Oh man, wow! To now, so why? Wow. By the way, these, like they're like, oh, Trump is into golden showers and stuff. Like, no, he's not. He's a germaphobe. Right. It just doesn't make logical sense. You have wow. to stick with the facts. Oh yes, I have a research project. Oh, that's a that's a that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. There we go. Oh, yeah. Give me a reason to dig that shit back up. I like, I for some reason I just, it's weird. Certain stories I'm like, eh. and then other stories I'm like, oh yes. I don't know why that. You know why? Because it's such bullshit. Like it's such. You know it, it. If a story is such a lie that it pisses me off, that's when there's this extra kind of motivation. That's, uh, oh yeah, the Steele dossier is an all-timer because it was so ridiculous on its face that Obama goes, or excuse me, Trump has these Russian whores piss on a bed because the Obamas used to sleep on it and then Trump excused himself to go to the bathroom so because he didn't want the whores to hear him say, quote, I hate black people, unquote. You know how... In, how many things are wrong with that? That makes no sense. That makes no sense. First of all, it is true he's a germaphobe. Okay, secondly, a person that's quote-unquote racist is not going to go into the bathroom to say, I hate black people. He's going to go into the bathroom and say, I hate niggers. Again, I'm quoting. That's what the fuck he's going to say. I hate black people. What are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense. Anyway. That was written, you know why? Because there was no racial epithet used. Do you, do you know? That's how you can tell that whoever wrote that was a fucking leftist. Because a leftist is so afraid of the word nigger that they are going to destroy their entire story just so they don't have to write it. Okay? That story, story would have been a little more believable if you had a racial epithet in there. Okay? So, because otherwise, why would you leave to go into the bathroom? It makes no sense. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Let's bring that back out. Unbelievable, Donald Trump <laughs> being on the bed. The Obamas used to sleep in. <laughs> DeSantis is ready to eliminate multiple major federal agencies. So I don't believe this, 
Um, but it would be great if it turns out to be true, although it doesn't look like he's going to get a shot, at least in 2025. It looks like he's going to have to wait, and, and he's going to at least have to hope that whatever damage this campaign has done in the eyes of Trump supporters, that he can somehow fix it by 2028, 20, uh, which I think is possible. I don't think it's like to the point of no return or anything like that, but it's, it hasn't been good. Hasn't been good so far. Of eliminating any agencies, I know conservatives in the past have talked about closing the Department of Education. Would you do that? So we would do education, we would do commerce, we do energy, and we would do IRS. Oh wow, what a shocker! Ron DeSantis is floating the idea of abolishing the IRS. You know, the one government agency that ensures that federal taxes are being paid. How can you imagine defending the IRS? That's unbelievable. How do you defend the IRS? That's insane. Okay. Now, obviously, he's not going to be able to do that. If anything, he'll probably push to further defund the IRS. But uh, of course, what he's trying to message is, let's do away with the bureaucracy. Let's do away with the regulations. But let's also keep it real. It ain't going to happen because all the people surrounding DeSantis are hoping that should he win, they get appointed as the heads of these various federal government agencies. That's how this whole system works. I mean, that probably is how it would go, but we'll have to see. But nonetheless, uh, let's watch more from DeSantis as he tries to spin this into a culture war issue. If Congress will work with me on doing that, we'll be able to reduce uh, the, the size and scope of government. But what I'm also gonna do, Martha, is be prepared. If Congress won't go that far, I'm gonna use those agencies to push back against woke ideology and against the leftism that we see creeping into all institutions of American life. So for example, with Department of Education, we reverse all the transgender sports stuff. Women's sports should be protected. We reverse policies trying to inject the curriculum into our schools. That will all be gone. We will make sure we have an accreditation system for higher ed, which is not trying to foment more things like DEI and CRT. So we'll be prepared to do both. That's a pretty good interview. Like I, I just, the whole thing is, it's just a shame. It's a shame. I said this before, he deserves better than what he's getting with his campaign people. It's it's like, it's almost, I wouldn't be surprised if this turned out to be like a sabotage. I really, this is like, it's crazy. This is a fine interview. He's saying good things. And uh, it's just the people around him are fucking retarded. It's, it's, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. Uh, either way, it'll be a win for conservatives. I got to say, it is impressive that Ron DeSantis manages to spin everything into culture war issues. Mm -hmm. Everything. Well, it's very important, and it's a major part of all the shit that's going on right now. You're just pretending that it's not one of the things that you're using to take over. It's interesting. Thing. Mm -hmm. You know, the, it was on brand. It, that was on brand. This is what its platform is. Mm -hmm. It's. It's nothing. He's doing. He will do nothing for you. That that is what he is actually saying here, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, e either way, it'll be. Well, a no, he's done stuff in Florida. I mean, he has done stuff. He does have a track record in Florida. A win for conservatives, certain conservatives, rich conservatives. It'll, it'll be a win for them. Yeah, <sighs> getting rid of the IRS. I, it's, I'm trying to figure out who that would benefit. Everybody probably, right? Just everyone evenly, all conservatives, poor conservatives probably would benefit from the elimination of the IRS. How does this work? How I'm, just, I'm just so thirsty at this point. I'm so thirsty for actual 
discussion and debate about substantive matters from mm -hmm. our elected lawmakers. I'm so thirsty for it. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, that's probably not going to happen at all. Instead, every because even when you get a debate, they're not going to get it too in depth on anything. Everything is a performance. Let's make no mistake. He, especially when Trump's up there, I'm looking for. I'd love. I'd love to see this. Okay. I don't think she really wants to see him, but it's just not the environment. That's just not the environment we're in. Because you know what's going to happen at these debates. They're going to. If Trump goes to the first one, you're going. Because Biden can't debate anyone. Biden has lost his mind. He can't even talk. Okay. So the best you got is um, uh, the Republican debates. Okay. So let's say Trump goes to the first one. Well, you know who the moderators are going to be. So they're going to try to do a Megyn Kelly thing again with Trump. And all it's going to be is Trump against everyone in the moderators. Now, I like that because that's very entertaining. Um, but I can understand if you're a person that wants substantive policy debate. Yeah, yes, you're not getting out there. You're, you're getting a circus. But, uh, you know, I happen to like circuses, but I, I hear you. I hear you. Everything is theater. Okay, I feel like I'm like forever like affixed to a seat at the Pantages Theater yeah. watching the worst like sh theater Correct. show imaginable yeah. it'll it just won't end it that won't sounded, end that sounded good at first it did but, but it not didn't. if the show's bad <laughs> right. i don't want that yeah um the see the question is and i i don't buy her i don't buy her pivot but i would think that if you're sitting at this show and then someone jumps on the scene that that is it how would you decide? I don't know. Bull in China shop. I, that uh, someone that there's at least a small chance he tears it down. There's at least a small chance Trump tears it all down. Okay. If you're bored, wouldn't you start rooting for the bull in the China shop? I would think you would. But anyway, I get your thirst mm -hmm. for policy, and like I don't think that if I, if I can speak for you, I don't think that we're unreasonable to want at least some form of conservatives pushing policy. In my pre-show this morning on the damage report, I spawned a possible uh, sort of an industrial reinvigoration policy for the right wing uh -huh. that relies on vicious xenophobia against China to call for massive investment into uh, basically American industry that would uh, wipe wipe clean uh, the Chinese dominance on things like building, like they talk about, you know, the the wind farms and everything. Mm -hmm. We don't. If that's it's xenophobic to not let China dominate. Spoken like a true cuck. We don't have the wind farms. They're built in China. Okay, then we'll build it. Mm. We'll put massive investments into doing that until nobody wants to buy the Chinese ones. They'll buy ours instead. We're going to build all of the chips. We're gonna, like they could ride away. That's xenophobic. Amazing. Of xenophobia to a reinvigorated American working industrial but base. John, but they don't so even do that. Sweet, sweet John. Sweet, sweet, naive. Is it not John. racist enough? But John, you are making. So it's racist to not want China to just dominate everything. Making the mistake of thinking mm -hmm. that these lawmakers have any interest in, you know, pressuring corporations to bring jobs back here in the United States. Give them money, Subset. free money for the rich. We already do free so much of that. Free money for corporations. So you're saying subsidize them. His voice is higher than hers. To basically make up. Subsidize an energy company that isn't already wildly profitable. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. a novel idea. Yeah.
Look, they just they have no interest in that. They have I, no clearly interest not. in it, right? And and look, what corporations and what their corporate donors want more than anything is the freedom and the ability to exploit cheap labor in any country. So if if anything, the warmongering, the xenophobic nonsense toward China is going to essentially lead to these corporations moving these jobs to another country, possibly Mexico, for instance. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that pattern or that trend has been ongoing anyway. But you do make a good point. I mean, there are opportunities for Republican lawmakers to actually do something that would be beneficial economically for the American people. And maybe that would mitigate some of the backlash they're experiencing as a result of rolling back reproductive rights, which has not been popular among the electorate. But they've got no interest in that. And of course, it's extremely unlikely that Ron DeSantis would be able to abolish all of these federal agencies. However, I do want to focus a little more on the IRS and the incessant attacks by Republican lawmakers toward the IRS. So just this January, House Republicans had a plan to abolish the IRS. Remember the very silly Fair Tax Act? You don't remember, I'll remind you. The House of Representatives is planning to vote on a Republican bill that would abolish the national income tax, payroll tax, and estate tax, and replace it with a regressive tax, a single national consumption or sales tax on the purchase of goods and services. If passed, the Fair Tax Act would implement a 23% consumption tax on gross payments and also eliminate the IRS, which supporters say would no longer be needed. <laughs> I don't know, John, seems like a really well thought out plan. What well, do you I mean, think? if it's not needed, if they don't need it, if the rich don't think that we need it, they are the ones with the money, I guess that they would know. They they just they just keep doing this over and over and over again. It's not popular. It can't win you a national election, but they just keep doing it because there are no standards whatsoever. Not only amongst do they right wing keep, voters. Not only do they keep doing it. This this effort dates back to the 1990s. So in 1999, everything up in here. <laughs> they were trying to dismantle Republicans specifically. Were trying to dismantle the IRS. Sadly, they have effectively accomplished that goal when it comes to dismantling the IRS and its ability to audit the wealthiest tax Bullshit. dodgers. Something that Bullshit. we talk about quite often That's here. a waste of time because those people can get lawyers and it's a complete waste of time. If they have more staff, they will audit more poor people and more middle class people. So per a report from the IRS, taxpayers earning $1 million or more were subject to an audit rate of just 0.7% in 2019, which was a sharp decline from 7.2% in 2011. So congratulations, GOP, well yeah. done. You did right by your corporate donors who tend to want to dodge their taxes and not pay their fair share. These economic populists, why don't we give yeah, them a total bullshit. round of what applause. An and Ron DeSantis, great performance, <laughs> great performance. <laughs> so pathetic. Thanks for watching the young a retard. Or this new one, now they postponed it a year, but the fucking windfall they're gonna get uh, with this, um, what is it, 600 bucks or more, and uh, a 1099 goes to the IRS. There's going to be a fuck ton of people that have no idea. Mima's selling shit on eBay, like maybe Mima went, in, went into the uh, garage and said to her son, you know what, why don't, you, why don't we sell this? And the son lists a bunch of things on eBay, sell it. And then uh, they're going to get a 1099 if they miss it, then usually it'll take a few years, get all that penalties and interest to go up. 
then the IRS is going to just punch him in the face. Hey, remember that $600? Well, now with interest and penalties and everything, you owe us hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands. Oh, yeah, that's going to be great. That's going to be great. But we'll see. They postponed it one year. Maybe they'll postpone it another year. It's fucking crazy. Um, let's see. Trump makes bizarre... Oh, actually, um, I don't know why it didn't come on screen. But uh, Mojack420 in Entropy says, My white privilege is paying off. I got on my flight. Two old white guys are flying and no fat hog oozing into my space. That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, especially you got these big fat hogs, like the ones that made the TikTok videos. You got these entitled hogs that, like, uh, they're just gigantic and they're blaming everyone else for the fact that they're huge. Crazy. All right, thank you, Mojack. Appreciate that, sir. Um, Trump makes bizarre promise to ban Marxists and communists. Yeah, that sounds great. This sounds great. Using federal law in section 212F of the Immigration and Nationality Act, I will order my government to deny entry to all communists and all Marxists. Those who come to and join our country must love our country. We want them to love our country. We don't want them when they want to destroy our country. Welcome to America. We want to destroy your country. Thank you very much. So we're going to keep foreign, Christian-hating, communists, Marxists, and socialists out of America. Trump claimed that uh, should he get reelected as president of the United States, one of the first orders of business would be to ban the immigration of Marxists and communists into the United <laughs> States. And he specifically mentioned... Let me guess, they're going to act like it's impossible to identify a communist. What even is a communist? And uh, section 212F, 212, what do you say? 212F? He says everything in a comical way. Anyway, um, so he's referring to the uh, Immigration and Nationality Act, Section 212F. And uh, I looked that up to make sure that it states what he claims it's stating. Yeah, because you never know. You never know, of course. And uh, unfortunately, it does. Oh, I'm, just I'm telling you, I'm telling you. The people, look, this country was built by some smart motherfuckers. Okay. They already put the mechanisms in place. And then on top of that, these idiot communists showed us the other ways to marginalize them. The blueprint is there. The laws are already in place. I'm not saying don't pass more laws. I'm saying there are already laws in place. And then on top of that, the cultural marginalization. Because there has to be a legal marginalization of the commies and a cultural marginalization. They just showed us over the past decade or more how to culturally marginalize them. So all we have to do to them is what they tried to do to us, especially after the whole gay marriage thing. Because that's when they started really huffing their own farts and they started really going after conservatives, particularly on college campuses. So they made it where if you're a conservative, you get fired. We'll, we'll make it if you're a commie, you get fired. And the thing about that is, from what I understand, that's legal to fire someone for being a commie. So there you go. It's all right there and it's completely legal. Oh, man. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. That would be a fucking... That's that's a moonshot, what I'm talking about. That would be... That, you know, that's like if we win and everything goes great. Probably won't happen. Not the easiest task. 
But, you know, you can shoot, you shoot, you shoot, aim high. You know, what do they say? Reach for the stars. Reach for the stars. We'll just, you know, we have, we have to have high aims and high goals. <laughs> Interested to see how he would enforce this exactly, but we'll figure uh, it, out. it writes that the, the provision authorizes the president to suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens whose entry he finds would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. The provision has been in the INA since the INA's uh, original enactment in 1952. And the INA, of course, is the Immigration and Nationality Act. Yeah, so uh, first question, of course, is, which wave of communists did I miss? Was there like a giant influx of Marxists in the country? Oh we- yeah, guys, what, what even is going on? There's not been an f- influx of Marxists in this country for decades. Just didn't hear about it? Yeah, there's not been a total communist infiltration of all the institutions. No, what is even happening? They don't even exist. <laughs> Um, oh, totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, everyone should be cons- all the capitalists should be concerned. They are being overpowered by the Marxists and communists in the country. Yeah, and and the ones that are coming in from abroad—that's <laughs> specifically the only people that are that could begin to fit that description are Cubans that go to Florida. They're not communists. They're no, escaping communism, yeah. right? But. They're at least a wave from a communist country, right? But other than that, I've never heard of a wave of communists washing ashore in America or any place. I mean, so what's he gonna? So what does that mean? Does it mean he's gonna ban some rando Marxist professor from entering? Listen, this is absurd. This is what this means, okay? It's a performance. So congratulations, Trump. Another wonderful performance from Donald Trump, right? It's theater. There's no real action behind it. There's no real proposal behind it. It's signaling to his supporters and Republican voters that this is what he stands for. This is the performative nonsense he wants to engage in to send a message. Yeah, and so, but there's two other layers to it. And so this is important, guys. Number one, Republicans set traps for the left and hope that they fall into them. So the flag burning was the classic one, right? So when we say, well, yeah, well, technically burning a flag is protected by the First Amendment, mm-hmm. they go, aha, they like burning flags, right? And that works spectacularly. Even though you're thinking logically that shouldn't work, it does. Because all that anybody hears is, Democrats like burning flags, right. okay? In this case, he's saying, oh, we're gonna ban the Marxists and communists. And you go, well, what are you gonna, like I said, you're gonna ban a random professor? That does, that's not right, right? And then they go, aha, the Democrats are protecting Marxists and communists because they like them so much. That's the trick that's being played here. He does, and then he sprinkles in a second one about how much he loves America. And you shouldn't underestimate that one. Democrats make a giant mistake when they don't talk about when they say that they don't love America or they don't go along with that type of stuff. A lot of Americans, including ones in the middle, they don't like any talk of not liking America. And so it's, it I'm might still, sound- I'm still mad at those LARPers over in Poland. <laughs> That's true, I mean, biggest American defender over here. coping over it. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, so guys, it sounds unsophisticated and dumb, but there's actually some decent political strategy buried underneath that. Now. The theater continues, not necessarily with Donald Trump, but a Florida senator named Rick Scott, a man who is notorious for engaging in Medicare fraud, which led to the largest settlement by a company engaged in medical Medicare fraud in American history. But nonetheless, he put out this super awkward video where he essentially says the same thing Trump said. Let me give you a, a travel warning, if you're a socialist, 
communist, somebody that believes in big government, I would think twice. Think twice if you're thinking about taking a vacation or moving to Florida. We're the free state of Florida. We actually don't believe in socialism. We actually know people, and we some people are saying lived under it. And we know people lived under socialism. It's not good. It's not good for anybody. So if you're thinking about it, if you think about coming to Florida and you're a socialist or communist, think twice. We like freedom, liberty, capitalism, things like that. So I appreciate the sentiment. His delivery is not great, but I appreciate the sentiment. And so uh, any sort of anti-communist sentiment, I'll take. I don't care who it's from. I don't care where where it is. Uh, would I prefer a better delivery? Absolutely. Do I give a fuck about Rick Scott? No, I don't. But uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. It is it is interesting how you're you're just seeing more of this, and. Um, you know, it's it's in its infancy, and I I don't have high hopes, but uh, you know, that's that's uh, interesting. I'll Things like it. that. I, I'm wondering it. how many takes he he had uh, before he settled on that one and that video. Not the greatest delivery, and I should note that he's facing re-election in 2024. As I mentioned earlier, Rick Scott is a United States senator from the state of Florida, where there is a sizable population of anti-communist Cubans there, Venezuelans as well. And so he's just signaling to them, he's just messaging to them in an effort to get re-elected. That's what this is really about. The idea that Florida would issue a travel advisory banning you know socialist communist well, the jogger double acp issued one of those so they're just doing the same thing marxists from traveling to their state is insane but more <laughs> importantly the other thing i want to just quickly mention is you know people get mad at me when i both sides these types of situations but i'm going to both sides it because while rick scott is engaging in a political stunt and theater in lieu of actual governing and legislation You get the same thing on the other end of the political spectrum, on the other side of the aisle. Because just a few months ago, you had Democrats issuing travel advisories, telling people don't travel to Florida because it's super dangerous. So the Hill reported on it at the time. Scott's statement is a mocking response to recent travel issued by social justice groups declaring Florida an unsafe state for certain minority groups. The NAACP issued a travel advisory warning that Florida has become hostile to black Americans under Governor Ron DeSantis, the League of United Latin American Citizens, a civil rights organization, and Equality Florida, an LGBTQ rights group also issued travel warnings. The the League of United Latin American Citizens engaging in this when South Florida is one of the most diverse (laughs) parts of the country when it comes to various Latin American cultures being represented. Like, guys, isn't there real work to do? Yeah, so look, um, I I agree with you, Anna, with one little bit of an exception, which is the LGBTQ groups. I get it. I agree. I mean, they passed specific laws against that group in Florida. And if you're a little concerned- Bullshit, not if you're a normal person. If you're not a groomer, you got nothing to worry about. And about traveling to Florida because uh, you know of how disgusting their politicians are and the laws that they've passed. I get that. Okay, but, but the yeah. other thing I want to just mention, I was just in Florida, right? I was in Key West. Duval Street is like there there are gay flags everywhere. Yep. 
Okay, there's debauchery. Yeah, and no one gives a fuck about that. The issue is that you got to stop talking to the kids about sexuality. That's it. And 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 if you don't stop, eventually, I think the backlash will be so strong that all those flags you're talking about on that street, that shit's going to be removed. Okay, it, it, this is the thing, like, they, if they don't stop, this shit might get outright banned. They might just say, fuck the whole thing. And I'm not the only one that's had enough. You know, I've had enough, and I, but my, my stance is that, um, you know, if the problems get resolved, um, then I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a complete ban. But, I'll, but if you can, if, if you do do a complete ban, you're not going to get opposition from me. I just want the problem resolved. Whoever resolves it, whatever. I, I don't, you know. So if we go back to a kind of a live and let live atmosphere that's free of commies, which I know is not possible, but let's just say that, okay, I'll take that. But I'm also noticing that there's more people that are, that are like me, that are thinking, that are just, they've had enough. And I think people like that are going to go along with whatever, as long as, you know, the, the kids, are, these people stay away from the kids. So they keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and and eventually they might find themselves uh, like just outright banned. And uh, you know, you would think that maybe that would cause some of the activists to chill the fuck out and be like, all right, well, maybe we won't go after the kids. No, 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 they're tripling down. They're tripling down. Free and fun and pride everywhere. So like, look, are there certain parts of Florida where? gay people, members of the LGBTQ community might feel a little bit of hostility, I'm sure. But to say that all of Florida is super dangerous, don't go to Florida, it's dangerous, it's a little crazy. Yeah, so uh, my point is, if you feel uncomfortable, right? Like, let's say that, uh, not let's say, why in Oklahoma passed a law saying uh, banning Sharia law. Now, what does that mean? That just means we're hostile to Muslims. And so uh, I was a little concerned because I had a nephew who lives in Oklahoma, who lived in Oklahoma. And so I was like, dude, don't let people know you're Muslim because they kind of don't like you there, right? So I get all that. But I, and I love the NAACP and they and their leaders have been on the show many- Can you imagine loving the NAACP? <laughs> many times, but it was a little, I think this was a publicity stunt and not a, not a great one, okay? so. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the Latino group that did it. it. We can all have disagreements about it. So this Rick Scott is partly striking back and partly doing the trick that I talked about earlier with Trump. Uh, we're going to try to get Democrats to associate themselves with uh, communists and socialists, etc. Right? Well, they're now, happy to do that because that's what they are. Having said all that, it is really dumb. Um, like I'm going to go to Florida in about a month. So I'm, now I'm a capitalist, but. I like Democratic Socialists. I like Bernie Sanders. Is Bernie Sanders not allowed to go to Florida anymore? He's saying that this is formal. He said, formally, you are not to come. What are they going to do? I don't even gonna, know what that means. They're going to place him under arrest? Yeah, <laughs> and, and he also included people who like big government. Well, I mean, I don't like big government that invades Iraq and that- Are uh, you kidding me? It's between you and your doctor, but there are parts of big government that I like. Am I not allowed in Florida? No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. How many state lawmakers are for big government? To the point where they're getting involved in like every little bit of curriculum in schools, where they're like engaging in, in you know legislation that would basically dictate whether or not parents can provide gender affirming care. They they just passed a, an abortion ban past six weeks. Come on, 
You guys love big government. By the way, both sides love big government for different reasons. So everyone shut up and stop pretending like you don't. Yeah, every Republican politician in Florida loves, loves, loves big government. Well, I'm not gonna let that woman make the decision for her. The jackbooted thugs of the government should make that personal decision for her. So yes, of whether or not she should murder her baby. Oh, women should be the only gender allowed to decide to murder, but not men. Jeremy, okay, last thing. Look at the contrast between Scott and Trump. Like. Rick Scott is so awkward. He's such a bad politician. Whereas Trump's like two and two, if uh, everything he says is funny, right? Yeah. And whether you like him or not, whether you're entertained by him or not, is not relevant. Look at his face. Whether the whether so his awesome. voters are entertained <laughs> and like him is what's relevant, right? Yeah, that's a that's showman a right face. there, for better and for worse, right? Rick Scott's like, uh, uh you know, look, I, I like I said, I don't think Anna's pivot is organic. And, and I can only go by myself, but I'm telling you, <clears throat> there was something about, and I wasn't like anti-Trump. I was like, this is crazy. This guy has no, this is when I was a normie fucking retard. I was like, this is crazy. This guy, he has no experience. It was just kind of whatever. And I was watching CNN for real, okay? Um, and something about that Rosie O'Donnell thing and how much I laughed at that, that did kind of, that softened me. That softened me. <clears throat> I'm not saying that's happening to Anna because I don't believe Anna is or is real. That's the thing. This is a career move. Um, but I do think it's possible that she pivots to the point, I'm not saying that she'd be pro-Trump, but if she thinks, if she somehow is able to kind of <clears throat> pivot away from TYT, and she finds some success doing that, I wouldn't be surprised. I, you might see this with other people too, especially if it's clear. Like, look what just happened with, with the Dana Carvey making fun of Fauci. The coast is clear. So now you're going to see more people making fun of Fauci because the coast is clear. Eventually, the coast is going to be clear on Trump stuff. And you're going to see more people pivot. And uh, I hope people don't buy it, but we'll see. We'll see. Get away, commies. You bad, bad. We like capitalism yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> okay, and every time I see Rick Scott, I get disgusted with the Democratic Party. Why? They lost to that guy three times, even though he is one of the biggest criminals in American history. In American history. I somehow doubt that. And he sucks at politics, and the Democrats are like, how would we beat him? I don't know. God, such a pathetic party. Thanks for watching the Young Turks. All right, now we got. Uh, let's see. Trump meltdown. Trump melts down in all caps rant as the walls close in. We're back to the walls closing in. Oh, I think this is David Pakman. All right, before we move on to voicemails and other things, I do want to just close the loop on this arc that we've looked at today the leaked Trump audio recording, Trump telling semaphore, I didn't actually have documents I was referring to. Alina Habba, Trump's lawyer, saying in an interview, we don't even really know anything about anything ever. Uh, Donald Trump imploding in an all capital letters rant on Truth Social, Truth Central. where he said, quote, if I wasn't running for president or if I was losing badly in the polls, I am winning by record numbers and against Biden also. I would never have been fake indicted. Of course, the indictments are very real. 
Likewise, if the very corrupt Democrats truly wanted to run against me, I wouldn't have been indicted. It is all a badge of honor and courage. I am being indicted for you. Nothing in that screed makes any sense whatsoever. Yep, it's incomprehensible, David. The indictment is real. It has nothing to do with corrupt Democrats. It no, has nothing, to nothing to do at all to do with Joe Biden. It has nothing to do with nothing to do with Joe Biden. Trump's polling. Whatsoever. No, not at all. Trump continuing. Please remember that the only reason I was indicted election interference is because the Democrats don't want to run against me. Actually, they do. You're polling worse than DeSantis. Why wouldn't they uh, that's a, again? It's amazing. David Pakman just blatantly lies and the audience goes along with it. That's amazing. They weaponized the DOJ and FBI. Donald I, Trump is polling worse than Ron DeSantis. And beating Amazing. crooked Joe Amazing. Biden in virtually every poll. That is untrue. DeSantis is beating him, but you're not. And uh, he's again totally made up. That's totally made up. We have multiple national polls showing Trump uh, up on Biden. Easily beat him in the last election, but the election was rigged. This is untrue. Joe Biden. That, that's a lie. Won. In 2016, it was the same thing spewed from the mouths of the same failed pundits and losers. They said I couldn't beat Hillary. How did that work out? Doug Schoen of Fox News should get a new playbook. And then lastly, talking about his visit in uh, in New Hampshire, three people in New Hampshire asked me why Fox News uses such horrible pictures of me when doing or promoting a story. I'm sure they were crying, right? The coloring distortions, everything are just so bad. They must sit and look at 100 different shots and then take the 10 absolute worst. My staff has even complained about it for months, but to no avail. Folks, this is the guy who criticizes others for being snowflakes and triggered, who doesn't like the pictures they're using of him on Fox. Fox is just bad news, he goes on to say, but I'm leading in the polls by record numbers. So perhaps their bull is just not working. They are down 37% for a reason. Trump is crumbling. There's no yeah, other way. Trump to say it. is crumbling, guys. Say it. Trump is crumbling. He doesn't know what argument to make at this point in time. None of the arguments are working. All They're over. all lies. They don't make sense. They're not legal yeah. arguments. All we can over. only hope. And remember, this isn't me going. We can only hope he gets life in prison. We can only hope that justice transpires. That's called. I would love some justice. I'd love for you to get some justice. That would be hilarious. Trump says he wasn't really holding up documents. All right, this one I hope you're sitting down for. Oh, yeah. Or, or oh, at yeah. least braced or attached to something because this is like nothing I have ever seen. Just when it seems as though there is nowhere else to go, there is no place to hide for Donald Trump now that this audio tape has come out where Trump has clearly heard shuffling papers and saying these are secret documents, these are classified documents, I can't show you this stuff, I shouldn't be showing you this stuff. Trump was interviewed yesterday after his speech in New Hampshire by the publication Semaphore and Trump's new claim is he wasn't actually holding up any documents. It was just like golf related documents. <laughs> golf. Uh, he's you can hear him shuffling papers. He's saying these are secret documents, but there weren't actually any documents. He was just playing it up. Look at this article. This is by Shelby Talcott for Semaphore. It was bravado. Trump says he wasn't holding up classified documents in the 2021 meeting referred to on the tape. Look at these quotes. I would say it was bravado 
If you want to know the truth, it was bravado. Trump said in an interview aboard his plane with Semaphore and ABC News. I was talking and just holding up papers and talking about them, but I had no documents. I didn't have any documents. Um, the late the latest comment suggested a new potential legal argument from Trump that he was overselling the material he was showing to an aide and people working on a biography of Mark Meadows in a recording. Quote, well, I again, is this, isn't this amazing? They still are pretending that this is part of the indictment. This is not part of the indictment. And they are pretending that Trump is now making a legal argument against something that is not in the fucking indictment. Amazing. Just held up a whole pile of my desk is loaded up with papers. I have papers from 25 different things, he said, adding he kept relevant news articles about topics like Iran on hand. At one point, Trump gestured to the seat next to him on the plane where a stack of various papers, newspapers, copies of his speech, printouts of articles sat. He grabbed some from the pile and placed them in front of him, moving the round, moving them around as he spoke and offering up a physical reenactment of what he said was occurring on the audio tape. Did I use the word plans? What I'm referring to is magazines, newspapers, plans of buildings. I had plans of buildings, you know, building plans. I had plans for a golf course. Asked if he had any regrets about his handling of classified documents. Trump said, no, no, I have no regrets. I didn't have a classified doc document. There was no classified document on my desk. Wow. Um, this is like nothing I've ever seen or heard. Of. No, it, the, here's the unprecedented new position. Yes, Trump does refer to documents on the audio recording. Yes, you hear papers shuffling around. Yes, there were papers on Trump's desk. And yes, Trump uses the word plans, but these were not classified plans to attack Iran. These were golf course plans <laughs> for for a golf course Trump planned to build. And he was just trying to impress the people around him. Now, of course, the problem is there are witnesses who have testified that these really were documents related. There's witnesses who testified uh, uh, on something that's not included in the indictment, David to military plans and defense really? information. That's a little bit of a problem. It may be a problem if Trump tries to use this. Really? It's a problem argument in court. Hmm. Um, and of course, the other problem is that this is explanation number seven or eight for the exact same thing. There were classified documents, but they were declassified. Oh, there were classified documents, but I had the right to have them and they are de facto declassified just by virtue of me having. Them. Oh, there were no documents at all. There were papers, but they weren't classified documents. There were classified documents, but I didn't take them. The FBI planted them or there might have been some documents in boxes along with clothes and mementos, as these people call them. I don't know why they say mementos instead of the word mementos. They just make up words. I don't know, uh, but it, it's, it's just completely crazy. Now, I want to add one other commentary here, and I think that this is an important thing to mention. There are some people on the revolutionary left. I, I know that some people call them tankies. I'm trying to be as least pejorative as possible. The, the sort of like pro Putin left, the revolutionary left, the folks who like Maduro in Venezuela or Castro or these types of folks. There are some on the revolutionary left who are saying this is I'm not even going to name names. This is this entire leaked audio recording story is another example of the corporate media ignoring the good things about Trump. These plans to attack Iran 
Trump didn't want to attack Iran. I got a few emails about this from revolutionary leftists saying, David, why won't you be honest and tell the real story? The real story is the media hates Trump because when he was given that plan to attack Iran, he didn't want to do it. Now, there's a whole yeah, bunch. That's part of it. That's, a, that's an argument. I, I, I think that's a reasonable argument. Two different things that could be said, including that presidents are presented with every option all the time. And the idea that someone was pushing him to attack Iran and he didn't want to do it, we don't even know that to be true. Oh, bullshit. But you have to remember, Trump has no idea what he's for or against. He might be for or against attacking Iran today. He might have been for or against attacking Iran on the day that he was presented with those plans or on the David is in the mind of Donald Trump. The day that he showed someone that it doesn't matter. Trump doesn't know anything about Iran. He doesn't know anything about foreign policy. It is irrelevant to whether Trump committed the crimes for which he's been arrested, whether on that day or on the day before or on the day after he wanted to attack Iran or not. And the revolutionary leftists who are saying there's no story here other than Trump really was against wars and he was against war with Iran. You are just flat out wrong. That is not the story here. The story here is they've got Trump dead to rights on an audio. Yeah, the story here is what the media says it is. Real recording committing the exact says totally not a Democrat, independent commentator, totally not a homosexual David Pagman at crimes that he's been charged for. Now, what is his lawyer saying about it? Let's talk about that next. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have some breaking news here. All right, we have some uh, breaking news from the Internet from Amy in Connecticut. This is breaking pimp on a blimp news. Oh, that sounds like Mr. Alex Stein. Let's have a look, see what he's up to. What's going on here? Okay, here we go. Thank you. Um, we have one witness remaining. Uh, call to the dais, Alex Stein. <laughs> this is going to be ridiculous. This is going to be absolutely ridiculous. Water. My mic on. Last time I didn't have it on. You guys are crazy. Y'all never turn it on. I got Selvina got the camera out. I'm primetime 99. So I sued y'all and you guys are auto settling because you guys don't believe in free speech. And I'm a pimp on a blimp. And I want to say I love New York. This Pride Month has been so great. I've had so much anal sex. <laughs> I learned this new song. You ready? Jizz on my face. Jizz on my face. I need that jizz post haste. Stick oh that God. dick deep in my shit. Oh my I God. want it in my poopy zone. I want to oh be a poopy God. clone. I love poop and gay <laughs> sex. Pride Month is the very best. That's why I stick it deep in your butt. Yes, that blood's not from a cut, it's from the insertion, cause I stick it deep, cause I am an anal super freak, I love free speech, it's so great, oh when I walk God. down the street and see some gay sex oblate in front of my face, I love gay sex and the taste of jizz sticking in my mouth, jizz, jizz, I love it so much, I love pride, it's the best month, I love pride, I love it so much! Oh, so I learned that God. song last night at Pride. My girl AOC was there. AOC, I miss you, baby. I'm sorry. Please unblock me. I want to talk to you on Twitter. And also, Oswald, Oswald, I had some anal last night. 
you would be jealous of. And I know you guys are all homosexuals because everybody <laughs> in the city is a homosexual. And I love it. I just, when the guys, they whip out their things and they slap it on my face, it brings me back to the locker room. Oh, my God. The locker room God. of Leah Thomas, my oh favorite pro athlete. Oh, my God. Leah Thomas, I'm swimming for you. I'm swimming for the marginalized. I'm swimming for the ones that can't swim for themselves. I'm primetime 99. I'm a pimp on a blimp. And I love gay sex. And I love it with a dildo. I love it with a person. I love it with a transgender. I love transgenders. I love transgenders. I love transgenders. I love them. Thank you. It's primetime sign on Instagram. Is this old or oh, did he just do run this? Like shit. Bro, that was Google that. That was gold. Pimp on a blimp. What's your name? Detective Bronson. What's that, Detective? Detective. You know, what do you think about all the crime in your city? What about all the fentanyl drug overdoses? You worry about that, officer? You care about the drug overdoses? No, I don't have to leave. Are you saying, are you kicking me out? Okay, good. I'll hang out. What is going on? And see, now I'm getting followed. See how worried they are about me? Why? Because I got a camera and I'm going to expose him and make their city look like a joke, which it is. I mean, look at this place. It's a disgrace. New York City was once a great Mecca, but now it has become a drug infested, basically prostitution zone where if you go to City Hall, you see they have really cool pictures with paint. Like, oh, it's so cool. Oh, graffiti. We like it when people graffiti and make a mess of our city. And then we have this detective. Is there a high requirement for being a detective in New York City? Is there a height requirement? There's not. You don't have to be six feet to ride this ride. No, I'm here to talk. What are you here? What do you here? What do you want to talk about? Okay. I'm gonna be on YouTube. I'm prime time 99 outside. I'll make you famous. Okay. Are you disrupting everything? I'm not disrupting. I'm here trying to speak. I'm signed up to speak. You signed up to speak? Yeah, and so I just. Why are you in the lobby? Yeah, because I'm trying to go check out this place. Is there, this building was built in when, 1750? You're harassing officers. No, I'm trying to talk you're to the officers. Listen, the they're the ones walking everywhere you're I go. Being racist everywhere. Racist height. Height is racist. Okay, racist put this, let's put this on the racist. internet. On, being short I'll is racist. No. No, I'm done with you guys. No, I'm done. I'm done with you, bozos. I'm done with uh, no, hey, you guys, you think racist to make fun of a short person is racist. Hey, you think making fun of a short person is racist? Yeah, you're really sharp. Okay, here, I'm coming. Call me out for what? Sir. What? You just acted as a heavy fighter. Yeah, and that's racist? On video. On video. I know. Is that racist? You're being stereotypical. A stereotyped racist now? Oh, oh, a stereotyped racist? Okay. Now I'm sick of these. Hey, you have a good day. Okay, that was gold. That was absolutely... That's probably the best one I've ever... This was two days ago. That was the best... Um, City Hall or whatever speech that he's ever given. That was insane. How did they let him get away with that? That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. That was phenomenal. That is, uh, you know, I've, I, I'm not saying he's up there with Andy Kaufman, but there's something yeah i i like him i like him i don't know like you know how i i don't i i like what he does i like that that was that was great he went up to city hall and mocked the shit out of those people and just smushed their faces in it i like that i don't care who does that i i have to like that that's phenomenal that was great <clears throat> i hope he does a lot more i'm just um 
He was talking about a lawsuit. So did he sue for the ability to do that? And he had them kind of in a situation where they couldn't do anything? Because I would think if most people do that, they might cut your mic. But maybe they're not allowed to. Or was there a judge's ruling that they're not allowed to cut his mic? And so he went there and just... That was phenomenal. All right, man. Credit to Alex Stein. That was really fucking... That was... That's, that's the best one of his I've ever seen. 100%. That song was... Phenomenal. That was phenomenal. All right. Let's see. Thank you, uh, Amy from Connecticut. If uh, if you have an article that you want read on stream, uh, $10 and up details in the description. And again, that was breaking news from the internet from Amy from Connecticut. Thank you very much, Amy. Um, where would we leave it? A Trump spirals and rambles incoherently at a dead crowd. Trump spiraling rambling incoherently in New Hampshire yesterday in front of a mostly dead, silent crowd. There were like... Yeah, like, just real quick to go back on the Andy Kaufman thing. Right. It's like... Chat's talking about this. Like, um... There is... There's like no Andy Kaufman and there's nothing. So the bar is super low. So when someone does something like that, it just immediately... It's like, okay, we finally have people doing this kind of shit. He did. I think he was wearing a neck brace. What made me think of Andy Kaufman was a, not, not too long ago. He was wearing a neck, neck brace. And it just totally it reminded me of, of, of Kaufman. Um, also, I think there was an episode where they had the girl. I don't know. She's got bags under her eyes. Maybe she has an iron deficiency from the Tim Pool show. Still kind of a smash, but looks kind of looks like she's having a rough time. Anyway. She was on there, and, and they, they were, and he was like smoking out of a glass pipe. That, I, I thought that was pretty funny. It's just that it's just not something that uh, you see very often. Where and they looked uncomfortable. And I like that when he brings guests on and then does shit, and you can tell they're uncomfortable because it kind of for, it kind of. Um, and, and by the way, people can do things how they want, but you can tell. Like he he doesn't seem afraid. Sometimes he'll have people on, like when he was feeding the banana to the black guy. Uh, and it was so awkward and cringe, but hilarious because that's such an offensive thing to leftists. Um, and then like some of them you could tell were uncomfortable with it. And uh, I like that. It's like a litmus test. Like, uh, so, so the smoke and the... Uh, I don't know what they were smoking. I don't think they were actually smoking meth. But whatever, you could tell like uh, she was kind of hesitant and like uh, it's an interesting social dynamic uh, when he does that shit in front of his guests i like it three or four moments in the entire rambling speech where the crowd seemed to come to life rattled to life by either transphobic or otherwise horrifying comments from trump otherwise sitting there like statues i when i went to the louvre in paris the statues showed more <laughs> signs of life than this crowd. Yep. In Trump. New Trump's finished. New Hampshire. The yesterday. crowd doesn't like him. Today for Donald Trump. Here, Trump tries to shift the attention away from his own crimes and attacks Joe Biden, who is Catholic, of wanting to go after Catholics. Think about that. Of oh, all the. Yeah, I can't believe. Yeah, just be, so because Joe Biden's Catholic, none of the things are happening with the Catholics that Joe Biden's DOJ is persecuting things you could make up about Joe Biden. 
Joe Biden is unique <coughs> in terms of presidential history in that he's one of the very few presidents that is Catholic. John F. Kennedy was Catholic. It might just be uh, Biden and, and uh, JFK who have been our Catholic presidents. But uh, Trump says, oh, he's going to go after Catholics. What? What evidence do you have? Of yeah, that? guys, he what evidence? It's not like there are people that have had their houses raided by the FBI. It's not like he tried to put Mark Halk in jail for 11 years. Prosecutors who release rapists and murderers while persecuting conservatives. And by the way, I understand that the audio is a disaster. It must have been Antifa running audio, but that's that's an issue. That's not our issue. That's the uh, that's the tape here. People of religion, Catholics. How about Catholics? How would a Catholic ever vote for Joe Biden when there's actually an assault on Catholics? I mean, I don't know how many Catholics are. How, who's a Catholic in this room? How would any? It is New Hampshire, so there was that one guy who clapped. Everybody as a Catholic, because specifically Catholics are targeted by the FBI and the DOJ. And then you're supposed to vote for Joe Biden. It doesn't make sense. I will direct a completely overhaul DOJ to investigate every radical district attorney and an AG and a DA, okay? Attorney generals all over the country. It's attorneys general, sir. They're attorneys, they're not generals. They're crooked as hell. A lot of them are really bad. All right, so anyway, there's no evidence that Joe Biden is going after Catholics. It's yeah, guys, no evidence. It's not like the, it came out that the FBI has planted operatives inside uh, Catholics, particularly. It was the, um, the ones that did the Latin math, uh, Latin mass, I believe. The Latin mass, I think is what it was called. And they, they, put, they put in undercovers or whatever, UCs in the Latin Idiotic mass. Idiotic, Joe Biden. Aside from the fact that Joe <coughs> Biden is Catholic, now you could be Catholic and go after Catholics. Aside from that, Joe Biden also isn't doing it. Trump then- So again, blatant, classic David Pakman lie. Re, uh, rehashing his uh, rants about uh, appliances, staying away from the third element of the bathroom here. Sometimes Trump becomes fixated on toilets. He didn't in this clip, but he is very much obsessed with washing machines and dryers. Oh, they want to take away your, your gas stoves. Does anybody like gas better? You cook a lot more than I do. I just switched to induction. I have to tell you, it is phenomenal. I did salute my gas stove as they took it away, though, and I, I was crying. Because I have a lot of friends that are really into the cooking thing, and they say no. gas is better, so... But they yes. want to take it away. They want to take away your washing machines and your dryers. They don't want to give you any water for the washing machine, even though you have so much water, you don't know what the hell to do with it up here. It flows out into the ocean. Or they want to take away your... Yeah. You can have my induction cooktop when you pry it from my cold, dead hands, Joe Biden. By the way, in all honesty, induction is really fantastic. I couldn't recommend it more. Trump again is trying to wrap the audience into being shared victims with his indictment. He's come up with this line. He's using it in those grifty fundraising emails. He's using it in interviews. He says, when they indicted me, they really indicted you, which is of course not true. They indicted him. Democrats, Marxists, communists and fascists, Indict me. I consider it a badge, a great, great, beautiful badge of honor and courage. Remember that there is no evidence of Marxist prosecutors. Yeah, right no, now. there's no communists and Marxists. Show me the Marxists. They don't exist. And then, of course, when you show him one, he goes, well, you have to show me one that's as powerful as the president. Because I'm being indicted for you. Democrats, <laughs> Marxists, communists. Uh. And <laughs> 
this has just gotten so dumb where, you know, maybe the reason the crowd is dead is they've heard this stuff a million times. I once went to a great I've told the story before. I went to a Billy Joel concert and Billy Joel came out and said, I don't have any new stuff to play for you. And the crowd <coughs> went absolutely wild because everybody wants to hear the hits with Trump. He's been giving the same speech for three and a half years at this point. No, we've all heard it a million times. We know the trans swimmer. You don't like the trans swimmer and you showed Abdul a picture of your house. We've heard it a million times. Here's Trump talking about Ron DeSantis. We have clips of Ron where he had a closed state. We will close our state. We will. He was closed. Now he says, oh, we were so open. He wasn't open. There were some governors like Henry McMaster, because I didn't make anybody close. It was a federalist program. The Democrats all closed. Some governors closed. Some governors closed for a short time. Georgia was closed a little bit for a short time. They did a very good job. Um, it was a little bit closed. It's sort of like you, you're a little bit pregnant. Is this, the state is somewhat closed. Oh, really? Wow, that's interesting. South, if you look at South Dakota, Christy open. did a very good job. She Wide was open. open. She kept it open. And some others, they did a very good job. Uh, but Ron was actually strongly closed. Remember, he closed the beaches, closed the highways. He didn't want anybody on those highways. Remember, those highways were closed. We want everybody locked in. He would make very threatening speeches, you know, because he's a tough guy. And uh, but then all of a sudden he's campaigning. I didn't close. I didn't close. And the, the media, yeah. the fake. I have to tell you, I, I have I found no evidence that Ron DeSantis closed the highways. I'm not aware <clears throat> of any any state that closed highways. I may be wrong and I will correct it at the start of the show tomorrow. But closed highways not making sense. Trump claims that CNN's failed former CEO Chris Licht was fired because they had a Trump town hall that got great ratings, which is very stupid. Why would you do? Why would you fire a guy for great ratings with The Apprentice? What do you think? How important? In other words, how important was The Apprentice? Yeah. No. OK, it's very. She said she's never seen it. That's like, I don't know. I think I'm not insulted by that. She said, <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, just a little rumor that goes around. They blamed this guy, Jeff Zucker, who got fired at CNN. Zucker. I got him his job and then he got fired, but it took too long to fire him. How about CNN? We did the CNN town hall. Did anybody see it? So it was a ratings bonanza for them. I did it because I was going into enemy territory, but they get <laughs> lousy ratings. And so I'm sure oh, there goes their camera. Just their camera just went off. Who cares? Their camera just went off. <laughs> it didn't. The little red light, and all of a sudden, what happened to that red light? But you know what? So CNN, they get, so I walk in, and they, they, I could see the level of hostility was incredible. But think of it. They fired the head of CNN, and he had the highest rated show in 11 years. It is not true that Trump's town hall was the highest rated show in 11 years. They fired him because the entire CNN apparatus has had like 40, 50 percent reduced ratings, which is a nightmare. And then lastly, Trump capping off this completely unhinged speech by saying, how can they arrest me if I'm a candidate? Candidates can't get arrested, apparently. But they are fighting me. They, they even tried to have me arrested. I'm a candidate. I said, wait a minute, I'm a candidate. You're arresting a candidate? Yeah, yeah, because you're leading. That's why we're arresting. Well, it's because you uh, appear, appear to have committed crimes. And so this is another story. When Trump gets arrested, it's an arrest of all of his followers, metaphorically. And the reason they arrested him was because he's leading the Republican primary, which, of course, makes no sense because DeSantis does better against Joe Biden in general election polling. Why would you try to hurt the campaign? of the guy that you are more likely to be able to defeat in November of 2024. It doesn't make any sense, my friends.
Folks, after the break, I am going to play for you maybe one of the most insane clips of the year. Okay, so stay with us. I think he's, is he talking about, apparently Howard Stern, oh, let's actually get to that. The, Howard Stern loves David Pakman. So, All so, right, this is a really great. So, so just to show you how much of a bitch David Pakman is, okay. Howard Stern comes out and says that he likes David Pakman. Now, I have no respect for Howard Stern. Uh, the old Howard Stern uh, was definitely influential, you know, from the 90s. I, I think he, uh, he, he was fantastic. But the new Howard Stern, the one that's alive now, he's horrible. Anyway, but apparently I guess David likes Howard Stern. So this mega guy says that he likes your show. And what does David do in classic David Pakman fashion? Complains that Stern won't buy a membership. What a fucking bitch David Pakman is. Amazing. Great thing. Howard Stern is a big fan of the David Pakman show. There was like a 10 minute segment on yesterday's Howard Stern show where he basically just sang the praises of the show. And it's just such a great thing. So many of you I know also watch or listen to the Howard Stern show. Many of you know that I've been in Howard's audience since I was like 14. My mom would be driving me to high school and I'd listen to the seven minutes of the show that I could uh, in the car on the way. And I have always been wondering, would there be anything that I could do on the show that would get me on the radar of the Howard Stern show? And I didn't really do anything other than just doing the show. And it turns out Howard is a fan. Check this out. This is very cool. But I will tell you, there is something not so cool in this, which we're going to get to in a moment. But check this out. So many of you writing to me yesterday about it. You ever watch this guy on the uh, Internet? His name is uh, David Pakman. You ever see him? No, I've heard that name, though. What is what is well, he? I don't, I, 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 I don't know. I, I have a YouTube uh, subscription, so I just watch different things on YouTube and this he's, he seems like he's a kid. I don't know how old he is. I, I love that. I mean, that that I. That is maybe the best part of the entire thing. I love that uh, I seem like a kid. But he looks like a kid lately to me, but he's like a young guy and he, he talks politics. Yeah. He's like a commentator on, and he's really good. And I'm just wondering who he is and what he's done. I, I end up watching everything he does. Folks, folks. I think you can subscribe to his channel. Absolutely. Which I don't do, like I don't. Oh pay for it. I get the free feed. You know? Oh, you got to be kidding me, Howard. Seems... Do you give him a like or anything? Do you do anything no. for him? No, I don't give anybody any likes. <laughs> oh, that. I don't like anything, but I do like the guy, just not giving a like. Oh. That's so dumb. Like, give me likes. We need those likes, though, please. I have friends who are really into likes. Like, how come you didn't like my this or that? And I go, oh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I like it, but I don't have to tell the world I like it. This is this is very, very good stuff. Like this is really a great, great thing for the show. And I'll tell you, there are some really big people that listen to the Howard Stern show every day. And I've heard from some of them over the last 24 hours. This is really a big deal for the show. I end up putting on YouTube and I watch different clips either about mm -hmm. chess or but this guy, David Pacman, shows up. 
And he's like a commentator, like you'd see. Hey, they should really hire him on MSNBC. MSNBC doesn't want me. Now, that's a whole other story. Like, every single one of these little cl clips could be a whole conversation. I've been on Fox News. I've been on CNN. I've been on Sirius Satellite Radio. I've been, yeah, I have never been on MSNBC. MSNBC doesn't want me. They're not interested in what I have to offer. That's very, very clear. Oh, David yeah. Pacman's 39 years old. Oh, he looks like he's 15 to me. I'll take it. I thought he, he was like a young. He looks like a 15 year old and he's 39 to you? I thought he was wow. like a, um, I thought he was like a, uh, like a high school student or something who's particularly <laughs> bright. If, if I was doing what I was doing as a high school student, it would be an unbelievable thing. I would love that. I would love to go back and do it as a high school student. So now he's a 40 year old guy. He's just, uh, you know, he's like everybody else. No, but he's very good. I, I mean, uh, by the way, he's not paying for this uh, mention. I just, I just was wondering if you watched him. I was thinking about him. You, the guys just told me he has 1.7 million subscribers on YouTube. Really should be 2 million. So, well, good. that's nice. I'm sure yeah. he can make a living doing that. True. Yeah, no, it's not bad. Uh, let's just look at a couple of this. I can't tell everybody how much I enjoyed listening to this yesterday. We were every the, the, we were just all listening to this. Well, I don't know. You know, the, it seems to me the part that I see is free, and then it says, "Well, if you want to be a paid subscriber and like hear the rest of his content, you could pay." And I'm like, "Yes, well, I just like the free content. Oh. I don't need." Well, he's got 1.7 million of those yeah. subscribers. Yeah, but I think they're like me. They're cheapskates who won't pay for content. Sadly, 99.3%. I don't want to say cheapskates. They're just, they're not paying. That's, Howard is not wrong. Yeah, a David Pacman membership costs six bucks a month. I'm not, I'm not getting started with that. I don't even know how to get, send them six bucks. You Damn. know what I mean? I don't even like know how to do well, all that. Folks, we're failing. Through so. your YouTube subscription, you've got, uh, you know, you filled uh, out everything there. You can uh, buy it in app, you know? Oh, no. All right, I don't want it. <laughs> Damn it, he doesn't want the bonus show, folks. Oh, the bonus show where you want to make money. Everybody else that makes money to fund themselves is bad. The free version. But anyway... You'll, uh, take, a him a, you'll take a little of him. You don't need a lot. Yeah. I don't have to get, <laughs> you know, I got enough of him. <laughs> but he's very good. And he, like, he sits there and he talks about politics. True. I Simple. generally agree with everything he's saying. Why do you Folks, that is big. Here. Because, I mean, you already think what he thinks. Well, I love the way he articulates it. Thank you. This is, this is, I can't think of anything better than this. There's just a couple, I hope people are enjoying this. There's just a couple more of these. Okay, so why do I watch David Pacman or Rachel Maddow or something? I like to find people who I still feel like they have a grip on reality. Oh, you right? Can you imagine? thinking that Maddow and Pacman have a grip on reality that's a hell of a thing that's amazing to, to yeah. shore yes. you up okay. yes. it makes me feel better because community this is what I'm talking about that we need on the left I'm sitting at home thinking maybe I'm out of my mind <laughs> yes I mean th this is way worse than whatever they were accusing Hillary of doing with her emails true and yet nobody seems to be upset about Again, it total bullshit Right. It's so. So anyway, the, I'm not here even to I'm, I'm sick of uh, sitting and talking about Trump and this and that. And the other thing. But I just that's I like this guy. That's all my point is. He seems okay. to be very articulate. You need to be uh, validated. Yeah. And I think if you disagree with me and everything I just said, watch this guy, Pac-Man. He's good. Pac-Man. He's Pac-Man. Incredible.
It, I mean, that's, by the way, he just admitted, and I've said this about David Pakman's audience. They want to they want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear that they're right. They're not interested if whether they actually are believing something that's true. They don't care about that. They just want to be told that what they believe is true. And that's what David does. And and it's a very successful model. How can you say it's Pac-Man? That is why I watch people who think like me. And okay. David Pakman thinks like me. And I, I, I was just curious who this guy is and where he comes from, because I, I, I'm an admirer of his broadcast. Incredible. Well, now you and know he's been around a while. Maybe you can look up his background. He's not still in high school. Right. He probably went to college. True. <laughs> you can look him up. Rob that is really is inferring a lot of important stuff. I listen to David Pakman because I found this guy on YouTube who is, has a very easy way of describing what is going on thank you and you watch it and it makes a lot of sense he's not he's dealing in facts and i like him that's all i don't know who the guy is i don't know where he came from i don't well i'm glad to explain it all and lastly here's a funny thing a guy calls in to say what about brian tyler cohen and howard's like yeah, i don't know about that and by the way we love brian i was texting with brian yesterday and at first when people wrote to me and said he's talking about both of you guys I wrote to Brian and I said, hey, apparently Howard's talking about both of us. Then I heard it, and this was the, the mention of Brian. We were laughing about it. Uh, Jerry, you're on the air in Maryland. Howard, Howard, how you doing? I've been listening to you since uh, DC 101, way back when. Uh, nice. And I feel your pain about uh, about Trump and everything. I, I, I didn't call you for this reason, but if you're into uh, Pac-Man, there's also Brian Tyler Cohen. Very similar guy. He's got a show also on YouTube. He has a couple million viewers too. Yeah, there's another guy I do watch. I don't, but but Pac-Man I like the best out yeah, of. Yeah, I like Pac-Man too. Very intelligent, and he yeah. Who is that shaves, guy? Who is Pac-Man? By the way, who, <laughs> anyway, who is this Howard? Kid? All right. So anyway, we reached out and we said if Howard wants to know the oranges story of Pac-Man, I'm glad to be on. This is fantastic. So th this is just a great thing. It's a great thing for the show. It, you know, whatever you think about Howard Stern as an interviewer, absolutely top notch essentially created the medium and format that allows shows like mine to exist. I know a lot of people talk about yeah, Rush but, Limbaugh. But, but then you and him completely betrayed that medium by advocating for censorship for years. That makes you guys pieces of fucking shit. That and the other thing. No, 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 no. Uh, really the sort of like community conversational uh, format that I believe all of these shows are based on and the idea that it is something people would engage with, I think Howard Stern is single-handedly responsible for creating that. So this is a great thing. And in all seriousness, by the way, you know, I know we're joking around about Howard won't pay for the bonus show. The David Pacman membership costs six bucks a month. There you go. In all seriousness, it's emblematic of what we're up against. What Howard did yesterday is worth much more than six bucks a month to the show. But nearly billionaire Howard Stern loves the content. Uh, among all the things that he could watch, among everything he has to do, he could be hanging out with Billy Joel, right? Uh, and he's watching the David Pakman show and he won't get a membership. So it's not a criticism of Howard, but this is the uphill battle we're up against. On the right, some right wing rich dude stumbles across Ben Shapiro one time, sends five million bucks and says, use this money to run Facebook ads. And then they do it and then they yeah, go. Yeah, that's not how it works. The right has that. The left is different. So at a minimum, okay, when Howard Stern says, I love the content, but I won't subscribe for six bucks, the minimum you can do is hit the subscribe button on YouTube, help us get to that two million. And if you can, in all seriousness, go to joinpacman.com, get yourself a membership. You can use 
that's amazing. It's giant celebrity uh, likes your show, and you're like, "What? Well, he won't buy a membership? What a bitch!" All right, let's go to some breaking news here. This is related to the documents. So this is an excerpt from Mark Meadows' book related to the documents. And, uh, and apparently a guy on CNN was surprised that um, this is apparently not included in the indictment. So the case closed, game over evidence, not actually in the indictment. Okay, so this is the chief. So this is the excerpt. Let's see uh, how much it matches the media narrative. That'll be interesting. Okay. So it just begins with said that he tried to stop President Trump from instituting a coup, comparing him explicitly to, of course, Adolf Hitler. Um, in one article in The New Yorker, he is quoted as saying that President Trump was going to strike Iran as a way to maintain his grip on power, and that General Milley put a stop to it, that he, General Milley, put a stop to this dastardly plan as soon as he could, something that conveniently made him a hero to liberals and Trump haters everywhere, just in time for him to hit the speaking circuit with General Mattis, McMaster, McChrystal, and the rest of the McLosers who have found that there's money to be made by dumping on President Trump in public. The president recalls a four-page report typed up by Mark Milley himself. It contained the general's own plan to attack Iran, deploying massive numbers of troops something he urged President Trump to do more than once during his presidency. <clears throat> President Trump denied those requests every time. In the months since he's been out of the White House, President Trump has grown much calmer, less concerned about routine matters and petty squabbles of politics. There's an expression for it, he says. When a guy is hanging around, he's just watching everyone scoring. Great golfers put themselves behind, then they come back. That's what I'm doing. We'll see what happens. Just up the road, a few dozen guests sit on a wooden deck overlooking the golf course, all hoping that Trump will come up and dine among them that evening. When he does, they'll all get on their feet and applaud. Most of them will ask the inevitable question, and they'll probably get some variation of the answer that I'm getting right now. We're going to do great things. We're going to be back. It's going to be great. In other words, just hanging around. But anyone who thinks that this means Trump has given up, the fight is sorely mistaken. The worst thing these people did is they stole the election. I have these guys come in here all the time and they tell me to stop. They say, we'll get him in three years, sir. I love these guys. Honestly, we're not going to have a country in three years. We're living in a communist country. I call the radical left democratic communist party. The way I see it, there are two phases. First, find the fraud. The second phase is, okay, we found it. We caught you. How do you say that? you know when a diamond and then it cuts off okay so he clearly is not uh, indicating that the document was there with him um so that's the first part of that and then let me check out the uh 
This is the CNN. I guess, was this when it broke that it, this is not included in the indictment? So did they just, did Smith just get it from this book? They're trying to get stuff out of a book? Hilarious. Do that because it's, it's really. Here, I'll do. I know this is time coded, but really let's, disturbing let's, uh, a, let's uh, put it back here. And, uh, it's not long. You're joining me here in the Situation Room. Is that Esper? I, think I just that's want Esper. to get your quick reaction, first of all, to this latest deadly Russian strike on this civilian area. Oh, I see. Okay, I see. They only talk about it for a minute. I thought there was like a whole thing on it. All right, one second. ...ability of a, a war option against Iran for whatever reason. Does that, uh, Audi, would the, you've heard uh, the country club in New Jersey, highly confidential, top secret information with this group over at Mar-a-Lago or, or, or at this country club in New Jersey. Uh, these were all very, very highly confidential top secret documents talking specifically about the possibility of a, a war option against Iran for whatever reason. Does that uh, audio, with the, you've heard the audio now, what, what's your reaction to that? Because it's, it's really disturbing that a former president would be sharing this kind of top secret uh, information with people who don't have security clearances. It, it does not surprise me. It, it shocks me. It's if true, if all the allegations are true, it's very irresponsible and dangerous. And uh, the description of it, first of all, didn't add up to me. Uh, uh, some time ago, it was discussed that it was a four-page document. That's not what we ever presented to, uh, to President Trump. When he asked for options, we would come and present options, usually on a single big sheet of paper we would call a placemat, where we'd, we would outline uh, different options based on varying degrees of difficulty and the effects it would have. And it was classified, of course. That's what we would typically present. So I'm, I'm curious as to what this document is. And to me, that's the key question, because so much circulates about this document, what it means, how classified it was. I think we need to see what that was. Yeah, I'm sure at some point we probably will. Uh, but it's very disturbing that a former president could be sharing this kind of information about potential war plans against Iran with people who don't have national security. Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, right now there's a young airman from the Massachusetts National Guard who's been charged with Espionage Act because he took unauthorized documents, uh, classified documents, he retained them, and then he shared the information. And he's being held in, a, I think, a court up in Boston right now. Yeah, very, very disturbing indeed. Mr. Secretary, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Mark. <clears throat> Interesting. So it's not even... So it's fascinating. So you, you basically have nothing here. Was there a part in the beginning that I missed? Let me just go back here. Again today, he could settle this war in 24 hours. What's your reaction to that? Uh, that's absurd. Look, the only person that could settle this war in 24 hours would be Vladimir Putin. If you were to come out today and say, uh, it was a huge mistake, I'm withdrawing all... Yes, I'll give you everything and bend my ass over and let Zelensky fuck me. Russia's troops, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about next steps. He is the only person that could end this war, right? If Putin made that decision, he look, doesn't look like he's no. making that decision, but no, that would end know. the war if he just said, let's, let's get out of Ukraine. Yeah, just give in, bigot. That country do what it wants to do. Uh, this uh, CNN audio, that, this audio of Trump uh, uh, talking about highly confidential, top secret information with his group over at Mar-a-Lago or, or, or at his country club in New Jersey. Uh, these were all very, very highly confidential, top secret documents talking specifically about the possibility of a, a war. Okay, no, I just wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything there. All right, so um, Esper... Is he give it up a little when he's saying that he doesn't, he doesn't, he basically doesn't know what the four-page document is? Wouldn't that then indicate that it's not classified? I don't know. 
I don't know. Interesting, though. Okay, very good. Thank you, Drunk Pinata. Uh, if you have an article that you want read on stream, $10 and up. Details in the description. Now here's David Pakman. Oh, interesting shit going on between Kennedy and Trump. There are people that have put forth the idea, a what-if scenario. What if somehow Trump and Kennedy team up? What would happen there? Now, I've said this before. I, I, I like Carrie Lake as the VP. There are things about Kennedy uh, that I don't like. His stance on, uh, for example, he came out today talking about um, the Supreme Court ruling. Um, you know, classic Democrat position on that. Um, he said he would sign a assault weapons ban if it came to his desk. So there's definitely some issues. Um, on the other hand, he would absolutely, I mean, he, they would freak out. So I would be entertained by it. I'd be concerned about it. I would definitely be concerned about it because I wouldn't want a Democrat in any way as VP. Um, but if that is who Trump picks, that's who he picks. What are you going to do, you know? So from an entertainment standpoint, it would be phenomenal. So what are the odds? I, I still think the odds are low, but some things have transpired that I think that it might be, like, I don't think it's out of the question <clears throat> because Trump praised RFK. He didn't say anything negative about him, which was, I thought was really interesting. And then RFK similarly said he was proud to be liked by Donald Trump. So I think people who, who think that this is going to happen, I, I don't personally think it's going to happen, but for the people who are saying it's going to happen, th those public comments, I think, are a bit of an argument in their favor. I'm not saying it means it's going to happen, but certainly tr Trump saying that, I think, uh, is interesting. So let's get to that. Of course, Pacman covers it and, and shits all over them, but anyway. All right, uh, Donald Trump during a deranged interview on Newsmax praised Bobby Kennedy Jr., saying he respects him very much, very strongly respecting him. They show B-roll of Bobby Kennedy doing push-ups while, tr while Trump says this. Uh, I, I want to talk about this. Th take a listen. I will say RFK Jr., who I've known not very well, but I've known for a while, and I respect him. A lot of people respect him. He's got some... Uh some very important points to be made. No, he's a respected person. Yeah, the least surprising thing I would expect to hear from Donald Trump. And of course, because Bobby Kennedy Jr. is running as a Democrat, it's to Trump's advantage. It's to Trump's advantage sure. to prop up sure. someone that could damage Joe Biden. Now, let's talk about logical fallacy, okay? Remember that with logical fallacies, we can interpret them strictly, but sometimes we interpret them colloquially or a little more informally. Strictly speaking, if we say I'm skeptical of Bobby Kennedy Jr. because Trump's a moron and if Trump likes him, then there must be something wrong with Bobby Kennedy Jr. Like technically speaking, that is the logical fallacy of guilt by association. But we have to be able to distinguish guilt by association, right? If I say Hitler breathed oxygen, so oxygen must be bad. That makes no sense. That's idiotic, right? It would be Alex Jones level for me to say something like that on the show. I would never do it. If I were to say to you, Hitler had a doctor, so therefore doctors in general shouldn't be trusted. That's silly. That doesn't make any sense. You would rightly cancel your, your paid subscription to this show if you had one, which you probably don't. But if I were to say Hitler supported Mussolini and Franco. Again, there's, there's an underhanded comment against his audience right there. 
in Italy and Spain. That makes me skeptical of Mussolini and Franco. That does make sense. I would then look into Mussolini and Franco and said, oh, my instincts were right. Uh, Hitler's support was a red flag here. When we look into Bobby Kennedy Jr. and we find his questionable takes about vaccines and Russia, foreign policy, the 2020 election, all of it, then we say, oh, right. The fact that Trump respects him and is saying positive things about him was a red flag because it is then borne out by the facts that we were able to find. Not surprising that Trump is saying positive things about Bobby Kennedy Jr. One other clip from this Newsmax interview, Trump attacking Fox for saying they are backing loser DeSantis. This is getting really wild. I don't know what their problem is, but they don't cover a lot of the things that they should be covering. Uh, they backed a loser. They backed a guy that can't win. Ron DeSanctimonious, I call him. He's losing by 40 points. Some people say 51 points. He's losing by that. And uh, they give him so much time. I watched today. They gave him a live, a live presentation down at the border, which was very boring. And all he did is say, I would use various policies. And those were all my policies. So uh, he boringly said he would do all the same stuff I already succeeded with. That's it's quite a criticism. If that criticism were true, it would actually be quite damning. And yet I got the. I mean, there is something to that. There's a lot of copying of the decade award last night in Michigan. And I we we had faith and freedom on Saturday night and they purposely didn't cover that speech. All right. right, So there is Trump uh, going after DeSantis, going after Fox. Everybody's bad. Everybody's so unfair. Where I want to direct us now, the final point for this part of the show is going to be that it actually seems that against Joe Biden, it's becoming clear that DeSantis is the better choice. Let's talk about that. I love <coughs> it's, uh, what a bitch you. You would have canceled your membership over it, but you probably don't have a membership. What an asshole. All right. <clears throat> okay, uh, let's see. Where are we at here? Breaking news. Breaking news from the internet from Amy in Connecticut. She says, breaking censorship news. Censorship is real on the internet. All right, let's have a look to see what's going on with this one. Uh, 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 oh, the uh, count. Uh, 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 you going to censor uh, the count? Uh, 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 Dare they. You know that I am called the count. Because I really love to <laughs> Sometimes I sit and all day. <laughs> but uh, sometimes I get carried away. I slowly, slowly, slowly getting faster. Once I start in it's very hard to stop. Hey, faster, faster, it is so exciting. I could forever until I drop. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, I love Whatever the amount <laughs> One, two, three, four Hey, 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 hey One, two, three, four, one, two That's the song of the count I f*** the spiders on the wall I f*** the cobwebs in the hall I f*** 
the candles on the shelf. <sighs> When I'm alone, I f myself. Oh, yeah, I f slowly, slowly, slowly getting faster. Once I start in f it's very hard to stop. <laughs> faster, faster, it is so exciting. I could f forever. Until I drop One, two, three, four One, two, three, four One, two, three, four One, two, I love Whatever the amount One, two, three, four Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah One, two, three, four One, two, that's his song Oh, the count Hey I didn't know that The count likes to fuck himself I hope he doesn't fuck himself to death one of the few things back in the day, because Jimmy Kimmel's been on for a long time, one of the only things that I liked about this, because back in the day I used to watch it, way back, like mid-2000s, and um, I guess mid to late 2000s, the only thing I liked about the show, genuinely, that made me laugh is, I think they had a segment called Unnecessary Censorship. And it was kind of like that, where they, they would it would make it sound like someone is saying like crazy profane shit. That that's like the only thing I liked. So there you go. I do like uh, unnecessary censorship to make things sound profane. It also shows how like preposterous censorship is because, like the beep, the beep. At least for me, I mean, maybe people are different, but anytime I'm watching something and the beep happens, I'm the word is in my head. Like so, it doesn't really make a difference. All right, very good. Thank you, Amy from Connecticut. Sincerely appreciate the support. Now we have some more breaking news here. This is uh, about. Oh yeah, this is this is interesting. So. Uh, Mel Gibson, uh, you could argue, is an eye poker. Uh, certainly, um, uh, I guess polarizing. Certainly, when people, I mean, all Elon Musk. Oh, I forgot about that article. I got to find that article. Um, it was what was it like Israel News or Jewish Nation Today? I forget the name of the outlet. But if you remember, a few weeks ago, uh, Elon Musk simply observed that. Um, Mel Gibson was in shape and these lunatics at this outlet argued that that made Elon Musk the most dangerous anti-Semite in the world hilarious absolutely hilarious anyway so Mel Gibson uh, melts some faces and this when you combine that already with this that he apparently helped disrupt a pedophile ring in Ukraine um, now, apparently, I, I heard he was supposed to be producing a docuseries, but I guess he's not. Um, but, uh, man, that's, uh, that, that's going to piss uh, leftists off even more. How dare he, he do that? Renowned Catholic filmmaker Mel Gibson provided valuable intelligence about an international pedophile ring, but he's not involved in producing a four-part documentary series about a sex trafficking mission in Ukraine, according to a report. Amid recent speculation that Gibson was producing the series about a child sex trafficking rescue mission in Ukraine, Operation Underground Railroad, founder Tim Ballard issued a statement dissolving those rumors but confirming 
that Gibson provided crucial information about the children who were saved in the 2022 operation. A video from January of 23 of Ballard sharing the story of the Ukraine mission has been circulating on social media, leading to false reports that the documentary designed to expose the reality of international pedophile rings was being produced by Gibson. However, Ballard never said this was the case, a point he reiterated on June 8th. I stand by every word I said in the video circulating on social media. Mel is a personal hero of mine and called me back in 2022 with valuable intelligence regarding children who were rumored to be vulnerable to human traffickers in Ukraine. Using this intelligence, we went to Ukraine where Operation Underground Railroad, Aerial Recovery Group, and the Nazarene Fund were successful in beginning the process of dismantling a dangerous international pedophile ring. Mel deserves all the credit for taking the initiative to further the critical work that we do. I'm personally grateful for his support as we worked on this documentary. However, reports that this four-part series is actually being produced by Mr. Gibson are not accurate. It's being produced by Nick Nanton of DNA Films and includes several executive producers, such as Kyle Cease, Tony, and Sage Robbins, and other wonderful and talented people. In the circulating video, Ballard describes the Ukraine mission as probably the most significant rescue operation I've ever been a part of and explained that Gibson called him saying he supports a bunch of orphans in Ukraine and he was worried about them and he asked if I could help get them out. Ballard related how he asked Gibson to help me film this so we can get people to understand and they can support us, to which Gibson agreed. The end result is not yet released documentary titled The Hidden War. The issue of child sex trafficking has become a popular topic of discussion in recent months ahead of the highly anticipated film Sound of Freedom. The movie is based on the life and work of Ballard, who worked as a CIA agent for 12 years and founded OUR in 2013 as an independent organization devoted to eliminating human trafficking across the globe. The film is set to be released on July 4th. So I hope it does well. Yeah, we are starting to see. I would love to see more and more people uh, talk about this because what that does is it forces the media to go into damage control because they pretend that trafficking doesn't happen at all. They pretend it's a conspiracy theory up there with Bigfoot. So you got Jim Caviezel. I think he's in this. Is this the movie that he's in, that um, Sound of Freedom, uh, I would assume? And... um, and I think there were problems getting the movie released, but it's finally being released. I wouldn't be surprised if lunatics try to get the theaters to cancel the release. I mean, it's unbelievable how much they do damage control for trafficking in the corporate media. I remember when Roseanne came out, and all she did is point out that Jeff Sessions was doing good work. I think she thanked Jeff Sessions. One of the I didn't like Jeff Sessions, but one of the great things that he did, there was this anti- uh, a trafficking operation where they arrested a bunch of pedophiles and, and traffickers. Um, and so she basically thanked them for that. And the media flipped out. They said she was crazy. She was QAnon. She was a conspiracy theorist. And I think it was after that. I wonder, I think it was shortly after that, that, uh, they fired her from Roseanne because she made fun of, um, Valerie Jarrett, who absolutely looks straight out of Planet of the Yips, uh, Planet of the Yips, uh, 100%. But anyway, that's a side issue. Um, yeah. Oh, and they're trying to get her into trouble now. She was like sarcastically talking about the Holocaust, and they're pretending she's a Holocaust denier. Just ridiculous, ridiculous. She seems, uh, you know, she's like a Hollywood person. You know, she's 
pretty famous. She seems reasonable for a famous person. She seems kind of like with it. And they, you know, they hate what she says. So that's always good. Like I've said this before. If you say stuff that they hate, I, I like that. I don't care who you are. Uh, it doesn't matter. If you say stuff that pisses them off, I like that. We need more people to say stuff that pisses them off, as many as possible. So, <clears throat> and if, if Ice Cube's the next one to do that, great. You know, I just, I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, some of the stuff he said on Rogan today was totally unacceptable to the mainstream. So that's good. That's at least a good thing. They were talking about how they know people damaged from the vaccine and things like that. I would love for more people to talk about that. That would also be great. All right. Interesting. Very good. All right. So that was breaking news from the internet from Regurgitating Rhinoceros. Appreciate the support, sir. If you have an article that you want read on stream, 10 and up, details in the description. And now we'll go to uh, um, Robert F. Kennedy went on Bill Maher. Bill Maher is a person who's pivoting um, <clears throat> in multiple ways. And so now he has uh, Kennedy on. And of course, the media and David Pakman are upset about this. Um, Bob, um, Bobby Kennedy Jr. recently appeared on Bill Maher's podcast, The Clubhouse. Uh, we now have the opportunity to hear directly from him what is his view about vaccines. Bill Maher confronted him, not really. Bill Maher told him, I basically agree with you about vaccines, but you're not handling this correctly. You're going to have to defend your position. So we now have video of Bobby Kennedy explaining his views on vaccines. He always says, I'm not anti-vax, I just want safe vaccines. But you will very quickly see in this video that his views are simply not based in fact. Let's get right into it. On the side that shows that autism is caused by vaccines, there's over 100 studies. I, in fact, did a book in which I listed all of those studies and digest it, in, 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 in other words, summarize them all, and you can go and source them. And I have okay, this is a classic anti-vax line. There's a yes. How dare you uh, provide citations so you can look up the information your, yourself? That's uh, that's white supremacy. Only conspiracy theorists look up citations. Hundred studies that find a link between vaccines and autism. There's a hundred studies, and people accept it uncritically. The folks that have fallen for this, who, by the way, are mostly right wing folks. It's a whole interesting thing. Trump is now praising Bobby Kennedy Jr. His constituency is heavily made up of MAGA people. He should probably be running as a Republican, quite frankly. But let's not deal with someone like Bobby goes hundred studies link vaccines to autism. And then someone hears it and repeats it. Uh, you can actually investigate that. OK, there is not any scientific evidence that links vaccines to autism. And in fact, all right. So given what they said about ivermectin, um, and there is a ton of evidence that ivermectin is effective against COVID-19, I, uh, I think that if David Pakman, <clears throat> and I don't, I've not looked into this subject enough to, to have a position on whether they cause autism, um, but the hallmarks, the, the hallmarks of bullshit are all there. David Pakman telling you there's no evidence if David Pakman is saying there's no evidence, there probably is a fuck ton of evidence if you just go by history. Contrary, many studies have found no link whatsoever. The foremost such quote study by now. Wait, I'm not in a position to have to take vaccines. I'll tell you that right now. Hard <laughs> doctor revoked medical license. Andrew Wakefield was retracted. It's a bogus study. Most of the data uh, that many people cite comes from that. But let's talk about this hundred studies thing. 
The claim that more than 100 studies link vaccines to autism is based on a list of papers that was compiled by an anti-vax website. They have uh, a horse. So that's a smear, an anti-vax website. In the game, in the race, so to speak. And the list has been widely debunked by experts. Oh, now, don't right. now that's another that's a that's a, another good sign if you are a believer that vaccine uh, vaccines cause autism. David Pakman says it's been debunked. Are you aware of a time, uh, one time? Are you aware of one time where David Pakman said something's been debunked and that turned out to be true? I'm not aware of that ever happening. Now I'm not saying it automatically means that the people who say that they cause autism are right. I'm saying that, you know, it's not a good sign. It's not a good sign for the people that say that they do not cause autism because David Pakman is using the same rhetorical tricks on this as he does for everything. Take my word for it. Do what Bobby says. Go and look at the list, but don't just look at the summary. Well, I did that a long time ago with the, um, I forget what vaccine it was, but it was related to uh, kids being paralyzed in Africa. And as far as I saw at the time, the the citations checked out. The studies uh, admitted that. And I was like, wow, that's fucked up. That he makes. Look at the actual uh, uh, citations, okay? Many of the papers... Oh, David, why don't you do that on your show? Why don't you do that on your show? He won't. The list aren't actually about vaccines and autism at all. They might be about one or the other. Some have been retracted. Some have. Well, that doesn't method- mean anything. Uh, the retraction means nothing at this point, because there's been plenty of studies that, for example, point out that the uh, surgeries for minors when it comes to the tranny stuff are terrible. And the tranny activists uh, um, get the study retracted. So what does that mean? Same thing with the uh, corona or not, the uh, vaccine, the co- coronavirus vaccine, and um, heart problems. They were able to bully people into retracting studies. It still doesn't change the fact that it causes heart problems. Methodological flaws, and some simply theorize about what could cause autism. If you look at those hundred papers, you will find papers that, for example, say, when we think about why there may be rising rates of autism, one reason could be that we are better at diagnosing it. So we're actually just identifying more cases of autism. Another reason could be vaccines. Another reason could be, you know, whatever, Wi-Fi, right? Just because you put vaccines on a list of things that hypothetically could be related doesn't mean that it's a study that shows it. This is the sort of stuff he's citing. Tons of examples. There's one paper called A Positive Association Found Between Autism Prevalence and childhood vaccination. And it claims to show that there's a correlation between vaccination rates and autism in different states. The idea being states with more uh, vaccination also have more autism. The problem is it doesn't establish any causal link. It's not science. It doesn't account for the fact that autism diagnosis is likely better in the very same states that have more vaccination. I'll give you an example. And I don't wanna beat a dead horse here, uh, I apologize for the, the, the violent term beating a dead horse, but it's it's really important to understand this. Think about the states that have higher rates of vaccination. OK, think about the states that have better health infrastructure. OK, if you think about those states, California, New York, 
Connecticut, Massachusetts, states that have better health infrastructure are going to find and diagnose more autism because they actually have protocols for when teachers observe certain behaviors, you would actually say, hey, this is someone who maybe should be screened for autism, et cetera. Those are the same states that have higher vaccination rates due to better health infrastructure and better education. So this is just one example. And you can go through and you can find it. It's a bogus list on the uh, also important to note the very pediatrician that Bobby Kennedy uh, cites for much of his anti vaccine views has disavowed Bobby Kennedy and says he interviewed me once and then completely misstated all the stuff I said. So that's another classic. On the other hand, we have the work of the CDC, oh, uh, National the Academy. Good of work of the CDC. They never lie. Medicine, all these groups that say we, we've looked at it, we find absolutely no link between vaccines and autism. Okay, it gets crazier from there. Let's continue. Remember, this is Bobby Kennedy, in his own words, giving us his view about vaccines, says 100 studies find a link. That's a debunked list. Many of the studies don't even actually deal with that issue. Let's continue. Over 450 uh, citations, uh, 450 studies summarized, and I have 1,400 citations. Okay. The, the question for your campaign is... I'm not talking about this stuff on my campaign. I'm just talking between well, you and me. That's a ridiculous assumption. Of course you're going to have to talk about it. You well, think if I'll... somebody asks me, I'm going to. They're all going to ask you. Are you serious? <laughs> no, they this don't is all they're it. going to ask you about. The, you think they're there for your friends who want to help you? They're, no, they're they, don't going, want, they don't want to help They me. want to go to the most vulnerable point, which is you're a coup no, because you don't believe in vaccines. That's not me I, talking. I, no. I don't believe that, but that's what but they do will. do you believe I don't believe in vaccines? I, I believe you are more... Um, I just believe in science. I, I understand, but, but I, you know... Any, Show uh, me the science. Bobby, this I, is the, yeah, but uh, let's not talk about again the science. That's the thing. That's the mistake they made. I believe in oh, science too. Listen, listen, but, no, but just like the, uh, I mean. the I mean, other side what, of it, let, let, let me just say this: we have different. Every medicine is required to do placebo-controlled trials. That's what science is. You give you you give a, a group of people, a cohort of people, the the medicine. And then you give the pl a, cohort, a similarly situa situated cohort of people the placebo. And then you look at health outcomes over a, f a four or five year period. Because many of the impact of the outcomes are going to have long diagnostic horizons and long incubation periods. So you won't see them immediately. You need to do it. Uh, Anthony Fauci has said eight years for a vaccine. You need to watch them for a while. Those studies have the only medicine that never gets tested are vaccines. OK, so let's talk about that. This they believe that this is their sort of trump card, right? This is irrefutable. He says we, we need these placebo controlled vaccine trials. This is a common ruse with these folks. OK, it is true that the specific autism vaccine link has not been extensively explored with regard to child vaccinations through that particular type of type of trial. But why not? The why not is extraordinarily important to understand. The reason is similar to why we don't do randomized controlled trials about smoking while pregnant, right? You could say, listen, I don't know that smoking while pregnant is actually bad. In order to say smoking while pregnant is bad, we should take a thousand women. We should have a hundred not smoke at all. We should have a hundred smoke a pack a day and 100 smoke two packs a day. OK, 
And then we spend 20 years seeing what is the impact on those kids. Okay, that would be horribly unethical because of what we do know. It is generally considered unethical to withhold potentially life saving vaccines from individuals if they are available and proven to be effective. The vaccines sounds like a loophole has been against. You got a loophole. You got it. This is the loophole they used uh, in the Pfizer trials that they tried to bury for 75 years. They were like, well, we can't give placebo because we're in a dangerous pandemic. So we're just going to have to give everyone the vaccine for a long time for kids are so effective at preventing serious illness that how would you do such a test? Right. You say, hey, let's volunteer. Yeah. A they automatically work and we don't have to, to test them for safety. Bunch of kids to go through adolescence with no vaccines and see what happens to them. It would be insanely unethical because mm. of the risk that you would expose them to. Mm -hmm. You have to balance risks and benefits. And with the serious, actual, validated and studies- we're just that not gonna be able to do safety trials, guys, come on. That have looked into this issue, not by doing it the way he wants because it would be hugely unethical, but by looking at it in the ways that the CDC and others do, there has been no link established between vaccination <clears throat> and autism. And this is his view. So now we've got it. It's not people misstating it. It's Bobby Kennedy Jr. in his own words, and it's horrifying. All right. Well, either vaccines um, cause autism or David Pakman is telling the truth for the first time ever. I don't know which it is. I have a leaning, but I, I can't say I know for sure. Supreme Court drops shattering affirmative action bombshell. Shattering. Oh, are you devastated? The worst thing about affirmative action is that it creates. Oh, man. The worst thing about affirmative action is that it created a Clarence Thomas who benefited for the pro from the program and now is in a position where he's going to deny many young African-American talented individuals an opportunity. Historically, the problem has been that institutions of higher learning, corporations, companies, and other entities have denied well-qualified African-Americans and other individuals access in terms of admissions and employment because of their race. That is the president of the NAACP, Derek Johnson, and he is right, at least insofar as saying that Clarence Thomas was going to aid the insane, wildly right-wing Supreme Court that we have right now in effectively, broad strokes, destroying affirmative action. Uh, and that's what they did. That was their big announcement of the day. There are other cases that are pending that we will find out about uh, through the rest of the week, uh, but they've effectively done it. The decision that was put out today puts an end to systems designed to help black and Latino students access higher education after centuries of racial discrimination. Colleges and universities will no longer be allowed to seek greater diversity of their student bodies by preferencing race. There, they're wording it, preferencing race, basically being legally allowed to have that be one of many considerations. That is effectively uh, what is being banned uh, right now. Obviously, this is the culmination of decades of right-wing effort uh, to stop uh, these sorts of programs uh, that have already banned them in a number of different states. Uh, the original affirmative action policies were adopted in the late 1960s, uh, coming out of the civil rights movement. Uh, they aimed to increase uh, black and Latino attainment in higher education. Almost instantly, some white Americans had an issue with it. I know it's a shocker, but they did. Uh, conservative politicians came to see this as a form of, quote, reverse racism, which uh, I was taught uh, growing up by right wing media is the only kind that exists. 
Um, and they said that basically that makes it so uh, white students have effectively no chance of getting into college. Now, the numbers, of course, don't bear that out. But what they did bear out was that in some states over the course of decades, these programs did nudge things towards a bit more equality. Not actual representation commensurate with percentage of the population or anything like that. But it did move a little bit closer. That now will maybe, oh, I was gonna say it would be taught in history classes, but God knows what'll be left of history classes soon in America. Uh, but that said, Sharon, um, what do you think of the SCOTUS decision, decision today? Uh, I think that this is what happens when a group of people don't go to work too much, go on vacation with billionaires, and when they do show up at the job, they're in their bathrobes and they think they know what's best for the rest of us. They don't. And I'm disgusted by it, of course, but I'm also disgusted by how we got here because they've been chipping away at this forever, as you eloquently pointed out. But at the end of the day, I want those on the left those who believe in certain values for this America where we all reside here to fight and stop being on their heels. The right devilish as they are are so creative and they figure things out and they find one or two Asian people. You know, Asian people support affirmative action by the way, but never mind that. But they find yeah, a guys, few- It's only two Asian people that are against it. Plaintiffs and they do this dirt and they get it before the perfect Supreme Court. And in between those justices taking gifts from the billionaires, they decide that it's over. And that's what this really means, it's over. You called it a bomb, it is, it's a stank bomb. It's the kind that you deliver and run out of the room to escape culpability, but they're standing firm in this one. They're standing firm in it. And I think people have to realize that instead of just monitoring cable news, which is what I've been doing since it came down, um, there was a way around this. But you have to dig in, get tough, and really go there. And that's what, what I would- What does wish that mean, violence? The left would do here. What the, she must be talking about violence. So just fighting to get back what we've already won. Yeah, yeah, totally uh, like on the defense. It, look, there, there, are certain there are certain other structural strategic inequities in the way that our politics works in that I, I have often said that it is harder sometimes on the left to do what you need to do than on the right in that we would, for instance, let's say there's an issue that we wanna deal with. We wanna get people to care about climate change or whatever. Um, we have to not only mobilize people to put pressure on politicians who don't wanna do anything about it, but we also have to encourage like looking ahead to the future, a little bit of empathy for people who might be uh, great, more greatly affected by climate change than you, compassion, those sorts of things. What do they have to do? They have to scare the hell out of their voters. That's pretty much it. That's all they, it's super easy yeah, to tell people. You guys don't do that with climate change. People, uh, oh, by the way, uh, there's a whole bunch of people and uh, you're a victim now. They're they're totally coming for you. They're probably gonna kill you, whatever. Um, they're gonna take your job, definitely. They're gonna take your spot in college, which also, by the way, you shouldn't wanna go to. Colleges are dens of communism. But if you did wanna go there, they're gonna take your spot. And like, just scare the hell out of people about literally every topic. Um, and so that makes it a little bit easier. In this case, yeah, uh, this is an area where uh, I don't feel like there was, there was, or there has been over decades, a significant push, significant uh, to the scale of the right wing assault on these uh, programs. Salty, very salty. Matt Walsh's pathetic attack on pride deteriorates instantly. Let's just put this plainly. The pride flag 
does not deserve our respect. In fact, it deserves uh, 100% correct. 100% correct. Deserves our disrespect. It deserves our contempt and mockery. It is not the flag of gay people. Okay, that's not what it is. Gay people in America, um, they already have a flag. It's called the American flag. It's the flag we all share or are supposed to share. That is Matt Walsh's completely disingenuous, intentionally trolling argument that basically is an intense invective against every Confederate flag wielding <laughs> Southerner that ever lived. Matt Walsh thinks the pride flag is hateful and it's not the flag of gay people. They already have a flag, the American flag. Well, then there should be no state flags. There should be no flags for anything. He is arguing that it shouldn't be displayed in government buildings. Like then where was he when the South Carolina state legislature had the Confederate flag on it? Where was he when the Confederate flag was on all those state flags where it also <laughs> still continues to be in one form or another on multiple state flags? He's a liar, he sucks, he's so stupid. Yeah. The pride flag, he has tweeted multiple times that the pride flag is actually a hateful symbol. How, where's your evidence? People who are having a great, awesome celebratory time on in pride festivals the world over are not hateful at all. The hateful folks are the ones who are suddenly showing up at a party where everybody's having fun and calling those folks evil. Yep, it's so bad. Yeah, he obviously, uh, I, I guess, has contempt for people who would fly the thin blue line flag or the blacked out American flag or just regular state flags or any flags. Really, why do we need it? We have the American flag. It's also incredibly disingenuous. And I get why it's disingenuous. He's delivering this message for millionaires and billionaires as a distraction. Um, it comes across as disingenuous because they're not picking people based on their talent as communicators. It's their willingness to throw away whatever principles they might have had and make a mockery of themselves in front of millions of people in exchange for money to protect the interests of those in a position of economic dominance. That's why he doesn't even bother to pretend that he believes any of these things that he says. Hospitals around the country are butchering, mutilating, and sterilizing their young patients. According to Boston Children's Hospital, literally every toddler... He's rec they're recycling. That was an old video. I mean, this one is an old video. Uh, okay, where is... Uh, which... Okay. Trump again, we're gonna do a couple of bald fuck face uh, here. Uh, Trump again attacks special prosecutor's family. Oh, how dare you criticize Jack Smith's family. Donald Trump is once again going after the family of oh, special prosecutor. Arrest him right away. Shooter Jack Smith, but this time in a post on Truth Social, he appears to be asking his deranged followers to do something of course. about Jack Smith's family. Of course. Now, it's open to interpretation, I guess. Depends on how you read it. So I am going to read you what Donald Trump put on Truth Social, and I'll explain why I feel like it says how I feel it says. Here it is. Could somebody please explain to the deranged Trump-hating Jack Smith his family and his friends 
that as president of the United States, I come under the Presidential Records Act as affirmed by the Clinton Sox case, not by this psycho's fantasy of the never used before Espionage Act of 1917. There you go. Case closed. Incitement to violence. Arrest him. Okay. Let's let's get the legal thing out of the way real quick. That is not what the Presidential Records Act says. That is not what the so-called Clinton Sox case says. The Presidential Records Act says that any record created by the president or for the president of the United States is actually the property of the federal government and must be returned so that it can be archived by the National Archives. Not to mention the fact that Donald Trump is not necessarily facing the biggest charge from violating the Presidential Records Act. The biggest charge he's facing is violating the Espionage Act by showing off classified information to somebody that did not have a security clearance. <clears throat> so I don't know why he's harping on the Presidential Records Act when that's literally the least of your concerns. But right now, my biggest concern is that he put out a call to action. That's how I read that. Well, that's because you're retarded. Could somebody please explain to the deranged, blah, 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 his family and his friends. So he is asking somebody, please go to these people and explain something to them. He then, you know, refers to psychos, calls them deranged. That's a call to action. Just like when he gave his speech before the Capitol riot and he told these people fight like hell. Well, what did they do? They said, okay, that's a call to action. Oh, I'm yeah. going to go do it. Totally. And we know that that's how they perceived it because that is literally what they've been telling judges ever since the trials started. Donald Trump told us to do it. So we take those same individuals that are definitely unhinged, that believe everything this man says without question. And now he's telling them on Truth Social, Go to Jack Smith, go to his family, go to his friends and explain something to them. Now, this isn't a call for violence, obviously. But what does Jack Smith's family have to do with the investigations into Trump? What do his friends have to do with this investigation into Donald Trump? Absolutely nothing. You cannot convince me that Donald Trump doesn't know what he's doing. And again, he was very careful with his language. All he said was explain to them. He didn't say go stalk them. He didn't say threaten them. He didn't say be violent. He said explain to them, but he did ask his followers to do this. Go to them. Bad things are going to happen, folks. Oh yeah, bad things. Bad things are bad going to things. happen. And I do believe that Donald Trump knows that. He wouldn't be throwing in Smith's family and friends if he didn't know exactly what he was doing. Jack Smith's family has nothing to do with the investigation and the prosecution. Jack Smith's friends have nothing to do with the investigation and the prosecution. And for Donald Trump to even bring this up, to bring up those people shows us that he knows what he's doing. He knows this is a call to action because he knows how unhinged and crazy his followers are. He's sitting there calling Jack Smith deranged, calling him psycho, but the only deranged psychos out there are the ones that Donald Trump is most likely hoping are going to show up and do something terrible. Oh, hey. there you go. Got to lock him up. Oh, outrageous.
All right, we got Bazinski here. So Bazinski's in America. Bazinski is in America. He says, I went to Cracker Barrel to decide if the whole faggot angle was still happening. And when I gazed outside, there were no pride rocking chairs. So the normie uprising is doing well. I went to Target to see if there was pride shit and nothing. Fag Holocaust, unquote. Yeah, I think I, I think the at least some of those might be regional. I think some of the Cracker Barrels are regional when they put the uh, pride stuff on the rockers. And um, I don't know if they removed all of the homosexual sections uh, from the targets, but some of them had them removed. So, yeah, there is this is an unprecedented backlash um, for Pride Month, and they are actually moving things there, you know, or, or you look at um, Bud Light and it's the absolute destruction of Bud Light as a brand. I mean, it is. Yeah, it is happening. There is momentum. I think it's good. So hopefully it will continue. Uh, but all right, very good. Good luck out there, sir. All right, very good. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, next stream will be uh, Saturday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, you can get an archive on Rumble, rumble.com slash user slash hard news network, or on Podbean, hardnewsnetwork.podbean.com, or on Twitter, at LiveHNN. Also, uh, I believe I'll be streaming on Sunday. Uh, so we'll go Saturday uh, and Sunday as well. Thank you for all the people that sent Super Chats and Streamlabs. Sincerely appreciate it. And um, wherever you're watching on the stream or on the archive, I appreciate the support. I am the Hard Bastard. Thank you for watching.